everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 390. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we go back to the 80s this week. Always fun time. If you say so. Yes, and this is a clip-heavy show, too, so a lot going on. As We have two Saturdays, uh-huh. two weekends worth of television to talk about. So, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of interesting stuff on this show. So let's go ahead and get started. As we go to the week plus, that was January 24th through February 2nd, 1987. Of course, we're filling in uh, the gap here between uh, this timeline here that was shows we've already done. So that's why the show is an extra few days here. And uh, yeah, like I said, a lot going on. As we start with the World Wrestling Federation. Biggest news of the week is apparently WrestleMania 3 will take place in just one location. The Pontiac Silverdome in suburban Detroit. Apparently, there's so many problems inherent in trying to run a car from three sites like last year. However, it was the three live gates in last year's WrestleMania, which totaled $1.1 million. That saved the show from being more of a holocaust than it was. Interesting use of that word. However, the Silverdome holds a potential 85,000 fans for wrestling, which a fill to the brim would mean a one-site gate in excess of $2 million. The site itself makes sense for several reasons. First off, me and the angles will be shot in Detroit on February 21st at the Saturday Night Main Event taping. Second, Titans' hottest area for wrestling is Ontario, just across the border from Detroit. And with a Sunday afternoon car, people can come from a 250-mile radius and still make it home for 9.30 p.m. And third, behind hell, only the U.S. side of the border allows them to change U.S. dollars for ticket prices and enables Titans to avoid Canadian taxes before bringing the money across the border. At the valuation of Canadian taxes, that $1.2 million gave for Exhibition Stadium in Toronto last August netted $650,000 on crossing the border. Oof. <laughs> That's a big hit. But yeah, you know, we've done shows from earlier in January, 87, where, you know, there was the stories that was coming out about where WrestleMania would be at, you know, and even going in early, or not early 86, but summer 86, early summer that the thought was it was going to be in Canada and Toronto. Um, and then things started changing and you started hearing about, okay, now we're going to have it in you know, three different places again, like WrestleMania two and blah, 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 blah. I think in definitely in hindsight, they made the perfect decision to do what they did. Oh, what makes you say that? <laughs> Pretty damn successful. Yes. Uh, WrestleMania 3 at the Pontiac Silverdome. Yes. And here we have Dave quoting 85000 for wrestling picks. Here's what I don't get about this. Because <laughs> I'm trying to remember had this, if this had happened yet by the time we did the, the Mania 3 show last year on the Patreon. Had Dave said yet when we did that show that, now we all, that he also has records from the Michigan Athletic Commission – that confirmed the 78,500-ish figure. I don't think he had yet, right? No. I don't, I don't understand why. Why would that be something he never mentioned before last year? It's Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look how many times that we broke, that, that Dave is like, broke stories or said things in just random paragraphs that you're like, wait a minute. Did he just say this? You know, we never heard this before. Yeah. You know? I just... Here's the thing that makes... 
Here's honestly the thing that marries me most to it being, or I should say to the football capacity that everyone was told was the capacity is legit. I mean, besides that there were the blackout rules, we have the same basic number from when the Silverdome was just, you know, this venue to be rented out occasionally without, you know, a football team or anything, like in the early 2000s, and like... They're not going to lie about the capacity, much less section by section on a website that exists just to get a rental business. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you want to go with the idea it wasn't sold out, that's one thing. There have been more photos surfacing lately showing that there you can see a lot of empty seats at the same time in some closer photos of the upper decks. But by all accounts, it's sold out, though, is the other thing. You know, maybe the, maybe the ones that you know, were empty, were unused comps or something. But, I mean, the show was being said to be sold out in the local paper a few days out. So I gotta think, you know, I mean, that's not a WWF thing. The WWF would not go and say, the show is sold out, please do not try to come if you don't have a ticket. <laughs> if that was yeah. not the case. Um, so, I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me is that the club and the suite tickets were not Included in those breakdowns, which is a, I have been told by people who see arena settlements and stuff, is a thing that happens. And when you take those out and you account for about 6,000 and change on the field, you get a number in the 78,000 range. Yeah. So, as for the rest here, I mean, we should note, too, another reason for the success that's not mentioned here, because it comes up later. They blacked out pay-per-view and did no closed circuit. In the state of Michigan. Yeah. If you were, yeah. If you're in the state of Michigan, you either needed to drive three hours to a closed circuit location or someone you knew out of state that had the pay-per-view or go to the Silverdome. Yeah. Like the Detroit Free Press, I think it was. We read it on the Patreon show, I think. Had, had this whole listing of like, here are what are technically the closest closed circuit sites, but they're all at least three hours away. Was it them or was it that the, the other – Oh, or it may have been that, or it may have been the Lansing paper, too. Something, yeah. But you, we definitely read it. For pay, those who haven't heard that, patreon.com slash 20 sheets. We did a series last year, WrestleMania 3. Well, we did the, a uh, show on WrestleMania Well, a show. Show, series. It all runs together these days. Uh, on patreon.com slash 20 sheets. Did it um, about a year ago. So go back about a year, and you'll see it for the uh, 35th anniversary. So there you go. Now we have more uh, news here. It might kind of be a big hype job or a big story, but they've been on the former. Roddy Piper was quoted in the Toronto Sun on January 24th as saying he will retire from wrestling after his match with Adrian Adonis at WrestleMania. It's a few months earlier for Piper's annual summer holdout, but at the same time, if Piper's trying to use leverage and get more money, he's no longer hot enough to get away with it. Perhaps he realizes that and really will retire. He's been saying ever since he was 25 that he wanted to retire at 35, but tons of wrestlers say that and none ever do. Perhaps just to build a live game for the February 15th Toronto card, since the NWA is debuting that night in nearby Hamilton with Ric Flair, and Titan has to rely on Piper and Adonis, which has proven to be a weak draw on top. The February 15th match is being heavily hyped as Piper's final live appearance in Toronto, one of the many Canadian towns he grew up in before his retirement. No, this is, I mean, we know what happened. This is Piper really uh, retiring for the time being to uh, focus on movies. Which, honestly, if you have John Carpenter wanting to make a movie with you as the star, that seems like the right move. 
Yeah, and but Dave is right that at this point in time, Piper had had the history of taking the summer off um, for various reasons. He, he did it in the last two years, basically, 85 and 86. So there is that, but yeah, I mean, that's that's the deal here. And that's another thing, too, that doesn't get talked about. Piper and Adonis uh, was not a successful house show program. Well, in fairness, the feud ceased to exist for a few months because of whatever happened to Adonis in late 86. Yeah, but still, you would think, bringing it back, that it should you know, pick up where it left off from. You would hope, but I can easily see how it cooled off. And they never, they never put Piper with anyone else as you know, as a main um, rival during that time period. No, he's just working like what, like random house show matches with Savage and people like that, and doing tags and six man tags and stuff like that. Piper Machine, yeah, or just whatever you know. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting the Piper uh, the Piper run in between Adonis. Uh, runs but uh yeah he's really gonna retire so there is that but he'll be back probably most significant news from the titan side however is that after wrestlemania hulk hogan will be working very few dates the remainder of the year seems titan is coming out with a hulk hogan movie and filming will leave his royal highness with very little time for wrestling the fact they're doing a movie about his this self-constructed legend should hopefully end all rumors of him dropping the strap this year. With Hogan on the shelf for the most part, Titan's going to have to put a lot more emphasis on the other baby faces, which means Jim Duggan's coming along exactly at the right time. Roddy Piper hasn't worked out. Don't think for a moment that he's really going to retire, Dave says. Ricky Steamboat's actually drawn very well right now against Randy Savage, but that's more because of the angle. And obviously the Rip Martel-Tom Zink duo's headed for a major push, but none of the kick-ass types. Duggan has that type of character they can get over, although nobody's about to be able to draw the kind of crowds Hogan's been drawing. Okay. So here we have talk of obviously what becomes No Holds Barred. Mm-hmm. Why do we think it got delayed a year? Maybe script reasons? But, I mean, we... We have the pre-Vincent Hogan rewrite script, though. And I want to say it's dated much later than this. This is it. <laughs> Who's thinking how bad it could that what it was before that one? I mean, I guess it's possible there was another script this early, but the idea was definitely there. Yes, clearly. And uh, Dave, Dave ripping on Hogan here. Uh, okay, let me ask you this though: Do you think No Holds Barred would have been more successful or less successful? If it was shot and released a year earlier, so let's say it comes out in summer '88. Um, I don't, I don't, I think things probably are about the same. Yeah, I feel like if they turn it around quick and get and get it out by like the end of '87, that's potentially interesting and could change it. But I think if you're just setting it back just straight up a year, I don't think it changes that much. But how different is the movie, too? That's another thing, too. Mm. How different is that movie? Because I don't think you have, like, the Zeus thing in 87. You don't have Zeus as a character in the movie, or you don't have Zeus becoming a wrestler after the movie comes out? 
Yeah, more of that than the the movie. And who knows if you even have Tiny Lister at that point in time. Yeah. Right. Hmm. I mean, Hogan's already tied up in Summer 88. Summer 87, he's not tied up with nothing as far as, you know, any ankles. So it would work better in 87 than it would work in 89. When is the not in every market killer con feud? When in 87 is that? That's pretty much in, you know, summerish. So I wonder how much of all that has to do with this. I mean, you got Hogan and Harley, Hogan and Killer Khan. Hogan and Savage are still having their matches in New Markets before Savage turns face. Yeah, Hogan has no nobody he's really married to until, you know, DiBiase starts heating up. Yeah. And then Andre starts, and Andre's back. Yes. And also makes you wonder... Obviously, the reaction he got at Mania and stuff like that, and that I wouldn't say he'd run his course as a heel, but I'm sure coming just coming up with the idea for the whole Mega Powers thing was part of it. But when when do we think the idea for the Savage Turn happens, and how much of that is having another kick-ass baby face? I think the, I think Savage. It, it was just time. Yeah. I mean, it was just time. They've done what they could do. It was time to go that that way. I think after the you know after Steel and after Steamboat, I mean that it's just it's time. Yeah, and it, it worked. So now, do you think Duggan gets a bigger push if not for yes. the arrest? Yes, absolutely. I think so. Absolutely. Well, also, and, you know, like we've talked about du- before. Oh, go ahead. I mean, you got Duggan here. Piper, of course, is going to be retiring. Steamboat. He gets the IC title, but we know what happens there. Yeah. Um, Martell and Zink's the one that y- we always read about. They're in line for this big, big push. You know? So. Strike Force basically takes their place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's later on. Yeah. Well, of course. So. Now, wait, what was I going to say until we started talking? I about don't know. Oh, oh, now I remember. Like we've talked about before, when we've played some of the early Duggan WWF angles, until he gets fired and comes back, he's Mid-South Duggan. Yes. And that also makes you wonder how different everything is if he doesn't get fired. I, you know, I wonder if the change in his character was also just kind of like... Goddamn, pal, taking you down a peg, you're not going to be a main eventer, so we're showing you that you're not going to be a main eventer. Well, it's either that or they decided to to take an ed- the edge off of him because of what he did. Hmm. I suppose. You know? So, I don't know. All right, uh, speaking of Hogan, the Gold Bond Ice Cream Company, which is Oreo cookies and Eskimo pies, will become a Hulk Hogan Supermodel Wrestling Bar in late March. And in fact, that would be a full series of superstars of wrestling bars. Mm-hmm. The WWF ice cream bars that we all know and love. Yeah. And I think we've talked about them enough in the past that we don't need to give a, do a whole thing about them. But, yeah, the, the, okay, the one thing I will bring back up. You've said in the past you would see these in – you would never find, like, f- multi-packs – but you would see these in regular stores, not just places that carried like the good humor novelties and such. Because I only gas stations. Yeah, I only really ever saw them at 
ice cream carts, and maybe, like, bodegas. See, you gotta remember, I mean, we're different down the south. We don't have bodegas, you know? I mean, you got your grocery stores and your gas stations and stuff like that, you know? I mean, so I'd, I'd see them at the gas station where you could buy your single ice cream deals. I'd see them there, and I, I'd see them in the, bo- the boxes and grocery stores and stuff. I would never see them so, in, like, a supermarket or anything like that, though. Like, only, like, tiny little groceries. Yeah, well, I'd, you know, I'd see them around, so. But after, I feel like that was very small part of the time, and was pretty much always ice cream carts. Yeah. And then, at least, you know, by the time I started getting them regularly, the one that had Hogan on the cookie was actually the hardest to find. Yeah. So, anyway. Alright, let's get to the wrestling. WF held their TV tapings on January 26th in Tampa and January 27th in St. Petersburg for shows that will play the weekends of February 7th, 14th, and 21st. It's funny that Dave ha- is listing it like this because that is not the sh- the, the, uh, the venues that they had the, they had both those tapings at. Tampa is, but you know where the other taping was at. Well, they wouldn't run two back-to-back tapings in the same market. Exactly. Um, I mean, I'll ask you this. Is is it another central Florida town? No. Is it in Florida? Yes. Miami? Not that far down. Fort Myers. Okay. So I don't know where he got St. Petersburg from. (laughs) But anyway... Alright, so these shows will play the weekends of February 7th, 14th, and 21st. They shot several major angles on this show, on these tapings. I also said it did. And the big one, the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, won the tag titles from the British Bulldogs. Dynamite and Davey on the first hour of Tampa taping. Dynamite, who's been attraction for the past month, was flown down, literally had to be carried, piggybacked to the ring. They believe the camera started filming with Dynamite and Davey already in the ring. They believe he was knocked off the apron and started the match, never got back up. They ended up pinning Davey with their bear hug, clothesline finisher. Although referee Danny Davis missed several Davies pin attempts while tending to Dynamite in the floor. Tending. Obviously, Brett and Neidhart are just interim champions because Titan is going to put their eggs in the Rip Martell Tom Zink basket towards the end of March, maybe sooner. Well, that is again. Obviously, that's not true, though, because. Zink is there through, what is it, end of June, roughly? Yeah, but, I mean, this is set a lot in the newsletters right here before WrestleMania 3, is that uh, they're going to get the bouts, you know? They're going to get the bouts. They're getting the bouts. Yeah. doesn't happen. So, and they pretty much had all the details right of what happened here, so. From some, I guess from somebody who was there. Yeah. You know, how... How different is history if Dynamite doesn't refuse to show up unless the hearts are who get the belts? Because uh, remember, Vince wanted to be Sheik and Volkov. Yeah. Which does suggest transitional champs. Yes. Because they are not at the level the belts are being used at this point. No. So, and that probably, that probably would have been Mania, a Mania title change to the Can-Ams. So, presumably, once it had to be the Hearts, Vince figures, okay, let's see how this goes. 
as opposed to just switching the belts when he planned, I guess. Yeah. Something like that. Um, but also, what does that change for Bret Hart going forward, though? Like, <sighs> I don't know if the Hart Foundation ever get the tag titles. Um, otherwise? Maybe. Maybe later in 87. Maybe. It's possible. Maybe. Also, I mean, the timing was good in that Vince probably was starting to take a shine to them around this time because it's what the Saturday night's main event before this where they start wearing the pink gear well they had their own Coliseum video coming out well that's after the champs and stuff but I know but still but still you know I wonder when that was on the books probably once they get the tag belts but I get what you're saying are they going to be long term champs etc cetera, etc cetera. They, they end up holding the belts through November yeah, they have for a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure what happens with otherwise. But oh, what I was saying, though, because, you know, the story Brett tells in his book is that Vince sees them wearing the pink. And he's like, stop right there. You are never wearing anything else. That color is you. <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> he's right. Vince was right. Yes. All right. Uh, also, the Danny Davis heel referee skit came to its climactic end during that same taping. A ref was at the raid during the Tito Santella squash match. Davis came out, tried to interject himself, and W figurehead Jack Tunney, President Jack Tunney, came out and wound up firing Davis as an official. Later in the taping, Dave believes in the third hour, Brett and Jim defending the belts against the Islanders. But before the match, Jimmy Hart introduces Davis in wrestling trunks as the newest member of the Hart Foundation. Davison got involved in the income, pushing Tom off the top rope. Although the Colonel Beers Jimmy snook angle and he crashed to the floor and lost the match. Dangerous Danny Davis, the wrestler, Bix. Yes. Which people didn't know he had been wrestling anyway for years. <laughs> As Mr. X. Mm-hmm. And try to remember, do I have his book or not? Because the assumption we always had was that both as a referee and then as dangerous Danny Davis was that he had the long sleeves so people wouldn't see his tattoo. But I got to think at least as a referee, that was more about thinking the referee should look clean cut. Because, yeah, it's the mid-80s. People aren't necessarily going to spot, oh, he has the same tattoo as this prelim guy that's barely on TV, you know? Yeah. But I think I think it's a little more interesting that they had him do it as dangerous Danny Davis. Then again, the idea was probably always that he was going to go back to being a referee eventually. Oh, yeah. Which... Oh, yeah. There was never an on-screen explanation for that. Was there just in the magazine, I think? What, him going back to be a referee? Yeah. Um... Hmm, trying to think. I think there was. But he doesn't turn babyface or anything. No. He just quits being a wrestler... It's about being a ref and and asked to be reinstated as a referee to guess to give law and order. I don't know. I mean, it, there's yeah, there's no babyface turn, absolutely not. But anyway, all right. Um, the Pirates Pits all revolved around building heat for the Andre Hogan match at Rest Hold Mania Three. It's all uh -huh. official right now. Andre is a heel, advised by Heenan. Hogan wound up at Miss Challenge for a title match after an incident where Hogan bleeds. Oh, that's all it well, says. <laughs> well, we'll we'll have the build up, the first two Piper's Pits in just a few minutes to build this up. 
Yes. Um, real quick from Googling, I found an old Wrestling Classics thread where someone asked about the Danny Davis thing. Doesn't seem like there was a vignette, but someone found, although the video's not there anymore, his first match back and on commentary, Vince and Jesse talk about how he was reinstated on a promotionary period and, re- and excuse me, surrendered his wrestling license. Yeah. Barry Darso, a.k.a. Crusher Khrushchev, was sent to Florida Tavis, team with Bill Eady as the demolition tag team. So apparently Randy Cully would go back to being a moon doggy. Not really. <laughs> he's a master assassin. No, he's a... B- b- sha- no, oh, he's sha- a- shadows aren't yet? Not yet. He's the master assassin, though. The Is assassin. It- just like he was on the affidavit he signed about Hulk Hogan doing drugs or whatever. Yeah. That was signed as the assassin. Mm-hmm. Shadows come later. But yeah, he's an assassin. It That worked out the best. <laughs> you know, Randy's a great guy and everything, but Demolition wouldn't have been what they were without Barry. Now, do you think there's any way Kali could have camouflaged his look better? I don't even think it's the look. I, mean, I think it's Barry's promo stylings of Smash. Well, no, the reason... He wouldn't have matched his promo. No, 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 no. I agree with you on that. But the reason the change was made was that at both of the tapings that he worked, the fans kept chanting Moondog at him. Well, I mean, that didn't help the cause. I mean, that's what he said in the lawsuit is why. Yeah. I, but... I don't know. Like, I don't know if there's much he could have done. Because he looks like Moondog Grex is half a demolition. Well, that's what, I mean, that's what Detroit demolition looked like. (laughs) I mean, do you think, though, he could have changed his hair like Darso did or something? Well, it's kind of easy for Darso because he had no hair. Right. He just grew hair out. But if he had cut his hair or anything, I... I don't think so, because at the end of the day, like he testified in the McMahon trial, they recognized my nose. Yeah. All right. Uh, Andre the Giant was special referee for the Ronnie Piper Adrian Adonis match at the Nassau Coliseum on January 30th. Andre favored Piper at the star, but after five minutes, Piper swung Adonis to the corner, running to Andre by mistake. After 11 minutes, one of Adonis juicing, Piper argued with Andre, and Adonis rolled Piper up, and Andre made a count, but had his hand on Adonis's back, keeping it on top of Piper. The fans booed Andre heavily as he went to the dressing room. Interesting. Well, that's a cute way of doing something like that. So. It's not something you need huh. to do either. No, but they're trying to get Andre over as a heel, starting that way, and that's a way of doing it. If you're not going to have Hogan or do something there, update on Jim Neidhart's legal situation is that the trial scheduled for March 16th, and if convicted, Neidhart could be sentenced to a maximum of 20 years in prison and fined at 275 thousand dollars. See, that's the other thing that goes into the Hart Foundation story here by getting the tag belts was. Why would Vince want to put the belts on them with Anvil's uncertainty in his legal situation? Be, I guess because he completely believed everything Jim said, and that's why he was willing to pay for his lawyers and back the eventual lawsuit and everything. Yeah, I, yeah. Which is the beginning of uh, Jerry McDevitt's association with the company. But this wouldn't happen in the day's time. If, this, if, this, if, a, if a talent did this today... They'd be off TV immediately. They would be, you know? yes. And that I I don't think the outcome would be different with all the conflicting 
witness testimony. And no, stuff. but 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 you know everything today in today's culture is we have to if somebody gets in any type of perceived trouble, we gotta get them out of here. Well, so it would be a bigger news story today than it was then. Oh, absolutely. So, all right, Jamie twenty four from Los Angeles drew sixteen thousand fans for the same match with a bloody Hogan winning by DQ. Yeah, there's something else before this that I guess wasn't from our week that you didn't say what match it was. Uh, it well, hold there. on. No, let me uh, pull it up. I'll tell you real quick. Uh, let me get the my results here. Uh, all right, Jamie twenty fourth, L.A. Uh, Kamala. Okay. Oh, that makes sense. Because they had worked um, where they worked the night before. They weren't in the Cow Palace. They were somewhere else the night before. But anyway, so there you go. It's Kamala. They were uh, in... Uh, it was Cow Palace. Oh, no, they weren't in Cow Palace. Who was a Cow Palace? Uh, no, they were in Chicago the night before. Isn't that something? How they were in Chicago and then had to come to Los Angeles while the other crew was in Daly City at the Cobb Palace. It could have came down that way. I, I, I've, there's been some really weird routing yes. I've been seeing lately and doing results. So crazy. Uh, you see why these guys were fucked up. Yes. Um, Jake went to double count out with Mr. Wonderful, real lousy. Billy Jack over Dino Bravo. Rick Martell and Tom the Mineral Zinc. Because <laughs> Zinc is a mineral. Over the Dream Team. Killer Bees over Orton Morocco. Ron Bass over Corporal Kirshner. And Pedro Morales over Nick Kaniski. Nick Kaniski here. Right before he goes to AWA. Then we go to Victoria, British Columbia on the 28th. In front of 6,000 fans sell out as Ron Bass went to a draw with Nick Kaniski. He was Bayface there. Uh, Butch Reed over Pedro Morales. Killer Bees over Morocco and Orton with a switch with a mask. Billy Jack over Bravo by countout. Jacob over Corporal Kirshner. Crowd boot Kirshner heavily. You got to wonder why. Uh, Orton North went WDQ with Tito. Can-Am's over the Dream Team. And so the only guys who put on the entire card were the Martell and Valentine. And they know that Sandor Kovacs was local promoter in British Columbia, which he had been for years on his own. As a as a territory promoter, so there's that. Twenty ninth in Providence, Rhode Island, drew a disappointing fifty five hundred fans. As Hogan pinned Jake the Snake Roberts, two stars. Harley Race over Tony Gurria, dud sub for j- junk food dog and missed three days during the week. He's lucky on two accounts. One is there's a lot of time invested in him, and two there's a lot of merchandise invested in him. Honky Tonk Man over Tito Santana for an object, two stars, Killer Bees of a Dream Team, and other prelims. So Hogan and Jake only drawing 5,500 bigs. I forget. Was that the first match or the return? I think it's this the return. The return. One of two markets where they ran that match. Providence and Winnipeg. Yeah. Look at that gate and see why. Well, how did, the, how did the first one do? Oh, I don't know. Top of my head. All right, Long Island, and that's like I'll see him. Only drove 10,000 on 30th. That's not terrible, though. It's two-thirds house. We saw Piper take, to Dave's knowledge, the second pinfall he's taken ever since going to work for Titan in 1984. 
with the Adonis pin and with Andre. Wow. Uh, so the other Chicago. one would be the uh, strap match with uh, Snuka. Yeah. In St. Louis. Harley Race yeah. Harley Race over Steve Offy. Jake over Tony Gurria. So from Junk Food Dong. Blackjack Mulligan over Bundy by Countout. Killer Bees over Dream Team. And Tito over Honky by disqualification. So there's that. Oh, Hogan uh, Jake won on December 30th. So quick turnaround, too. It was uh, about 9,000. Oh, so they did half the house. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> no. Uh, St. Louis on the 31st drew 6271, $56,000 gate. Pretty impressive since Flair and Wyndham, night four, drew less than 2000 We'll have more on that later. Results uh, saw Jake over Piper by countout when Adrian and Donaldson interfered. Steamboat was WDQ with Savage when Piper and Donaldson both interfered. Martell and Zinko over Dream Team in a good match. Tito uh, went to a 20-minute draw with Paul Lorndorf in a very good match. Adrian Donaldson over SD Jones. Dick Slater over Moondog Spot. Lady Pop over the Red Demon, Jose Luis Rivera, and Brad Rangans over Jimmy Jack Funk. And in Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens, 10,000 fans. As Steamboat and George Amos Steel over Randy Savage and Honky Tonk Man with Steamboat and Savage after leave off the top rope. Adonis over Dick Slater, good match. And then with Adonis' trunks being pulled down, and he walked around the ring like that for quite a long time. Dave said, that's disgusting. Billy Jack WQ Hercules, Can-Ams over Sheik and Volkoff, plus Tama pin Jimmy Jack Funk, Brad Rankins over Iron Mike Sharp, Sika over Haku, one of the worst matches ever, and Tino Bravo over Lanny Poffo. Now, Dave has his mind, uh, has his opinion on why Piper's not drawn with Adonis. Dave said, I've come to the conclusion the reason Piper's matches aren't drawn has more to do with Piper's foes. Don Morocco and Bob Orton Jr. have no heat, and people simply don't want to see Adonis. Even Hogan and Adonis matches drew relatively poor crowds. And if Hulk can't draw sellouts with someone, that same person surely can't draw anything to headline the lights of a Piper or a Steamboat. I mean, Dave's got a point, you know. I think that's fair. It, yeah. I mean, Morocco and Orton in 1986, that's, that's gone. Um, Adonis, people, it's just that character. That character was something that people didn't want to pay to see. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, it's understandable. Duggan debuts on February 17th. We'll go a few with Kamala and get a heavy push. Well, that would have been a natural feud. <laughs> half of that happens, but... Yeah. Would have been a natural feud. And that was, you know, we it was after our week that we knew it was a talk that Duggan and Kamala was going to be a WrestleMania match. Well, Kamala's gone by then. Or no, he's not. Wait, what am I talking no, about? No, he's not. He's just no, out of the just... top mix by yeah, then, I guess. Him and, him and Orndorff are, don't, are the ones that don't have come out in their mania matches, yeah. So. That actually also, because, you know, on that Patreon show, we talked about how the Orndorff was a, you know, being held off in case something happened to Andre thing doesn't really make sense because Orndorff was already, Orndorff was already taking time off before and after the show. What if that's why Kamala's not on the show? Possibly. Hogan's most recent big drawing house show opponent. Possibly. The New York State Athletic Commission has joined Ontario's SF SFCA in banning Jake Roberts' snake from the act. Does that last? I, I've seen him with uh, Damien in New York. I could have swore I've seen him with Damien in New York after that. So, Or maybe he brought the bag out and never showed the snake. But right. I'm pretty sure I saw Damien in MSG. Hmm. 
After I feel like this. I have too. Yeah. Dave's still certain Jake will be turned babyface just to know how soon it'll happen. He's working his heels as much as babyfaces these days anyway. Answer at the oh, next TV tapings. <laughs> yes. But the signs are there. Yes. It's coming. All right. Well, here we go. So let's go to the January 24th episode of Superstars where Roddy Piper has a big uh, uh, presentation to make on Piper's pit to Andre the Giant. And Hulk Hogan decides to uh, make his way out there. Let's go to the clip. Okay, quick question. Is this the first time Andre's been at TV since he got reinstated? It's the first taping, yes. Okay. So there's that on top of everything else. Yeah. As you are very deservedly so, you are a tremendous athlete, and I am proud to be part of giving you this award. I'm sure that you must have some things to say to your many, many fans. Well, yeah. I got only one thing to say. I'm more excited about this, I think, than you are, Andre. You know, this is about time, man, that they recognize the greatest athlete of all time. Not only is he undefeated, man, Andre the Giant is the greatest role model. When I had to pattern myself, I wanted to be like Andre. His sense of fair play, the sportsmanship, the way all over the world he's been kind to all the little kids. Andre the Giant is number one in WWF. I'd like to thank you for recognizing in my book the real champion of superstars all over the world. That's Andre. I'm sure that I'm sure that. Package of modesty you'll ever see. How about Braun Gray? Great. All right, I'm. It's the actions at the end that make it. Piper at the end makes this whole thing because one of the world's. Okay, Piper at the end. Um, it was auto playing. I thought I had auto play. Piper does this thing where he's motioned to the camera like the cut, mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's when he starts, you know, he's him and Hogan about to start having a conversation. And so they're, they're playing it up like, okay, this, this, this wasn't supposed to happen like this, but here's Hogan. Andre's trying to talk. Here comes Hogan out here. And, and, and in Hogan's mind, he's doing what he thinks is right. He's come out to give his support to Andre, his friend, but he interrupts a mid sentence. Yes, exactly. It's the way he does it, where he comes off as an asshole. Yes. <laughs> and Andre's standing there at first, you know, and he's like, okay. And as Hogan keeps on talking, Andre's facial expression starts changing. Mm-hmm. He looks more somber, and then he just puts the trophy down and walks off. Yeah. So the nonverbal stuff in this... It's just as important as the verbal stuff. Yeah. All right. So let's flash forward a week. January 31st, where Ryan Piper's out again, and Jason Ventura joins him, and uh, Andre's trophy is still sitting out here. So let's go to the clip. <laughs> well, look at that. Seems to be the year that only you have. All right, pause. It's not. For some reason. <laughs> The only video I could find of this that was worth a damn has a skip in the middle where Piper said, it does his introduction and it skips to Ventura coming out. You know, and what has happened here is worse than Watergate. It's worse than Iran gate. It's worse than all of it. And the body has this knowledge like the crown. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Get to the point. I'm getting to the Alright, pause, 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 pause. Alright, I didn't think it was gonna be that bad. So this is worse than I thought. Alright, so I'm gonna give you another clip that's the quality's not nearly as good. We're just gonna keep rolling, you don't want me to cut that out? No. Okay. I'm not I'm like I'm not like you. I'll keep going. <laughs> when you make mistakes you wanna cut and redo it, I just keep going. Yeah. Alright, so, so mm-hmm. I sent uh, so I sent you another clip. So um now this is going to be the back to the beginning, and again the quality is not as good as the clip I originally had. Oh, this it'll so, be fine. Yeah, it'll work. So here we go. For some reason, it's stirring up a lot of controversy over this particular award. I don't know why he's creating so much hassle over him. I thought the awards were given very nicely. However, I would like my next guest. Jesse the Body Ventura, the Mike Wallace of professional wrestling. I'd like Jesse the Body Ventura to come on out here if he wants to. Wonderful, just wonderful to see you. And for some reason, for some reason, and I know myself, you see, you, I, I, I know that you're a fine athlete and, and, and you've you confused a lot of people, but brother, this ain't Punky Brewster. You ain't pulling nothing over me. For some reason, you're stirring up a whole lot of, whole lot of stuff over these two awards for no particular reason, and I, for one, don't understand it. I'm not stirring up nothing, Roddy Piper. All I'm saying is this, look at there was a reinstatement that took place a while back of Andre the Giant, right? Yeah. Now this reinstatement, right away it was fishy to me. I mean, Andre wasn't even at it. He didn't even attend. Have you heard him talk? Bobby the Brain, he didn't want to. 
Now you know they're bitter enemies. And yet, Andre gets reinstated. Now that caused me to wonder just what is going on here. And Jesse the Body Ventura, nobody hides nothing from me. And I went out and I found out just what was going on. And you can't believe what is coming down, what the body knows is going to happen. Okay, wait a second. I am interested. Tell me exactly what you found out. Well, it's like this, Piper. You know when you got a big jewel, like a crown jewel? That only, yeah, that only you have. Yeah. It's knowledge, you know? And what has happened here is worse than Watergate. It's worse than Iran-gate. It's worse than all of it. And the body has this knowledge like the clown. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Get to the point. I'm getting to the point. I know, you don't, nobody else knows, and I ain't talking. <laughs> my life, most of the people that are full of bull, that's what they say to me, that they don't want to say nothing, or if they're confused, they say, I ain't gonna tell you! Oh! Come on, Jesse! Tell me! Hey, I'll tell you what I do want to talk about. I want to talk about Andre the Giant and these trophies. What about him? What about him? Look at him! Here's Hogan's trophy! It looks about one foot bigger, don't it? Yeah. Andre's looks a foot smaller. Yeah. Now you take a look at the records, man. Andre the Giant, 15 years, he has never been beaten. No. 15 years. Okay. Hulk Hogan has been champion for three years. And believe me, he has ducked some people. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I've got a lot of dirt through here. <laughs> Yeah, he might have. Look at this one. This one's real gold. What about this one? Feels like rotten old lead or something. You know, Piper, it's obvious. You and I have a difference of opinion here. Yeah, it is quite obvious. A big difference yeah, of opinion. Yeah. So what the hell do you want to do about it? Well, I'll tell you what. There's two ways we can settle it. What? The first way is you and I step into the ring. I thought it was Andre gets the trophy, Hogan gets his trophy the next week, then this one, then the one with Heenan. 
No. So when is the one where Hogan, Hogan gets the trophy and Andre says, there's a long time? The first one. So that was the so that was at the previous taping. No, it was at the previous Piper's Pit. Same no, no, taping. No, 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 no. The previous Piper's Pit was the one from the 24th. So you mean the one that aired on the 17th? Yes. Taped in the Meadowlands, the first, uh, first okay. one. So which of these are at the Meadowlands? All except uh, for all the three, one that came uh, in? All these right here. The 17th, the 24th, and the 31st. Okay. And then Tampa starts the 7th, which okay. was the Heenan one. Tam okay, so that's what I was confused by. Okay. So yeah, the one thing that... So yeah, the one we don't have here that's already happened was the first one where Hogan gets his trophy for being champion for three years, and Andre seems kind of frustrated because three year, cause he's been undefeated his whole career in the WWF. And Hogan's been champion for just three years. So... And then Hogan comes out and on the one we played first and, and doing his little thing there. And Andre's like, fuck this guy, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting how they plant that seed with Heenan, too, which I feel like is not your usual Vince booking of this era. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Patterson or what? Well, here's the thing about that what we just played. Uh, it made me want to see Piper and Jesse at WrestleMania. Well, as we know, Jesse's match at WrestleMania is going to be him and Dangerous Danny Davis against Vince McMahon and Bruno San Martino. I know, but there's the thing. If if Jesse was going to wear WrestleMania, why not call the Audible and put him with Piper? That's a, they must have realized pretty soon that he couldn't wrestle, though. Well, it's a, it was a Piper match. I mean, we all saw how Piper and Adonis went. I don't think it would have been a big deal for Jesse to work that style of match. I mean, given the style of match that Jesse worked before he had the lung issues, I don't you you could say the same thing though. Yeah. Alright, now now the second clip I had here, Bix, mm -hmm. which you're about to play now, this is later on in the show where Piper goes to Hogan to uh, tell him about the next week's Piper's Pit. So let's go to Piper meeting up with Hogan in the back. I believe we're scheduled to see next week with Andre and Piper's Pit. Yes, here's the Hulkster. Uh, yo, uh, Hulky Baby. How you doing? <laughs> what do you want? Well, boy, I I got it right, right up to here. I got you in it. Do you see? I went on the pit and said that next week uh, you had yourself a head-to-head -head discussion with uh, Andre the Giant. Because of Jesse Ventura. I don't know. I just lost my head and I said you'd be there. Will you be there? Be there? Will you, you be there? Yeah, I'll be there. I told you you'd be there. I told you you'd be there. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Weird segment. <laughs> yeah, okay, two things there. One, Hogan's attire here, where he is wearing his usual tank top underneath a red Hulkamania uh, workout gym shirt. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what Piper or whoever's choice. Why? Why does he play it here like he's heel Piper at the beginning? I don't know if he's heel Piper or he's. He's like, oh, oh shit, what have I done, Piper? I mean, I, I, I said this man's going to be there. I'd bring him there, and I'm, he's like, oh, uh, hokey baby? Uh, <laughs> but you get what I need I'm a saying, favor. Though. It's like he's around Hogan, and he's reverting to being Hill Piper. And then he kind of turns back into babyface Piper a little bit when Hogan agrees. 
I don't say he's heel Piper. He's like scared Piper, I guess. I guess. Because <laughs> Hogan, I mean, you saw Hogan was acting around him. I mean, they've already been like teaming up and yeah. stuff. But Hogan, like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but yeah, the whole the whole booking of all this stuff is just uh, it's so interesting to watch how they how everything played out and all this different times for for World Wrestling Federation. Yeah, and we close with this. How's this for a laugh? On the Twin Cities TV, when Hogan was welcoming his buddy Brad Ring into the WF, Hulk says something to the effect that Brad now no longer has to waste his time beating up wimps. And then he had to rub Brad's face in the mat to get his head on straight. Wow. <laughs> Real shooter, brother. <laughs> Hogan could take care of himself, but Brad Rangus is Brad Rangus. <laughs> yes. Uh, funny stuff. All right, let's go international now, and we start in Japan, Land of the Rising Sun, and All Japan Pro Wrestling. Had a big show on January 24th in Yokohama for 4,550, as Riki Toshu and Yoshiaki Yatsu retained their international tag titles down in Jumbo Shiruda in Tenugritro. And 1756 was reported to Dave as another contender for match of the year honors. Toshu Pintenru, what Dave was told, was a super match. Because this match ended with a clean pinfall, knowing Japanese booking. Dave says a virtual certainty that Shiruta and Tenru will win the belts from Choshu and Yatsu on February 5th in Tokyo when they are rematched. And he is correct. And these two matches both are amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Maybe not as good as the January 86 matches, but that's an unrealistic standard. Yes. Uh... Let's see here. All right, so the best of the 80s. Um, all Japan set. January 28th, 86, finished third. Um, let's see here. Uh, February 5th, ended up finishing 19th. And this match ended up finishing 26. No, February 5th, 86 was 19. Uh, 87 finished 29th. And twenty four finished twenty sixth. Okay. And of course, and the uh, yeah the uh, one twenty eight eighty six match was like I said finished third. So, yes, the last great Choshu matches in all Japan. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, so great shit. All right, the rest of the show at Yokohama Bunker Gym on January twenty fourth. Only results we have listed here. I don't have complete results. Uh, Gorge Rumi of Shirohara and Rush Kimura over Giant Baba, Great Kabuki and Toshak Kawada. Kurt Henning, cool Kurt Henning, and Frankie the Thumper Lancaster went to a double countout with Takashi Shikawa and Tiger Mask Masawa. Hiroshi Wajima over Tiger G Singh by disqualification. No. And then Toshu and Yatsu uh, retain their titles. Then the next day in Tokyo, around 3,200, doesn't say Corkin or not, but it's in Tokyo. Adam Hamaguchi and Kunio Kobayashi went to a double DQ with Masafuchi and Tiger Mask Masawa. Giant Bob and Great Kabuki went to a double DQ with Rush Kamara and Hirosaido. Then Tenru, Jumbo, and Wajima defeated Ashurahara, Gershurumi, and Kilakan. And then Riki Choshu and Yoshiaki Yasu defeated A. Sheik, Jerry Stubbs, and Tiger G. Singh. A. Period Sheik. 
Gotta love it. But so was A supposed show... to be a name, or was it? He's A Sheik. <laughs> okay. Uh, the story from this show was Baba, who turned 49 this past week, suffered a leg injury on this show and is now out of action. Well, that sucks. It's stuff like this that you know makes him realize it's time to start slowing it down. So, but he's still uh... still wrestling though, and he still doesn't results. And I forget, is this what brings his Cal Ripken streak to a close, or does he still not miss any matches? He doesn't miss any action because he's on this next show. Yeah. Uh, January thirty first at Hachinoi before saw fifty two hundred. Had Choshu and Yasu beat Jumbo and Takashishikawa in a good demonstration. As good a demonstration of tag team wrestling as you'll see on this side, the Crush Girls. They said, there's no doubt in my mind that Choshu and Yasu are the best tag team in wrestling right now. They were that fucking good. Jumbo and Tinder is right behind them. They were that fucking good. And and it wasn't just Ricky Choshu. No. I mean, Yoshiaki Yatsu, at his peak, is definitely... One of the five to ten best wrestlers in the world. Yes. From, I guess, what we'd say, 83 to I, I go 87? 84. Because he comes back late in 83. And, he, I mean, he shows the signs of it. But then 84, when he really gets involved, when he really becomes Choshu's, you know, young gun. Because Choshu's still teaming Adam Hamaguchi. Yeah. For most of 84. But then, yeah, when he becomes the young gun, then, yeah, absolutely. Uh, also on the card, Tenru kept the United National title, d- d- pinning Frankie the Thumper Lancaster. Anyway, actually beat him by submission with the, te- with the uh, Texas Cloverleaf hold. About that. <laughs> the Funk family's version of the Scorpion Deathlock. Is that Plus Masafuji. Uh Well, I mean, they were the one, Dory was the one that would, you know, popularize using it, yeah. Okay, I didn't realize it. Um... Masafuji kept the World Junior title in the Dusty Rose style finish, beating Kunio Kobayashi when Kunio Kobayashi actually closed on the referee, then put Fuji in a chicken wing crossface. The ref sent them for the bell, and everyone said it was a title change. Not so fast, my friend. Instead, Kobayashi was DQ'd. Dave saw the last three minutes of the heat was tremendous, so he said it was a good match. Also, sure, Har and Tiger G. Singh beat Greg Kabuki and Hirsch Wadsman by DQ, and Wadsman hit the referee. Haran tried to carry it, but maybe it's a star and a half. Rush Kimura, Killer Khan, and Gorsh Rumi over Tiger Masamasawa, Giant Bob, and Haru Sonoda when Kimura pinned Sonoda. And Kurt Henning, who looked tremendous in every match Dave saw this tour, team with Nelson Royal and Aishi Jerry Stubbs, what a team, to beat Shinichi Nakano and Osama Tiranishi and Anamo Hamaguchi. Hmm. Kurt Henning, Jerry Stubbs, and Nelson Royal is a six-man tag team. Sure. Yeah, I like that. All right, here's, uh, let's go to New Japan. Here's the latest on the Choshu Tatsumi Fujinami perspective match. As mentioned here last week, at the beating Kurt Henning, Choshu challenged Fujinami. Surprisingly, in the opening of the Antonio Noki's February 2nd TV show, announcer K- uh, Wakamatsu, not KY Wakamatsu, uh, acknowledged that Choshu had issued a challenge and that Fujinami wanted the match on February 5th on a Noki Sumo Hall show. Of course, that wasn't going to happen since Choshu wouldn't work on an Anoki card. There are two stories going around. One is that Fujinami and Choshu will work a one-match card similar to the uh, Fujinami King Kimura match last month, and neither All Japan nor New Japan will promote it. The other and more interesting story is that on March 26th in Anoki Live 2, that Anoki's foe will be Choshu, who may be the only person able to draw an even bigger gate than Anoki and Brody. 
Inuki Brody idea appears dead, although many in New Japan office are for it. However, Sage Sanguchi not only is adamant against dealing with Bruiser Brody, I wonder why that is, but apparently his contact friends of America told him he will not deal with Brody for booking any time from World Class either. In addition, Brody's asking price for the Inuki match was apparently $100,000. Last time in Russell, the gate was 465000 if you recall. Yeah, I wonder why Sage Sanguchi wouldn't work with Inuki. I mean, what were Brody again? <laughs> it's not like those two had any issues. Jeez. Um, I watched all this stuff last year. This whole thing. The whole Choshu leaving all Japan and the whole purgatory and then eventually being able to be on New Japan television. And uh, it was definitely interesting, to say the least, um, how that was handled. This is also during the period where, where New Japan's television is going through their major changes. I mean, yeah, it was an odd time. But when Choshu comes back, when he, I mean, when when you finally start seeing this stuff, it's like when he first when he first is on television, he's in the crowd. That's when he, he returns and he's in the crowd, and he does a thing with Fujinami at Sumo Hall. That place is fucking molten. And then when he finally comes back into the wrestling, holy shit! I mean, it's an amazing deal, but it's also it pisses Kira my head off. <laughs> and uh you guys that uh, were going crazy over the uh thing that happened on the Noah show. Okay, the Okada Kiyomiya thing. Yeah. Which was great. I love that. I love that whole angle there. Watch Toshu Maeda, <laughs> the, the 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 real shoot kick from uh, November 1987. Yeah, if Kiyomiya was trying to shoot on him, shoot on. I mean, they did a great job doing a Japanese style this might be a shoot angle. But yeah, great. It, but it was an yeah, angle. But it was an angle. Yeah. Choshimaida was not an angle. And the thing was, it was odd to watch because they kept they tried to restart their you know, get the match going again. Yes. And it, and Maeda actually got in the ring and was they were trying to work a match again, but then it just it just broke down. And they had to stop it. Yes. As Choshu's eye was swelling like fucking crazy. Yes, and the fans were chanting the Japanese equivalent of shoot, shoot, shoot. Yes, it was Cork and Hall, the yes. inside of fans. Well, yes, but yeah, I mean, the, if, if Kiyomiya was trying to shoot on Okada, it would not have been that short kick like that. Yeah. It, you know, Maeda just straight up went into Choshu's blind spot and hauled off and kicked him in the eye as hard as he possibly could. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Uh, Chris Benoit from Calgary has been wrestling here the past few weeks. Benoit, who disappeared from Calgary in the summer when Owen Hart started, was the hot new rookie to Owen's debut made expendable. And he went to Japan and has trained these past seven months under Noki and Fujinami. And should be a pretty hot wrestler at this point. Doing hot moves? Oh, I'd say he was a hot wrestler. <laughs> yeah, he was. Dynamite Chris. And, uh, yeah. I'm now in my New Japan watching... Now he's firmly back as Pegasus Kid under the mask. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he was the deal. Yes. Um, I don't think he went to the dojo because of Owen, though. 
not because of it, but the timing worked out perfectly. Yes. For him to leave Calgary. It was the best possible time for him to be out of the territory. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Crowds have been really poor for this tour, although Buzz Sawyer's working real hard every night. Fans in the promotion are very impressed with his work rate. Which here is work-rate. Mm-hmm. And Buzz? Buzz looked really damn good on this New Japan tour. Absolutely. Yeah. Anoki, from what Dave was told, has not been wrestling well this month because his stamina's down. He turned 44 this month. That's actually because of the diabetes getting worse. And which is why Anoki quits being a full-time wrestler in 88. Yes. Much of the current hype revolves around the Japanese debut of Crusher Bam Bam Bigelow. Even though this series has been generally not drawing well, Bigelow's debut card on January 30th in Kobe drew a sell of 2580 as Bigelow teamed with Cuban Assassin, Dave Sierra, and Tony St. Clair and got DQ'd against Anoki, Keiji Muto, and Shiro Koshinaka. After the match, Bigelow gave Anoki the nuclear splash from the top rope. All right, full results of this show. Open a match, Masaharu Fanaki over Akira Nagami. Two men who were just on uh, Great Muda final bye-bye this past weekend as we're recording this. One of, <laughs> one of whom wrestled Muda. There you go. Masuro Chono and Nekisano over Shin Hashimoto and Hirokazu Hata. Daryl Peterson. Yeah, big Max Payne over Sumon Kim. Well, and he's in the do- he was in the dojo class with Dynamite Chris. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Peterson. Uh, Nobitakata over Black Cat. Tatsutoshi Goto and Kantaro Hoshino over Kanek and Rekobra. Who's Rekobra? Oh, we've done this before. I can't remember who it was, but you've asked me this. I think every time Rekobra's come up on the show. <laughs> and it's not Cobra? No. Oh, God. I mean, if I dig it up. Rekobra's a guy from... Uh, uh, shit. I'm looking. I'm pulling up page match. It is Rekobra. <laughs> No, this is a newer Ray Cobra um, from Mexico. Uh, Hecatombe. Okay. So, there you go. Uh, Black Bart over Seiji Saguchi. Yoshiaki Fujiwara and Kazuo Yamazaki over Buzz and Brett Sawyer. Osama Kido and Akira Maeda over George Takano. And Umanaseki Ueda by disqualification. Barbarian went to a double canna with Tessumi Fujinami. And then the main event. Yeah, Bigelow. Let's let's continue because we have more Bigelow here. All right, on the February 2nd TV show, the same four and threesome about Anoki, Muto, and George Takano ending when Bigelow pinned Takano. Larry Sharp and Cuban Assassin Hill Anoki, and Bigelow once again splashed from the top ropes. Actually, Bigelow wasn't in much during the TV match, but he's doing exactly the right thing to get over. Chasing fans all over the arena, making the most of his time in. He pressed Muto over his head, walked the ropes, and nearly threw him into the front row. Larry Sharp did a great job managing the ringside in that match, although the fans probably couldn't understand his English taunts in Anoki. Dave was surprised they used Sharp because he expected they would have Wakamatsu manage Bigelow. Well, we under, well, I think we pretty much know why that was. Uh, well, I mean, let's talk about this for a second. So if I remember right, Bigelow is getting 10000 a week, Sharp is getting 2500 to work as his manager, and this ends up being the beginning of the end of Bigelow and Sharp's business relationship because Bigelow felt... That was Sharp getting paid here as the manager was also bullshit for Sharp to take his 10%. Yeah. And Bigelow was great here, and he was making a difference as a draw. You know, pretty impressive oh, yeah. that he's doing this as, you know, a rookie, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And Sharp was good on those promos on New Japan TV, too. Yeah. 
Oh, Bigelow got over. Absolutely. Stayed over. Yeah, he, he does not get enough credit for how big a star he was in Japan. Yeah, I've been watching his 90s stuff. Right? During that run where he's flip-flopping, you know, with the, the guy Jin are going to New Japan and All Japan. And when he works All Japan for the first time, those fans went crazy seeing him for the first time in All Japan ring. So, Too bad no yeah, one told he, him not to count his money in front of Baba, though. <laughs> yeah. In a super match on the February 2nd show, Akira Maeda and Nobuka Takata down to Sumi Fujinami and Shiro Koshinaka in about 30 minutes when Takata literally knocked Koshinaka out with kicks to the face. Koshinaka was stre- stretched out, which built up their February 5th junior ma- match for the junior title, in which Koshinaka won when the referee stopped it when Koshinaka was twisting Takata's broken fingers. We'll talk about a great fucking feud. <laughs> Nobuka Takata and Shiro Koshinaka. Hell of a feud for that title. I mean, between. The junior title feud, and then their tag team feud with, you know, mainly Maeda being Takata's partner, and then Mudo usually being Koshinaka's partner, but sometimes, you know, other people like Fujinami. Like, you, I feel like we don't necessarily think of those two, we probably should think of them as one feud and not two feuds. Like, you put those two together, Jesus, like, because those tag team matches are, I think, maybe... I mean, they used to be super hyped, but not as much anymore. Like, I feel like they're the best New Japan matches that maybe no one talks about anymore. Well, it's sad that, I mean, New Japan, 80s New Japan stuff, you know, well, a lot of stuff that doesn't get talked about is, is just fantastic. That that back half of the 80s, you know, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff going on there. The really famous tag... just falls through the cracks. Yeah, is on World, I know. But, you know, they never really added that much more archival stuff to World, and because TV Asahi's so strict about copyright, it can be fairly <laughs> difficult say. to find so much of this stuff for most people. You put a damn put a damn screenshot up and they'll take your ass down. You know, they, they're just ridiculous. Did you see Funny. the thing uh, the other day where, oh, who was it? Was it, um, oh, what's their name? Ciaran, or however they pronounce it on Twitter? that they had been, I think, doing videos on, on on Twitter, I forget exactly what, but using footage from a New Japan YouTube upload and always linking the New Japan YouTube video. And when the copyright takedown for the tweets came in, uh, New Japan, well, TVSI technically was saying that the uh, poster had violated the New Japan World Terms of Service. Even though they had totally ridiculous. That's why I'm scared to put anything New Japan related up on Twitter. I mean, even screenshots, old stuff. old stuff, old stuff too. That was one of the reasons I stopped using the Liger with the with the pandemic mask avatar, because they were cracking down on screenshots sometimes. Yeah. All right. Uh, Brett Sawyer missed several bouts with a stomach inflammation, and Champagne Jerry Morrow was a referee during this tour. I'm curious and how that was. happens. I, I, yeah, he referees a, a decent amount in each fan in the in, in 80s. So, yeah. All right, JWP. In the new women's promotion, a feud was started between longtime tag partners Jackie Sato and Nancy Kumi. They broke up in a tag match at January 24 of Corcoran Hall and opposed each other in a tag match February the 8th. The new group, which doesn't have TV, isn't doing very well because their wrestlers have no marquee value. That's no marquee value? <laughs> That's one way of putting it, Jackie I guess. Sato. 
I mean, granted, she is not. She had not wrestled in. What? It's been more than five years, right? It's been a minute, yeah. But still. So okay, so I'm trying to remember. of the women who had aged out of All Japan Women, who is like the starting roster of the original JWP? Sato, Kumi, Devil Masami. Who else? Oh shit! Uh, I don't don't remember. Yakoda's not back yet, right? No, I don't think so. I really do want to see more original JWP because it seems like an interesting promotion. I know there's a little bit on YouTube. Yeah. All right, let's go to Canada now. I go to Montreal. Steve Strong, Steve Salvo, has returned from a legit leg injury and is now babyface. Strong slap manager Leslie Floyd Creechman. Son of fans manager Eddie Creechman, and was then jumped by Sheik Ali, Stephen Petipa, and Richard Salon. And the grudge match the next week with st- between Steroid Steve and Ali. Ali pulled a no show, so Steve beat Pretty Boy Chuck Sims with a full Nelson. Steve's leg is so bad he hobbled around the entire match and only did two moves. Ali's gone now, so the tactiles he held with Charlon have been stripped. They're scheduled to match shortly to fill the vacant belts with Dan Crawford, Philippon, and Armand Rougeau against Charlon and Kendo Nagasaki. Eddie Creechman's back management as well has just brought in, of all people, the famous Sheik. Well, naturally. Of Detroit fame, all 60 years old with an artificial hip. It's rumored that Farhat will be replacing Leo Burke as the booker here. I don't know about that, but yeah. So, if, by the way, if Eddie, Eddie Creechman's around, the Sheik's going to be not too far behind. Yeah. The Creechmans were always supposed to be Jewish, right? Because Eddie yeah. had the star of David and stuff. Yeah. Because why do I feel like there was a t- Where did I? I feel like I read something at some point that said Eddie at one point was supposed to be Palestinian. But that sounds wrong for many different reasons. Um, yeah. But speaking of which, why do you do this to me, Chris? It's time to go to Creechman's Corner with Dan Crawford and Armand Rougeau. So let's go to Leslie Floyd Creechman doing what he does here, which is entertain me and not entertain you. The third Rougeau brother. Yep. The less fabulous one. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, for another week of Creechman's Corner. I have on my left Armand Rougeau with his tag team partner, Armand? Dancing Dan Crawford, or Dangerous Dan. What do you call yourself? Dan Crawford will do. Oh, just Dan Crawford. Yes, sir. And you're just Armand Rougeau, right? Yeah, that's good enough. No middle name, right? No, we don't need any. Okay, well, you guys are here because I, I know that you want to sign some contracts. Listen, let's get to the point here, okay? I don't like playing around and have secretaries call me at home and meet the, the creatures in the office. I don't need well, that. It's, it's, I just want to see some action going on. It's a show, it's a show with high ratings, and as you know, the tag team championship belts are suspended because Sheik Ali was supposed to fight Sadistic Steve Strong. He didn't have the heart to show up. He didn't have enough guts. The promoter took it upon himself. Your guy. Wait a minute. The promoter took it upon himself. He suspended the belts. And now in the near future, there's going to be some kind of tag team tournament. And I suppose you're going to tell me that you're the number one contenders. You're yes, right. Sir. I'm always right. I'm always right. You're right how do you, sometimes. How, now how, you're right. How would you guys do single action? Now, I'm not talking about holding each other by the hand now. Hey, first of all, whoa, whoa. We don't hold each other by the hand. And second of all, 
Single matches, we'll sign at any time. Tag team matches, we'll sign at any time. Right. But, but I, I noticed in the past you've been using karate, back kicks, you're, you're, you study the martial arts, but I have a new partner with Richard the Magnificent Charlotte, Kendu Nagasaki. I brought him in from Japan. He's a third dan black belt. He studies Kung Fu. Listen, listen. You've been right. in a lot of tough teams before, a lot of tough teams. I got to admit that. Listen, they came up against us, and why is it I'm still here, and we're all your tough teams? So you can bring in your Kung Fu expert. I'm not scared of them. I've never been scared of one of your guys, and I never will. I think I heard you in the past, you were saying that you're underrated. You're underrated. We are underrated. You're underrated. We really are. You beat every team here. You beat every so team. I've fast. been in Montreal. I've been underrated every time I go wrestling. I beat everybody that I go through, and I don't get the, the, the pride for it. I don't get anything well, I for think, it. my opinion, I think you're overrated or X-rated, whatever you want to call it. Well, let's see. Bring contracts here. Well, we'll you're asking me now. You're, you're asking me now. Single, you know, team. You know I don't have no contracts over here right now. You know that. So that's, is that the reason why? This week, I'm going to get in touch with the promoter. I'm going to have some contracts made up. I'm going to have my secretary get in touch with both you, Dancing Dan Crawford and Armin Rougier, Dancing Dan. And I'll have you guys come down to Creechman's Corner. I'll have you sign a contract any which way you want. But I'd like to see you guys in single action. You mainly against Hindu Nagasaki. Bring your man. Bring your and man. you against Richard Charlotte. Anytime. Hey, listen. Anytime, if man. we have to prove ourselves like that, we'll do it anyway. You, you can bring anybody you want. Ladies hey. and gentlemen, this is the uh, end of Creechman's Corner. That's all i got to say. We're going to sign contracts in the near future. <laughs> so does Richard Charland know either Richard Charland or Richard Charland? <laughs> See, even he's French Canadian and he's not saying Richard Charland. <laughs> I just love how they're all sitting side by side together at Leslie's desk. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so public access ish. That's why it's so funny to me. Just looking at it. It's just a it this is something that should like should not be airing on a a wrestling television show. Looks like they should be having Glendora on to talk about her lawsuits against Cablevision. <laughs> I've talked about a chat with Glendora before, haven't I? I think so. Let's see if she still All has right. her YouTube channel. <laughs> well, Montreal on February first at the Paul Save Center, we had Leo Burke over Yvonne Lavoudere, Rocky De La Sera over Reynald Dubé, Tiger Jackson over Pancho Boy, Le Bro, the Hangman, Gino Brito Jr. and Tony Gatillo. Over Rocky De La Sera, Gillis Poisson, and Pretty Boy Chuck Sims. Sweet Daddy Siki over Sunni Warcloud. Richard Shalon went to a WQ of Armand Rougeau. Dan Crawford of Akendo Nagasaki by his qualification. And Abdullah Butcher and Steve Strong DeSalvo over Hercules Ayala and Bruiser Brody by his qualification. Well, that's a match. Yes, and Glendora still has her YouTube channel. Uh, last updating it one day ago, the video currently has eight views. Oh, well. Doesn't look like she talks about lawsuits against the cable company anymore, but now she still has a funny hat, and it looks like she vlogs constantly, um, and her videos rarely get more than 15 views. Stampede Wrestling. Edmonton, Alberta on January 24th. Biff Wellington and Carrie Brown beat Ken Johnson and Jeff Wheeler. The Cuban assassin over Mr. Hito. 
Duke Myers over Bill Kazmaier by count out. Ron Ritchie over Ted Arcidi by disqualification. Ben Basarab and Gama Singh over, oh, excuse me, this is a Bermuda Triangle match. Ben Basarab over Gama Singh and Viet Cong Express number ones, three way. Hiroshi Hase and under the mask. And then the Owen Hart retained North American heavyweight title, beating Muckin Singh by DQ in a Karachi death match. There are DQs in a Karachi death match? Obviously. All right, January 30th, uh, Victoria Pavilion in Calgary. Biff Wellington over Jeff Wheeler. Kerry Brown and Duke Myers over Ben Bassrab and Mr. Hito. Oh, come on. Use their proper team name. What, Kerry Brown and Duke Myers? Yes. Go ahead. Masters of Disaster. Yes. Ron Ricci over Cuban Assassin. Bill Casmar over Ted RCD by Countout. Gomic Singh over Vietcong Express number one by DQ. And Muckin Singh wins the North American Airway title, beating Owen Hart. Is this the uh, Kazmaier RCD match with the lovely uh, bumper telling the couch potatoes not to skip this match? Uh, probably, yes. Because I don't think they had a lot of TV matches with each other. Yeah. All right, Edmonton on January 31st. Biff Wellington over Ken Johnson. Mr. Hito and Ron Ritchie over Kerry Brown and Duke Myers. Cuban Assassin. This is not Jose Vado, Cuban Assassin, by the way. Over Ben Bassarab by disqualification. Bill Kazmaier retired RCD by countout. Gama Singh or Viet Cong Express won by DQ. And then a title versus title match, which is funny because of who's involved. North American heavyweight title versus mid-commonwealth, mid-British commonwealth, mid-heavyweight title. Muck and Singh, fighting for the mid-heavyweight title, uh, defeated Owen Hart, but the title did not change hands, of course, because Muck and Singh is too big. So it, wasn't, it was just champion versus champion for the North American title. Pretty much, I guess, yes. So, uh, there you go. Owen Hart, Muck and Singh, quite the long feud in Stampede. Omar, Omar Hart. Yes. Let me ask you something. Do you think mid-heavyweight was a better name than most of the other ones we're used to, other than cruiserweight? I don't think it would be better now, because mid has become a a term. But then? Yes. I think it was better that it's not diminutivizing it at all. It's not light heavyweight. It's not junior heavyweight. Yeah. Um, So wait, let me just see. Yeah, Owen Owen is the champion until he loses to Gama in August. Yeah. All right, um, Mexico, EMLL. We have Arena Coliseum on January 27th. They have the Mexican National Welterweight Title Tournament. Ooh. Quarterfinal matches, Simbolo over Franco Colombo. Climax 2 over Sombra Poblana. Agudo Soloterio over Baby Richard. Solar, number 2, over Bagasso, number 1. Then we got semifinals, Simbolo over Climax 2. Solar 2 over Agudo Soloterio. And Simbolo over Solar number two to win the tournament in the title. Then the 30th, the Friday night show at Coliseo, we have Eruption 1 and Mahia Azul against Neron and Rocco Valente. Wait, wait, we have both Climax 2 and Eruption. <laughs> well. So wait, does, can I, is there an Eruption 2 as well? <laughs> are both of those men so. super talent, talented, more so than their partners? <laughs> Well, there's they're attack, they have tag partners, yes. Uh, Esotijo and Limus. Was there also Danger. an Orgasmo Multifacetico? No. Climax okay. was one of the war overalls against Danger and MS2. Well, he had to be contained. 
Irma Aguilar at Montevideo Lobos uh, <laughs> defeated. Well, they advanced in a tournament for the uh, Mexican National. Well, excuse me, the Distrito Federal feminine title. Uh, Irma, Irma Gonzalez, Layaki, Estrada Dorada, Mujer Savaje, Esmeralda, Karina, Marina Ray, Masuki Wong, Tania, Satanakia, La Diabolica, Sanin, Uma, and Senora Merte. Okay. Mrs. Mrs. Death, <laughs> um, which Irma, Irma Aguilar won uh, beating Martavilla Lobos to become the first champion. I'm assuming this is either a Battle Royal or a Torneo Cibernetico. It was a quasi-tournament, whatever. I don't know. Oh. Uh, Herodes, Pupitecas, and Tanisman over Lantis, Lafiera, and, and Herodesco Jr. And in a minute, Los Bucaneros, Hombre Bala, Jerry Estrada, Perota Morgan over Los Infernales, Masacre, MC Uno, and Satanico. Jerry Estrada was a Bucanero? He sure was. Absolutely. He was the, he was the original version. And then we have uh, the February 1st show at Arena Coliseo. Calimaco and Ray David went up against El Volcanico and Pegaso Dos. El Doberman and Zarustra went up against Danger and Franco Colombo. La Chicana, Maria de la Candelaria, and Mitsuki Wong went up against La Rona, Maria de Rey, and Satanikia. America Roca, Limos, and Quasar went up against Emilia Chalice Jr. and Tony Arce and Volcano. And Mugger, Super Alcon, and Tony Salazar went up against Massacre, MSU Uno, and Satanico. Was Quasar's dad Panasonic? No. Da, 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 da. Uh, Nakapan, January 28th. We have Enrique Nakapan. Rey Reyes, Bias España, Spanish bias by disqualification. You got the Blanco and Lobo Rubio. No, over it's, it's, wait, where did you copy and paste? Blas, Blas, yes. España, excuse me. Yeah, because like I was going to say, I. this isn't an OCR thing or anything. So it's, it's like yeah. an I. It's an L. He uh, got the Blanco and Lobo Rubio over Aguilar de Plata and Gallego. The Panteras over Tony Arce and Volcano, which had a rematch next week. Vianos, 1, 4, and 5, uh, B. Adandi, Gaddafi, and Scorpio. Miss Gaddafi, Sofa Kajos. Vianos took the first took the first and third fall. I wonder who Gaddafi was. Ooh. I wonder if it was uh, Killer Khalifa, Libyan, or same guy. Let's see if Lutruwiki says. How did, what's the spelling here, since I didn't copy it? K-A... Oh, yeah, I... I Sincerely doubt that. Oh wait! Oh, it came. It came up in the suggestions when I started typing it. Um, no idea based on what they have here. Um, but he was part of Los Terroristas with Arafat, of course. Yeah, it's probably some masks. Yeah, they have. They have masks. Yeah. Okay. All right, Arena Nesa. We have Brillante uh, going against Corto, El Falcon, and Halcon 78 against Rezado Ruiz and Rudy Reña. The Temerarios, Black Terry, Jose Luis Feliciano, and Shua Guerrero went up against Blackmans, Kendo, and Silver King. Bianos won four and five, went up against Dr. Biden Jr., Spanto Jr., and Luis Mariscal. And Yoda Santo defeated Flama Izul in a Mascara Contra Mascara match. Hmm. And then Torreo for UWA, El Torreo de Coach Caminos, Takapan. We have Briante and Libertador over Camorra and Ray Tony. Bronco, Rocket Satana, Rabana Garcia over Baby Sharon, Rosado Ruiz, and Rudy Reina. Bianos, 1 4 and 5 over Babyface, Cesar Valentino, and Scorpio by disqualification. Uh, 
Mr. Nice from Delamuerte, Negro Navarro, Signo Tejano over Solar, number one, Abdullah Tamba and Ultraman. Fishman of Sangre Chicana over Paraguay and Viano Tercero by DQ in the main event. Straight falls, Rudos got a foul in, then the Tenecos got the second fall. They got caught doing it, so there you go. So uh, there's UWA. And then we go to Puerto Rico, WC in Caguas on January 25th at Cancha Baja Teco. Gustavo Mendoza, Gala Mendoza against Supermedico, Jose Estrada. Big Red against Bob Heffernan. David Gold and Killer Khalifa. Well, we know he's on Mexico against uh, the Renegade Warriors, Mark Christian Blood. Miguel Perez Jr. defend North American title against TNT. And Chiki Star and Jason the Terrible went up against Invaders 1 and 3. And then Ponce on January 30th, Coliseo Pachin Vicente. We have uh, David Gold against Supermedico. Dory Fulton Jr. against Invader number three. Killer Khalifa and TNT against Mighty Igor Miguel Perez Jr. Stan Hansen against Tony Atlas. Uh, Galan Mendoza and Bob Heffernan defend North American Tag Tiles against uh, the, the Renegade Warriors. Jason the Terrible defend the WC TV title against Invader number one. And then a steel cage match. Carlos Colon against Chiki Star. Hmm. So there's your double uh, C cards for the week. All right, that is it for the first half of the show. It's halftime, so it's a great 1987 commercials. We'll come back where we'll go back to the U.S. and to the territory scene where we have uh, a lot of news coming out of Florida to talk about as Lex Luger spends his last week there. We got uh, Continental in Memphis having some uh, interesting tournament situations here. We got uh, UWF. We got a whole lot. So all that more after the break. I'd like to thank the guy who changed the straw and made my high seat better than before. Yeah. Who put the straw in my high seat blue train? A new cool straw that wiggles and bends. A new long straw in my high seat blue train with vitamin C for me and my friends. Who was that man? I'd like to say his name. He made my Of these best-selling supplements, Centrum has more nutrients, more than Theragrin M, Myonate, Within, One a Day Essential. Centrum outnumbers them all, and Centrum has calcium, some don't. Centrum, from A to Zinc. If you own one of these, or one of these, you should really buy one of these. The Oster Food Processor Accessory, because it can turn each of these into all of these, as quick as you please. This is a stately English manor, home to the highborn throughout the centuries. It has 118 rooms and this superb Adam fireplace. Everything is sumptuous and expensive. This is master blend coffee. Smells and tastes equally sumptuous, expensive, not on your nelly. Which is why I choose master blend over stately English manners. It not only costs less, it's a lot easier to keep warm. Master blend. It only tastes expensive. No little cinnamon gum freshens breath longer than Big Red. So kiss a little longer, hold oh, tight a little longer, be close a little longer, longer with Big Red. That Big Red freshness lasts right through it. Your fresh breath goes on and on. While you chew it, say goodbye a little longer, make it last a little longer. Keep your breath on happy freshness. Watch and shop CBN, the department store you come home to. 
It's a better way to shop. That's why we're inviting you to browse and shop CVS. For great bargains on a wide variety of brand name merchandise. In-depth product information and entertaining demonstrations. It's fun. It's convenient. We're so sure you'll like what you see. That we're giving you $5 free. Good towards your first purchase. Tune in to the Cable Value Network. Today. The Centennial Saga continues. From out of the West comes a different breed of man. Man's unfit. Never make it to where we're headed. A man of courage, determination. I own this land, and you'll pay the cross. What? A man of true grit. Dennis Weaver, Gregory Harrison, and Alex Karras. James A. Michener's Centennial continues. 105 Eastern on the Superstation Matinee today. We now return to Where Were You When the Lights Went Out? All right, we're back. Hope you enjoyed those great 1987 commercials. As we pivot to the halftime seven of the show, where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. And yes, part one of our two part series, a year, look at a year in the life of Paul Heyman, 1993, will be up this week. So, um, Everybody look look for that. If it isn't up already, who knows? It might be up already by the time we record this. I don't know. Depends how everything goes. But it will be up before the end of the month. So uh, everybody get ready for that. It uh, It's quite the show. If you are a fan of Paul Heyman or Eddie Gilbert, then this is the show for you. If you like all the stuff we've done in the past regarding those guys, then you'll love this one. So, yes, yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's well worth the five dollars a month to uh, go deep into the mind of Paul Heyman here, and uh, it's very Paul Heymany. I mean, the interview he does with John Clark is one for the ages and Wrestling Flyer, and then some of the other stuff he gets talked about, including the uh, beginning of the future WWN. We talk about that as uh, they're in their planning stages with Jim Crockett, so. Uh, yeah, extremely interesting show. So five dollars a month gets you access to that, and all the other Patreon shows that we've done on Patreon.com/slash Between the Sheets. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, of course, we just did 25 years of Montreal. That's our last shows. Um, we had all kind of shows in the last six full years plus of the Patreon. So there's a ton of audio content for you. And five dollars a month, I mean, you can't beat that for all the uh, hours of uh, listening pleasure that you get off of that. So uh, jump on that, folks. And if you for those you to have, tell tell your friends of yours that hey, if you're looking for a new podcast to get into this uh, deep dive into all kinds of different topics, then go here. Do that. Dollar a month gets you access to the uh, Discord and Thanks in the segment, which we'll do in just a second. $25 allows you to pick a show for the week like Andy Linton did last week with the show we did for 1996. And he was very happy with how that turned out, he told me. So that's great. I'm always glad to uh, have satisfied customers. So if you want to be part of that, have two shows in mind, just in case the show that you want to do originally could be something that we've done in the past because we've been doing the main show for over seven years now. So things could have happened that you may have forgotten about. And uh, let us know why you want to do the show. And uh, we'll make sure everything fits in timeline-wise. Of course, there's the 
30-day rule of getting that information to us, that's an effect. 10-year rule, of course, that's always an effect. Wednesday to Tuesday of the year we're in, that's always an effect. So uh, follow the protocol on the Patreon website, and we should be able to get your show taken care of. Then $50, if you want to do, uh, do that, that gets you a chance to sit in for a segment of that show that you pick. And then 100 you can sit in for the whole show. You don't have to, but it's up to you. At patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Big so I think this week is our new and or returning patrons. Just one this week, because it's that time of the month. Well, we got a new show coming, so yes. Yes, yes. As we would like to thank Michael. Thanks, Michael. Michael. So we thank you uh, for joining us. We thank all you uh, other patrons that have been there from the beginning. We thank the ones that have left and came back. We thank you. We thank the we thank all of you that have left and uh, may be coming back. We thank everyone and anyone who has supported us through our six plus years of the Patreon. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. And always can't forget this annual $50 and 40 cents. If you want to do an annual payment at the $5 tier. Yes. At the $5 tier. Absolutely. But the 16% off technically applies to every tier. Yes. So we can't forget that. All right, Bix, IWTV. What's going on with them? So let's see. Um, did see that on demand they added a show from C4 last week because they're not able to live stream at their venue. And uh, that one looks pretty interesting, if just for the main event, which is uh, for the C4 title, uh, Kevin Blackwood defending against Stu Grayson on a show that also features... Uh, our dear friends, Violence is Forever, Dominic Greeny and Kevin Koo. Top 10 PWI uh, Tag Team 100 uh, ranked Violence is Forever. Defending both their IWTV and C4 tag titles against the team of uh, Hawk Stepper. So that's on there along with some of the other usual, you know, names on so, C4. Uh, so the team name is what, Hawk Stepper? Yes, so basically, like, here comes the hot stepper, but hot yes. stepper, I guess. Thank you. So I, said, I was hoping that was her theme song. Yes. Yes, and uh, uh, seeing some of the name, seeing some of the names on the card, Isaiah Broner, Jocelyn Navarro, I'm guessing there was a car coming from the uh, Ohio area along, potentially. Well, I guess Dom gets a flight now, but... <laughs> um, you know, starting to see more of a uh, AIW Academy graduate presence more and more on these C4 shows. Plus, you got some of your Canadian names that you don't always see on uh, American shows, like Vanessa Craven, Lufisto, although she has a, uh, she does have a work visa now. But uh, that's C4. And then as far as live stream stuff coming up this week, most notable one, I guess, would be the West Coast Pro Show coming Saturday at 10 Eastern uh, from Sacramento, which... I don't know if they consider that a B-Town or what. Definitely less fly-ins than usual. Uh, your top two matches, Masha Slamovich against Brooke Havoc, which I think is the semifinals for their women's title. And Speedball Mike Bailey versus Viento as the top matches. And there are some other like more well-known regulars, but they're in like undercard tag team matches. Like Lee Moriarty's teaming with The Conglomerate against Jack Cartwheel. Starboy Charlie and Kevin Knight, Kevin Blackwood and Alan Angels are teaming up against Creature Feature. So, 
less of your fly-ins than the usual big West Coast Pro show, but still a pretty entertaining-looking show on paper there. So that's Saturday night at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern for the show that is called Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Going head-to-head with the Royal Rumble. <laughs> well, part of the Royal Rumble. Well, no. No. Mm-hmm. Next set. This, no. Rumble's already happened by the time people hear this, Chris. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Sorry. I got, yeah. I'm in. We're talking about yeah, February 4th. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yes. Forgot about that. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, if you're not already an IWTV subscriber, use code BTSPOD. And sign up, and we will get a referral fee for each month. You to say a paid subscriber. So, that's independentwrestling.tv code BTSPOD. All right, today's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. Even if you use incognito mode, your internet service provider is storing your browsing data and many times even selling it. But Private Internet Access can help. Private Internet Access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic through one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private Internet Access comes with easy-to-use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a rock-solid privacy policy, open-source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mac. If you sign up for Private Internet Access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. We offer you uh, these packages here, and you get a monthly package of $11.95. You can go for a yearly package of $3.33 a month. Or thirty nine ninety five for the year, or you can take advantage of the best deal. That is three years plus four free months, a dollar ninety eight a month equals up to seventy nine dollars for three years. What a bargain! So, uh, yeah, take advantage of that. Why should you do that? Because that's so much more inexpensive than virtually every other VPN in the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of Private Internet Access 30-Day Risk-Free Challenge. Try it up 30 days, see if you like it. If not, you can just return it for a full refund. So you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn BPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we will go back to 1992. As we will be joined by our friend Charles, lost for person only, who has not been on in quite a while, but we're glad to have him back on. And we will have uh, some interesting stuff to talk about as Kip Allen Fry is uh, digging his hands in the WCW and uh, bringing in some new talent and some things about the change and the announcing side and the wrestling side. So we'll have news on that. We got Dave Meltzer, boots on the ground in Florida for the uh, hearing on whether Florida will become a state re- regulating pro wrestling. So we'll, we'll talk about that. And we have World Wrestling Federation. We got the big WrestleMania press conference there's on television during our weekend. And Sensational Sherry has a new charge that she brings out. So we'll have that and uh, all sorts of stuff from international, from uh, the US indie scene and more next week or between the sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R, show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, you been taking it easy this week? I don't think I've seen anything from you. I mean, I've been doing stuff, and it hasn't been anything particularly 
noteworthy that I've done, I think, this week. Okay, just I just haven't seen you put anything out there, so that's why I was... I don't tweet everything. I mean, some of this stuff is just to pay the bills. I mean, it's my job. <laughs> I'm not tweeting out every podcast uh, quote post I'm doing. Well, hey, you got if you don't get it out there, people won't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You got to put. You got to advertise. You it's know? the it's the biggest wrestling news site on the internet. I don't think I need to. I don't know. You wrote for Fivefold. Fivefold ain't the biggest. <laughs> well. I didn't know you were for uh, Figure Four Online either. They, they ain't the biggest either. What do you think is the biggest in traffic? It's Wrestling Inc. That's not a secret. Well, good. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm glad that's I'm glad that's the, that's what it is. <laughs> why Why do you think that under this new ownership they're actually able to pay people their full time? <laughs> I mean, I just see more from other people. That's why you know Wrestling Inc. I don't see nearly as much of as far as uh, uh, social media engagement as I do. Fivefold and these other sites like that. So, mm. ProWrestling.net. So I guess I guess, and I'm, you know, I'm just being honest with you. This is what I see. I'm I'm guessing that mainly maybe a lot of the wrestling ink traffic comes from people that maybe don't use social media, search and all that. Yeah, probably a, a more of a Google. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting question. Um. I mean, do you want me to pull up similar web and see how each of these compare? I mean, I don't. I mean, it is what it is, but that's what I'm just thinking because you know, and it's just you know, you see what you see because hey, there's there's a lot of people that get their wrestling news from Facebook, you know, from well, Facebook page and just whatever gets shared and all that. Yeah. Um. All right. So, so I pulled up similar web. Well, similar web. Which do you want me to compare it to? I guess Fivefold. That's the first one I mentioned. For what it's worth, when I click the thing and it suggests them, we get WWE.com, eWrestlingNews.com, F4WOnline.com, BleacherReport.com, KHIDeSeats.com, WrestlingNews.co, TheSportster.com, the former Pro Wrestling Sheet, uh, WrestlingNewsSource.com, Fightful.com, and WrestleTalk.com. So, all right, we'll click Fightful. All right. Um, at least as far as global ranking, Wrestling Inc. is way ahead, number 6,338. Fightful is number 48,104. That's but in you know all what, websites. Though, That's not category specific. You know what, though? And more I think about it, I think the thing about, about Sean is a lot of stuff that, that he puts out there, you know, gets out on these other aggregate sites and people right. will go to them. Before they go to his. Well, because it's well, all the paywall stuff, he doesn't put up on Fightful until a week later. I know, but I'm saying, yeah, so they'll go to the aggregate sites, which would get more traffic. Right. So, but. But Wrestling Inc. has been the biggest one for quite a while. I think, I think for a while it was WrestleZone. And, you know, WrestleZone also has the Yahoo syndication, and I don't know how that skews it. But, um,. For like when Raj still owned it, I know for a while the claim was Wrestling Inc. was the biggest independently owned, which I think was a way of saying that WrestleZone was the biggest, and then Wrestling Inc. was the next biggest. But I think it's been the biggest for a while now. Well, that's good. <laughs> Again, there's there's I mean, eWrestlingNews.com. I mean, I I've never even heard of that website. 
I've heard of it. I was surprised that that was in the suggestions. Um, so, so, I mean, there's a lot of that that comes from Google. I mean, it's got to be. Yes, yes. Um, and, you know, you know, Ringside News has slash had their whole thing where they bought other Twitter accounts to share links with the idea that people would go through those if they already maybe had a distaste for Ringside News or whatever it was. Like, PW Stream is just owned by Ringside News, for example. That's why everything they tweet is Ringside News. I don't follow them, so I wouldn't know. But that's that was a whole thing when people found that out. Um, so also, I'm guessing know. I'm guessing like WrestleZone isn't listed here because there's also the whole thing where like it and SureDog like got moved to being part of Mandatory.com under Crave. So it's not like everything's on the you know WrestleZone.com domain anymore. Um. So anyway. Well, I'll tell you what, these days I'd be scared to death to work for any website that's owned by some by some conglomerate company. As to what's going to be going on lately, especially with Vox Media slashing SB Nation and more and more stuff going on. I mean, it is. Yeah. Oof. I mean, we'll Sports see. media is a tough deal to get involved in right now, I would say. Fingers crossed. Well, yes. Yeah, Good. I'm just saying. <laughs> Like, I, I was reading a lot of sports. I mean, there's sports guys. I follow a lot of sports media guys on Twitter, and they're just, they're all worried. <laughs> I mean, they're worried that things are, you know, it's going to get worse and worse and worse. So, especially after the thing that BuzzFeed announced today as we record this. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, you didn't see all that? Oh, mm. my God. Uh, BuzzFeed is going to start relying on uh on what is it uh chat gpt to write content not the, to, for the listicles and stuff not the or, new original reporting i presume uh it says right now they remain focused on a human generated in the uh, journalism in the newsroom but they're going to go with more of that for their other things but there's going to be workers getting fired. Oh, this is for quizzes and stuff, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. So they've already cut 12% of the workforce last month. Did you see and, the and, thing and, recently? And, 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 okay. in do, and, do, and in doing that, after they announced that Chat GPT was going to create, start creating content, their stock rose 146%. Of course it did. <laughs> um, and this is right after there was this whole thing about like a study that showed how bad some of the ai generated cnet stuff is and inaccurate like important things like getting how interest on loans works wrong and stuff like that yeah but here's the here's the thing a lot of this is coming down to the fact that the more our society you know changes the the more the we age and I see this every day, working with younger people. The less they fucking read. Well, I mean, that's just that's just a fact. I mean, good luck. I mean, only only time you'll get kids to read these days is if you're. I mean, it's school related shit, and they hate doing that. Everything's about videos, and everything's about you know short videos at that. TikTok. Um, I know a lot of people get their news from TikTok. Um, this it's just short short video clips and stuff, you know. That's where that's sadly where we're going in the world. 
the days yeah. of you know the days of long form media, whether it's written or even in video form, it's, it's just not good. It's not good. I mean, I don't that's get just it. Where it's quicker, especially if it's something short. It's quicker to read. It's so much faster to read the thing. It's, it's, it's you got to have all the bells and whistles. I mean, you got to have all the bells and whistles. I mean, you just put something, some text on a piece of paper or text on a website. I mean, that's boring. I need to see what's going on here. It's all about the the visual. It's why I mean, it's it's it. Why do you think that WWE to bring it to a wrestling thing? Why do you think WWE's increased their their uh, their cuts over the years? Their uh, camera cuts. They're falling in line of video games, action movies, and stuff like that, because that is where where we're at as a society. You know, I mean, it's it's just it's crazy to think about, you know, all the stuff that's happening. But um, yeah, it is what I mean. It is what it is. What can we do? You know, mm. just do the best we can. Now, real quick before we go. Uh... I think you're going the same place I was wanting to go. Yes. Um, as we record this, AEW did their tribute to Jay Briscoe on Dynamite the night last before. night. Yeah. yeah, last night. Um, Mark Briscoe wrestled Jay Lethal. Of course, the Briscoes and Jay Lethal have been, you know, tied together for many, many, many years in multiple promotions. And, um, if you have not seen it, which I'm pretty sure most of our people, if not all of our listeners, probably have, but still, if you have not seen it, go find that match because it is some of the best wrestling television I've ever seen in my life, just for the emotion of everything. And, you know, Mark Briscoe doing what he did a week after his brother passed away in, in a tragic car wreck, you know, unexpected. To go out there and do what he did, you talk about mental toughness and everything and just spirit. I mean, what an amazing, amazing individual he is in so many ways. And um, Jay Lethal went out there, man. He was very emotional. But, you know, I think, you know, so like Caprice Coleman, Mark did a thing with Caprice Coleman on Twitter, a short video from the airport um, Thursday morning. And, um, Caprice mentioned in the video that everybody came to that show with a mentality of, you know, we're going to console Mark. We're going to be there for Mark. And he was like, well, Mark, it, it turned around. Mark did that for us. You know, Mark consoled us, you know, yeah. and it's just amazing. Uh, what an amazing man and what an amazing family. And, you know, thank God that Tony Khan was able to, convince Warner Brothers Discovery to let them do that after what happened the previous week, you know, not being able to do pretty much anything. And we got a nice video package, very nice video package, very well done. Yes. Video what a on wonderful job by Zane Decker on that. Yes. And, uh, then you had the, uh, the match itself and, uh, yeah, just a fantastic, uh, Fantastic show of Dynamite for uh, for Jay, and the ratings were great for that. You know, they they went back over a million viewers again. I'm curious to see what the quarter hours were. So I hope the quarter. I mean, I hope that was the best quarter 
yeah. of the show because uh, they deserve it. And uh, I'm telling you, it's just it was a it was a touching special moment for those of us that were invested in the Briscoes as wrestling fans and everything. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was great stuff. Uh, what were your thoughts on on everything? You covered a lot of it. I mean, I just know, especially from, you know, my reaction, seeing what other people's reactions were to like, because it seems like everyone was getting kind of emotional at all the same things. I have no idea how Ian and Caprice were able to hold it together throughout. Ian Ian Riccoboni, our dear friend who's uh, done this show in the past, and we hope to have him on again soon, Um, and Caprice Coleman. I mean, right now, in my opinion, they are the best wrestling announced team in the business. And yeah, Excalibur sat in with them, and Excalibur did a great job in letting them be in control of the of the match yeah. and commentary. And yeah, they did a fantastic job. And um, I'm, I was so proud that they were able to have that moment for themselves as well. And yeah, I mean... What can you say? And Paul Turner was referee. You know, Paul Turner goes back with all that. I mean, and of course they so brought much... in Bobby Cruz to ring announce. Bobby Cruz as well. I mean, there's just so much there. And, and then you know, the the bulk of the roster came at the end of the show on the stage to do a tribute to uh, to Mark and Jay. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was great stuff. And uh, Mark said he's he's going to continue. <laughs> He's going to carry on. So mm-hmm. that's great to hear. So I can't wait to see uh, what's next in his future. But uh, the funerals this weekend and uh, all, you know, everybody should right now, you know, hope for the best for, for Jay's daughters. Who's, um, they're, they're recovering. They're getting better as we go along. And um, yeah, man, prayers for that family to, uh, you know, to go through, uh, what they're going through and, and come out of it as a uh, stronger people. You know, I, there was a, you know, my brother died, my older brother died, my oldest brother died, you know, in November, different circumstances. He, you know, it was something that we know he's been dealing with for years. So when you have a shocking death like this, it, it's different in a way because of that, you just don't expect it. But just the fact that Mark did that in that short of time to go out there and do what he did. Cause I mean, you gotta remember what Brett, when Owen died, I mean Brett. Brett didn't wrestle for months, you uh, know, in a other, little over four months. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you got, and then you got other people, you know, and it's understandable. Hey, everybody has their own ways of of handling. I mean, this dude goes out there a week later and just kills it, has an amazing match. So, yeah, I can't, I, I can't uh, display the amount of respect I have for Mark Briscoe right now. Yeah, I was always a huge fan of the Briscoes, but I mean, Mark Briscoes entered another level with me after uh, watching that show last night. Yeah, and one thing struck me too at the end of the show when everyone came out on the stage. You know, it's it didn't seem like they like other than maybe who was right in front, like Daniels. It didn't seem like they were consciously trying to focus on putting XROH people out there, and yet it was still mostly XROH people, just because I mean, of the they, makeup of the roster and everything. Yeah, I mean, the Bucks were out there, and you can see how emotional they were. 
Um, there were other people, you know, around, but, but yeah, yeah, it was, uh, a great tribute to, uh, to Jamin. So, uh, rest in peace, Jay Briscoe. You're definitely gonna be missed. All right, let's go back to the territories here in the U.S. And we start with Deep South Wrestling, Jody Hamilton's outfit. And we have a title change during our week as uh, Ranger Ross defeated The Flame to become the new Deep South Heavyweight Champion. Which is fun. It's funny that, that, that Jody Hamilton worked both as the Assassin and The Flame here in his, in his own little uh, promotion. <laughs> and and doing an angle where they were both like doing things at the same time. If I'm not mistaken, I think there actually was a match between the Assassin and the Flame. So, okay, question. When they Dirty Roads, the... Dirty Roads played one of them. When they do the deal where Pedicino is trying to expose that he's the Flame. Mhm. Was that in Deep South or was that on Pro Wrestling this week? Well, it well, it's both. How do I put both. this? Was he was he both in his in Deep South at the time? Yes, that's more what I'm asking. Yes. Okay, yes, it's both. It wasn't yeah, a direct consequence of pro wrestling this week, so I'm kind of no or anything like that. No, it was Deep South because Deep South had already started. It had just kind of got started by that point in time, and it was that. Yeah, it was that thing. But he's probably doing it in the first place because Continental TV is airing in Atlanta. Yeah, but he's not Continental then. But it had been with him as Flame, is what I mean. Well, it had been. And that's not that long he, ago. It's only a few months ago. Yeah, but he well, he wasn't working Continental anymore, other than he would come in maybe for a shot or two at that point in time when that happened. But this is this is Ranger Ross really starting to become a deal in Georgia. Uh you know, being a champion here, and he's going to be champion off and on throughout the rest of his run. This promotion, then he'll jump the the Blackwells Southern Church of Russell promotion in '88. And uh, I mean, he was a, he was a big deal in the Georgia indie scene. You know, for the for from '87 '88 until he joins with the uh, NWA in '89. Absolutely, becomes like a protege of wrestling too in a way, and yeah. They really got him over. Good talent, too. Ranger Ross. Good talent. All right, let's go to Florida. Change the rest for Florida. What's really interesting right now is watching how the Florida and Continental promotions are basically saying they aren't part of the NWA anymore and are loosely acknowledging Kevin Von Erich's world-class title as a world title. Memphis also could be part of this deal as the promotion is starting to team up, not trying to beat WF as much now as they're going after JCP. Yes. <laughs> this is the era where we have the shift where instead of the WF is our competition, now it's Jim Crockett. Yes. Is is affecting us more than WF is. Hmm. And the main reason why is they can't get date they can't get dates on Ric Flair. Now, why are they going with world class over AWA at this point though? Well, let, let me read this real quick. The problem that may spur from this is that Fritz Finer will want to run this whole thing and force them to do business his way, meaning keeping his boys on top. Bruiser Brody, though, could be the voice of reason as he will be the booking liaison. Brody's in Florida at this time, as we're about to get into. Yes. Um, is Brody booking world class yet? Yes. He... Okay. He's already done the Lose Leave Town angle. Red River Jack just debuted on television. Uh-huh. 
Um, in fact, the, uh, the Red River Jet video debuted during our week. We would play that, but it's on the W Network, so that would be dubbed. <laughs> also, it's just music anyway. But... It's music anyway, but yeah. Um, it's so just he, the fact he, that it's the fact it's the fact that I think that world class it's Brody involved mm. and it's closer. Dallas is closer than Minneapolis. Yeah, it's easier for the talent to go from Dallas to Alabama, Florida. You know, whatever. If if this was going to be a thing, which it wasn't. <laughs> but 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 as we see though, it does shift though to becoming where they announced the AWA champion later on. Yes, although Florida obviously is not part of that because they end up being uh, absorbed by Crockett. But they're kind of leading the troops at this point in time, which is funny. Hmm. They're the ones that's like pushing this. Little did they know what's about to happen in, in two months. Yeah. Scott Hall's in and is being pushed as a reincarnation of Lex Luger. In this case, the sequel is a whole lot better than the original. Hall and Hump, Sir Oliver Humperdinck, Kevin Sullivan all got in their parting shots at Luger on a TV show this weekend. Main comments like, the last time we saw Lex Luger, he was running away in the cage match. Has never been heard from since. Well, speaking of that, apparently during Luger's last week of Florida, he had the cage match with Bruiser Brody and things got out of control. With Brody not selling for Lex and doing all sorts of nasty things like cross-facing Lex and basically humiliating him. Luger didn't bother show for his final two cage matches against Brody. In fact, the finish of the Lakeland match, which took place on the 21st, before we saw Luger scream loud enough so the ringside fans could hear him. Get the door open! He's nuts! Then Lex did his best 40 times since his days in the Green Bay Packers camp, if you get my drift. <laughs> okay, being that the video is from ringside, now I'm curious if that's audible. Even though there's not in our week, technically. This is on the 21st. Yeah, but who knows when it would be? Because it's a nine-minute clip. It's probably right before the finish. Maybe. Let's see. I, the, the video is not much for those who have never seen it. It's on YouTube, but it's pretty much... I don't remember the cross-facing or anything. It's pretty much just Brody stops selling and Luger gets freaked out. And it probably doesn't help that Brody has blades taped to his fingers. All right, so let's skip towards the end. And I guess him talking to Fonzie is probably what we want to try to find, right? Yeah. Okay, so wait. The finish comes, like, right at 9. What do you say? Let's go back, like, a minute or so before? I guess. Or, well... Okay, let's try here. Okay, yeah, when he... When Brody really stops selling, it's only, like, the last two minutes that Luger gets free out. So let's try that. Now he's talking about it. Get the door open. He's crazy. I'm not convinced we're going to hear this or even that that happened. Let's see. So, okay, this I didn't remember. Brody kind of awkwardly takes him down by the ropes. And then doesn't really do anything. And just is now not doing anything as Fonzie, until Fonzie starts a count. And the crowd does not like this, understandably. Brody grabs a front face lock. 
comes off more like him fucking with the promotion than with Luger. You know? He's pissed at something. Because I'm thinking to, like, the story of the, you know, where he and... Yeah, there he shoves Fonzie for the DQ. And he just climbs out. So yeah, if Luger yelled that really loud, it was before the last few minutes where he was like, okay, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we never really have the story of why Brody even did this, do we? Uh, when Bob Barnett used to sell a video with it, I think he was pissed off at Luger talking about the big money contract he signed with Crockett and may have been told by the office to send a message. I forget. <laughs> I don't know how true that is. Well, I mean... But it sounds much more like a Brody thing, to handle it this way especially. To ha- yeah. it, it sounds much more like a Brody thing than it's something the office would tell him to do. You know, we're talking about a guy yeah. who allegedly tried to, you know, people dispute it, tried to kill... Fred Barron's towns by having a boring 50-minute match with Mark Lewin a couple years earlier. Yeah. I mean, Brody... Brody had a reputation that if he was not in the mood, then things could happen. You know, different things, whatever he felt. But, I mean, he, he also had, you know, the reputation of being one of the most giving people as well to, to the wrestler. It's a... It's a different one, you know? Well, and person to person, he was always considered a very nice guy. Oh, God, yes. But when he's doing business, it could be a different story. Yeah. But anyway, um, so there that is. That was in Lakeland. Uh, I mean, we don't have the whole match, right? Or is it the whole match? I'm thinking about the cross-facing and stuff, because I don't remember ever seeing anything like that happening in the match. Well. Because there's, there's, it's not like there's any mat work or anything where... You'd really be expecting Brody to crossface him, you know? Like he, I don't, I can't think of any go behinds or anything. Well, maybe it was that front face lock that some they were using. So I thought told Dave it was a crossface. You got to remember, Dave's getting this secondhand information. But I hear crossface in that context. I'm thinking of like, oh, there it is. <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> well, yeah, I just did. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. He just popped him with a forearm in a way that did not look entirely professional. Yes. And remember, Lex, the baby, Lex is the babyface here in this match. And it, look, we do see Brody selling and bumping, you know, in the middle of the match, too, or earlier in the match, I should say. Yeah. Oh, no, it's just a weird, weird deal. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, what what lesson does it teach Luger, especially that you're just going out there and you're cooperating, then you stop? Yeah. I don't know. All right. Uh, when the Cooley and Tracy Smothers are heading in the, as babyfaces... In Cooley's case, it's part of the self-preservation exchange of talent between Alabama and Florida, which may merge into one group, since Crockett is running against both of them. They were working together. Uh, you know, it seemed like they were going to have a good relationship going on here because, um, yeah, talent's going to be moving back and forth in here. Agent Street was, was going to both places. Ron Fuller made his Florida return after a decade. Of not working that territory, yeah. um, it seemed like there was going to be some some cross pollination, and then Crockett comes in, <laughs> which may you know, 
We'll get it. We'll get into that. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna hold off on the Crockett discussion until we get to Crockett. Okay. We'll hold off on that. But it would have been good if Florida and Continental would have worked together. I think. Yeah. So, the Falcon Steve Brinson, who was a master by Kevin Sullivan last week, is now wrestling under the name Cody James. Yeah, Steve Brinson was a job guy in, in uh, Mid-South and Crockett, and then comes to Florida and does a mask. I mean, big dude, good size. And they give him a, a push in Florida, Bahamas heavyweight champion and shit. And then they take the mask off versus Cody James, and he's gone in just a matter of weeks. Past two weeks, they've shown tapes on TV of Adrian Street pinning both Terry Taylor and Randy Savage. Well, it pays to keep all, tapes of all your matches once you get a VCR. And Adrian Street, I mean, I, I'm guessing they, these were probably music videos, too, because he did that. Yeah. My favorite, though, my favorite, though, and you, uh, uh, let's see if you remember this. Continental did the deal where they they showed these same matches and pretend, pretended that that was happening in real time. <laughs> they did the watch. The Adrian, Street, Adrian Street had just, they showed the, the him beating Taylor for the TV title in Mid-South in, in December 84. They showed that in like '86, and talk about how he would beat Terry Taylor, you know, just for the TV title recently. And then they showed him, you know, how Adrian Street, you know, beat Rand- Macho Man Randy Savage, you know, this week. <laughs> so why isn't he the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion? He gotta love wrestling. I mean, and, and this is territorial wrestling. Which WWF, you you couldn't get away with that as much because it was seen nationally. But that Mid South stuff was not nationally at that time, so stuff. I mean, res- has Wrestling Gold come out yet, or any of that stuff? In 1986. Yeah, I don't think so. No. And I don't even so. know if that match is on there. But still, it, people wouldn't even really have an idea of Savage being, you know, whatever there for, or whatever for the most part. So yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, just ways of. Uh... Work at the barks. Yeah. All right, uh, Orlando. Which, you know what? Though I'll say this: I feel like Watts was the best place to do. Like, even if you don't have Bill Watts trying to make more logic out of it, make more sense out of it on commentary, because Mid South had that whole thing of oh, we're independent. Yeah. So it makes a little more sense that the Iron Sheik might magically show up one day. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so let's go to Orlando. Eddie Grant Sports Team, January 25th. Mark Starr over Jerry Gray. Cody James over Jack Hart, Barry Horowitz. Mr. Kareem Muhammad over Ron Simmons. Kendall Wyndham over Ed the Bull Gantner. Chris Champion and Sean Royal uh, starting up the new breed here over Stan Lane and Mike Graham. And Bad News Allen over Bruiser Brody. Then we go to Tampa on the 27th, Spartan Sports Center. Bad News Island over Tommy Wright. Steve Armstrong over Jerry Gray. Ed Gantner over Black Magic, Norman Smiley. And as you can tell, this is TV taping. Jack Towers over Kevin Sullivan by disqualification. Ron Simmons over Bob Cook. Black Magic over Jerry Gray. Scott Hall beat the Executioners in a handicap match. Cody James over Jack Hart by DQ. Kendall Wyndham over Ed the Bull Gantner. Newbury retained their Florida Tag Titles, beating Stan Lane and Mark Starr by disqualification. Steve Armstrong over Mr. Kareem Muhammad by disqualification. And Bad News Allen went to a double disqualification with Kevin Sullivan. 
Then we go to Fort Lauderdale on the 31st in front of 175 fans. Not good. Uh, Mark Starr went to a draw with J.J. Palo. Yes, Jackie Palo's son. Terrible. All rest holds. Black Magic over Bob Cook. Good prelim guy carries the bum to another bad match. <laughs> um, Steve Armstrong over Jack Harden. Almost decent match. Scott Hall doing a complete Hulk Hogan imitation right down to the lousy leg drop finish. Beat Jerry Gray in two minutes. Mike Graham and Kevin Weather beat the uh, Florida Tag Champions. Chris Champion and Sean Roll in Nantana match, which was decent as Mike worked hard to try to carry the younger guys. In a match billed as the Southern Champion against the Florida Champion, the Florida Champion, Bad News Island pinned Kevin Sullivan to 10 minutes of brawl over the building, so apparently Bad News holds both belts. Although the feeling that we have a feeling that that will somehow be forgotten. After the match, Sullivan graded the crowd a BA. What that is, I don't know. But that's what the observer said. He gave the crowd a B period, A period. Okay. I don't know. Bayfront, St. Petersburg on the first. Cody James over Jimmy Backlund. Mark Starr over Jack Hart. Ron Simmons over Jay Gray. Mr. Kareem Muhammad over Steve Armstrong. Scott Hall over Ivan the Red. Can the them over Mr. Kareem Muhammad? Doing double duty. Scott Hall and Steve Armstrong subbing for the Fabs. Stan and Steve beat the new breed. And Bad News Island beat Kevin Sullivan in a Harlem street fight. Now, Sullivan also cut referees Bill Alfonso's hair and used a cobra hold on a jobber who foamed heavily in the mouth. This gross tactics like this is why crowds are so huge since Sullivan returned. Ash Sullivan's a good heel. In fact, a great one. And exuding evil. But Dave's more convinced than ever that his tactics narrow cast the audience. And once you do that, you are severely limiting your drawing potential. Well, here's the thing here with this version of Kevin Bonnet, Kevin Bonnet, Kevin Sullivan. When he comes back to Florida here, he's doing a totally different act than he had done in Florida as a heel. He's not doing the satanic type type stuff. He's just, he's a heel, but he's like crazy. You know, he's doing that type of thing. He's it's like a continental Sullivan or would you say, or it's continental Sullivan, but for laughs. Because there's this there's this thing where it's him, Humperdinck, and John Heath, Coach John Heath, in John Heath's office for an interview. And it seems like all Sullivan is trying to do with Humperdinck is make John Heath laugh. He's trying to, 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 make, to cut him up. And then, you know, and he's just doing the, he's doing this deal where he'll get into the thing, you know, where the, the, the baby face turn, where he starts, you know, acting crazy. But he doesn't, he's not, it's not what it was the year earlier when you got, you know, Bob Rube with the half shaved head. I mean, it's just, it's Sullivan with Humperdinck, basically. That's the gimmick. He just healed Kevin Sullivan. I also don't think that doing the job guy foams at the mouth in the sleeper gimmick is really a good example of Kevin Sullivan being excessive in narrow casting. Well, that's old school. I mean, fuck. Mark Lewin was doing that shit in 1980 when he was feuding with Kevin Sullivan in Georgia. Well, and who's Kevin Sullivan's biggest mentor as a booker? Mark Lewin. <laughs> Mark Lewin. Is Kevin the booker here? Uh, no. Who is the booker? At this point in time in Florida? Ooh. <sighs> I don't know if Kevin is 
he's going to become the Booker. Yes. Um, it may be Humperdinck. Okay. It's not. It's not Kevin yet. Put it that way. So, all right, Ed the Bull. And, and real, well, real quick, what do you think about Dave's comment there about his antics limiting the drawing potential? Not the first time we've heard that. I think you're at that point where it's been there, done that with this gimmick, and you know, this is his uh, third tour duty, at least, in Florida, in this type of character, which is why it was sm- smart to uh, change it up a little bit. You think his father told him that it was <laughs> it would be smart to, to do that? <laughs> father. <laughs> oh, man. His, his father, right. who got his shoulder <laughs> broken by... <laughs> By Bob. <laughs> it, Bob. When Bob was the Star Warrior. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Um, Ed the Bull Gantner's $2,500 challenge only lasts a couple of weeks. Is Ken the Window beat him on the January 25th show, 25th show in Orlando? Speaking of Gantner, did an injury angle with Ed Gantner taking out Vic Steamboat to explain him leaving the promotion? He's on the greener pastures, I guess. The Savoldis. <laughs> so, all right, Continental. Kevin Sullivan and Headhunter, New Guinea Headhunter number one, are both reported to be injured here by the Fullers and Jimmy Golden. However, there are still two Headhunters in the territory. Dave suspects Sullivan may return here for a few days for time to time, although his primary function is booking Florida now. There you go. So, he started. So, there's your qu- answer to your question, Bex. Uh, Buddy Landell, who Dave's told is doing very well so far, is managing the other two headhunters and not wrestling yet. Eventually, the remaining headhunters are going to turn on Buddy because he's on TV weekly laughing about how little he pays them. Plus, Buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And they basically leave the territory, you know, not too long after that. Knoxville, Tennessee. January 25th at Civic Coliseum. The Dirty White Boy over Ron Sexton. No time limit match. U.S. Junior Heavyweight title, Larry Hamilton, Thunderbolt Hamilton, went to a double countout with Dr. Tom Pritchard to retain his title. Wendell Cooley over Chris Von Colt. The Nightmares retained their Continental Tag titles, beating the Sheep Herders, Luke and Butch, in a no-DQ match. Adrian Street retained the Southeast Heavyweight title, beating Rip Rogers, and also won the rights to have Brenda Britton as his valet for a day. What a great video comes from that, Bix. What was the song? She's a Mighty Big Girl for Her Age. Oh. <laughs> yes. Long video, but fun. And we've played that on here, I think. Yes, yes. And then the main event was a steel cage match. The Bullet, Jimmy Golden, Tennessee Stud, and Robert Fuller. Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller, under the mask. Defeated the New Guinea Headhunters and Kevin Sullivan. But the big news is what happened in the post-match. So let's go to Gordon Sully and Ron Fuller as they narrate uh, the ending of this cage match. Yeah, and I'm very glad he was. The young man's name is Doug Furnace. And, uh, and well, rather than just talk about it, I think we have it, right? We'd like let's, to watch it. Indeed, let's take a look at it right now. Audio's kind of rough here. What we're talking about here. Yeah is indeed a return steel cage match. I'm guessing and, this isn't uh, very long. You see the Tennessee stud and no. uh, the bullet. And, uh, well, things are happening. 
Bear in mind now Things that are happening. the furnace is outside. Obviously, the purpose of a steel cage is to keep away from outside interference. Well, that's right. But you see, uh, Buddy Landell's outside, too. He's passed the cane through the cage to this headhunter here, and I got my hands on it. And, oh, yes, I love that because I felt that thing on my back last week. I know what that feels like. So there was a headhunter that went down that time, and Landell's out there on the outside of the cage. You may be screaming now and real sorry he passed that cane through. But nonetheless, that was the end of the match. Now, here you can see the continental rushing official opening the cage. You can see shove him out of the way here, and he makes his way in the cage. Not only does Landell come in, there comes Chris Von Coach. Neither one of these men scheduled in this match at all. And uh, because they got away with something similar to this on the last cage, I guess they intended to do it this time. Now, you can see the official here is trying to keep Kevin Sullivan from getting me. He wanted to close the door back, I assume, and lock it. And Sullivan makes a big mistake here, which I'm sure he was, I heard he's going to find $10,000 for this. He should have been kicked completely out of wrestling, as far as I'm concerned. This is a man who is obviously not a wrestler. He's an official for Continental Wrestling. You can see him being thrown in the cage here. At that point, I think he probably received the laceration from that right there. Uh, he ends up, like I say, getting 17 stitches because of this. Uh, Sullivan here is just tearing his clothes off and beating and pounding. But really, in my estimation, an almost helpless man. This man probably weighs 170 pounds, certainly doesn't weigh uh, 200 or 250 pounds. He's not a wrestler. He was not there to be involved in this event. He was there simply to open the door when the match was open. Now, I think Landell's gone back. He's closed the cage and relocked it back. And you'll see several people. There's one up to the left there trying to climb the cage. And they're hammering his fingers and doing whatever they can to keep anybody from being able to get inside the cage and help us out. Uh, I think they've got Robert out of the cage and onto the floor. He's trying his best to get in. Uh, and at this point, I think six guys in the ring, and there's, and that's, there's the Tennessee stud, uh, the Bullets, and Jimmy Olsen. Look at that. That's it. Could you see that? I don't know if you could pick it up. Yeah. He, he got in the cage up on a, in a unique way. He tore the door off the cage, literally. The man is up top. And you can see here, he nailed the three headhunters. He's pulling out the T-shirt. And this boy is about to, he's about to take, play exorcist to Kevin Sullivan. Colt tries to stop him. He bears Colt. And you can see Sullivan takes a couple of cheap shots here. And he blacked this boy's eye and busted his eye underneath his eye. But I think it, you saw it did not him down it just made him mad. Uh, oh yeah <laughs> great music um the debut of doug furnace that's doing the fan the crowd uh deal help uh breaking open the steel cage to uh, save the baby faces but he's already been established as local college football star and friend of promoter bob polk doug furnace well, everybody knows who it is. It's Doug Furness, played from University of Tennessee. It's in Knoxville. Right. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. Everybody knew who it was. It was Doug Furness. So, but the fact that he's, this is the first time he's got involved, you know. But they've already introduced him on TV for the Alabama fans to know who he was in case they did. Not in Alabama fans, they haven't. Oh, they haven't? Okay. No. So did they not even run this on the Alabama TV? This is where this is from. So this they is his first appearance period on Alabama TV. On the regular TV, yes. On regular on the on regular the, on the main TV. show, not a local segment. Right. Yes, correct. Yep. So that's Doug's debut. And uh yeah, Kevin Sullivan black his eye. Welcome to the business. <laughs> yeah. And uh this is also where Cornette got the idea for Kane tearing the door off Hell in a Cell from. Yep. Yep, absolutely. And Doug would 
be a, a main event guy in Knoxville, in the Knoxville side of the territory, for the whole you know run there. I mean, Doug's not a wrestler in the Alabama side for months. He's only wrestling in Knoxville. Now, let me see if I find when yeah. Doug made his. Let me see if I find when Doug made his first appearance in the uh, Alabama side of things here. Look, just a second here, because I got through my results archive. All right, all right. Doug, his first match is on February the eighth. Retains a win the Cooley to beat Chris Von Colton and Kevin Sullivan. First result right. on cage match, at least in Alabama, March 20, is March. March 23rd. So yep, it's, that's it's what a they little, have, too. It's a little bit earlier than I thought. He beat the Terminal Man. Who's the Terminal <laughs> Man? <laughs> Some mass job guy. But then there's no results for Alabama from for him. For uh, Here he is in College oh, Park, Georgia. Yeah. In College Park. And he comes back in Alabama in July. So the first known result of him. Hmm. So, yeah, they kind of keep him away. But uh, because, you know, being the local celebrity, you know, you get more leeway as you're trying to learn the business. Yes. But I mean, he yeah. could have worked under a mask in Tennessee or what? I mean, in Alabama, I guess. But well, they decided not to go that direction. But what well, Doug was a hell of a fucking talent. Mm hmm. And, uh, yeah, hey, pulling the door off that cage, I mean, very impressive the way he did it. Just like, <laughs> like it was nothing. <laughs> well, it, it was gimmicked, wasn't it? Well, of course it was gimmicked, but the way he did it. You know, this is 1987, Bix. You got to remember, fans fans aren't hip to that shit. Oh, I know. No, 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 no. I know, but the way you said it, I wasn't sure. <laughs> and fans aren't hip to that shit. So, so Yeah. Big deal. All right, the next night in Birmingham, they had a tag team tournament. Uh, we had the Headhunters going to a draw with the Nightmares. Adrian Street and Dr. Tom Pritchard, a strange team since Adrian's a bayface and Dr. Tom's a heel, lost to Rip Rogers, Chris Von Colt when Adrian was double teamed and pinned at the Pritchard walked out. Pritchard was shown accepting an envelope from Britain to Britain, making it like a payoff. Golden and Fuller down the Polynesian Warrior and Mike Fever. Lynn Denton. Yes, unmasked Lynn Denton. And Tony Anthony reformed the Dirty White Boys and beat Wendell Cooley and Larry Hamilton. The Sheep Herders on WQ with the bullet and the Tennessee stud in the bloodbath, which saw Luke Williams even blade the referee. And Fuller and Golden beat Colton Rip Rogers. What a tag team, too. Chris Von Colton and Rip Rogers. <laughs> a Chris Cole, too. Also, wait, so Chris Cole doing a Nazi gimmick while also maybe knowingly being HIV positive. Teaming with Rip Rogers. Yes. Then we have Fuller and Golden winning the tournament by beating the, by beating the Dirty White Boys when the Nightmares interfered. I forget. Was Bo able to pin down when the boys got the letter from the public health department about HIV prevention? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. He'll let us know when he listens. Yes. So. Yes. Oof. <laughs> What a team. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, that's it. Go on. The January, 30, the January 30th show in Columbus, Mississippi saw Larry Hamilton, Adrian Street, and Kevin Sullivan on no show. With Sullivan even being suspended from wrestling in the state. Sullivan was supposed to wrestle the Bullet and lose their town match, and Rip Rogers took his spot and sent the Bullet pack of the JCP. That was a big win for Rip Rogers, beating the Bullet. 
February 2nd in Birmingham, saw Larry Hamilton over Tom, Tom by count out. Tom refused to wrestle. Nightmares over the night, uh, Dirty White Boys by DQ in a good match. Adrian over Rick Rogers. Tennessee Stud, Robert Fuller, and Jimmy Golden went WQ with all three headhunters in a Canadian Lumberjack strap match. And when the Cooley beat Chris Von Colt in a Coal Miners glove match. And it's no wise Lynn Denton here, by the way. Well, Lynn Denton's here to replace Jerry Stubbs as Tony's partner. Which could be a way to turn Stubbs' baby face when he comes back from all Japan. No, that's not how it happens. <laughs> they turn on Lynn Denton. Stubbs is bu- busy being a sheik in all Japan for wrestling. Literally, a sheik. A period sheik. Yes. Does that sound stand for Albert Sheik? <laughs> what do you think about Lynn Denton coming in here working as a dirty white boy unmasked at this time? You mean since by this point the grappler is pretty much more established? Well, that's what he'd been working in, in world class, you know, for a, a year and a half at this point in time. Yeah, and... Right, and they have the national syndication and all that. I mean, he's been both on and off for quite a while, hasn't he? He has not been unmasked Denton since Mid-South. So that's and, what, uh, like a year and a half? Or early, some, er, early summer 85. So like a year and a half. Yeah, pretty much. And then, okay, so where was he before that run? Well, before which run? Before Mid-South, Dirty White Boys. Uh, Memphis, unmasked, him and Tony. Okay, that's right. And then before that was Grappler in San They Antonio? were working They were working uh, Kansas City. And San Antonio was before that? San Antonio's, well, let, let's go. All right, so let's go down the list. All right, so in reverse. All right, Kansas City. Then they were working in, um, they were doing shots for uh, Crockett, and mainly with Tony, though, in, our, in Toronto. That's right. That's the grapplers. Then before that, they were in Memphis. Then before that, they were in San Antonio. So they had a Memphis run as the grapplers? Oh, you don't remember that? That was no. during that whole... Oh, they 83. Were part of the, first, the first family, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's after San Antonio. Okay. So was yeah. Mid-South in like 80 his first territory as the grappler? Yes. Okay. That Come was where he got Stan- the gimmick. Come back from Stampede. How, how, he was long a he been, before then. how long had he been wrestling at that point that he got such a big push there? Two years. Wow. He started in 78. Well, I guess, May, I guess he got to get... late 77. I, even though you were taking over part of an existing territory, I guess you got to get creative when you're starting a new territory, a new promotion. Yeah, he... Um, I mean, him and Scott Irwin basically were married together from the beginning. It's when Scott comes in a Super Destroyer mm-hmm. from Florida. Gotcha. So... Well, no, no, he went far. Scott comes in from Memphis, where he was unmasked. He was working as as a as a Scott Irwin in Memphis, unmasked in, at the end of nineteen eighty, team with Doctor Bill. Yes, Doctor Bill Irwin. Well, speaking of Memphis, just a few notes from here: Alan West, who most recently was a Crockett job guy, muscular and blonde haired, and an Eddie Sharkey trainee is headed here. Ah, uh, Magnum AW. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? I mean, he, he did pretty well in Memphis. That's probably yeah. the best run he had in his career. Yeah. He was all right. I learned Alan West. He was, he was good for what he was. There's something about him in this 87 version of Memphis with the loaded undercard and everything that just kind of fits. I can't even put my finger on why. But yeah. he's just a good fit here in a way he isn't necessarily other places. Yeah. 
But there's a lot of guys like him in this time period too. But he, Dave he works Peterson, good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he works good in this point in time. Well, he teams with date with DJ Peterson AWA when he goes there. Yeah. All right, Dave's heard, heard two completely different stories on what happened to Jerry Lawler. So until he gets some confirmation, Dave will just say he's not sure what the story is. This is the initial posting angle, I take it. Yeah. Yes. So this is, as Dave would say later, Lawler using this as the kayfabe reason for him being in the hospital for either getting a vasectomy or getting a vasectomy reversal. I think it was the the first one. Getting a, a, an actual vasectomy. Okay. Yes. And I've always wondered, though, was that just the germ of the idea? Or was he actually concerned that someone would find out that he was getting testicular surgery and wanted to make sure there was a storyline excuse. Probably but probably that. Yeah, it's not like you have HIPAA yet. No. No, you don't have HIPAA yet, absolutely. Although and no Memphis, one no Memphis, one else Memphis gets hospitalized. Well, yeah. But no one else gets hospitalized from the postings in the next several months. Even him. Because they did it again. Yeah. <laughs> I did it twice. Because they did it during the cage match. Yeah. All right. January 26th, saw the Jeff Jarrett and Billy Travis win the Southern Tag Titles back from the Rock and Roll RPMs in a Texas death match. They're up here, they feud decks with Dick Bob and Goliath. Also in the car was two 2,500 fans. Austin Idol beat Nick Botwinkle by DQ and AWA title match when Nick hit Idol with a chair. And downtown Bruno won a boxing match from Emily Arthur, not Emily Arth, when Bubba interfered. All right, results. Paul Diamond over Tarzan Goto by the Q&A opening match. Pat Tanaka over Tony Falk. Boy, Tony. Jerry Bryant, Lou Winston, Memphis Vice over Big Bubba and Goliath. Downtown Bruno over Emily Arthur. In the boxing match, The Lock over Debbie Combs. Soul Train Jones. Yes, good old Virgil. And Vincent retained his international heavyweight title beating Jonathan Boyd. And... Jarrett and Travis uh, re- would have did Southern Tag Titles for the RPMs, and Isla Robot would go by the EQ. Hmm. So, Memphis has got a nice roster in 87. A good mix of uh, young guys. You got some veterans in there. Throughout 87, they great guys. Roster. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, the studio, January 31st, television. It was the 20th anniversary of Lance Russell and Dave Brown broadcasting wrestling in Memphis. Um, Dave Meltzer thinks it's some kind of all-time record for a combination in wrestling to be together. Well, let's let's talk about that. So we're going to play the uh, intro of the show where this is acknowledged, and we should get a nice little throwback clip. And then we'll have the cake. You know, you know what that means. So let's go to the first clip. Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. We're ready to go with another big special day on Championship Wrestling. Good morning, David. Good morning. Yeah, you're right. We've got a special day coming up here. We've got, uh, for for one thing, we've got some great matches coming up. Six-man tag team action. We'll have uh, Bruno and Boy Tony uh, in here. And Boy Tony is going to be in the ring with Bubba and Goliath. Should be an interesting six-man match. And, of course, with Bruno in the corner, downtown Bruno, that's always interesting, to say the least. Uh Jeff Jarrett, Billy Travis are going to be along in the tag team match. 
John Paul will be going against the Hunter. We'll have Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka also teamed up in the expiration of time main event tag team match today. Yeah, boy, and that isn't all. I'll tell you what else we're going to try to do. This for the first time. We're going to try to get the King on the phone to hear from him since the uh, since the argument that uh, the injury rather that he I said argument. I'm thinking, boy, it was a whole lot worse than any kind of yeah, an argument on that. Way. We're going to try to get the King on the phone. And for a lot of the folks, by the way, I started out saying good morning. I realize this is not morning in a lot of places. <laughs> so scratch that, will you? That's okay. We're a little excited because uh, I think some of the folks around here know uh, uh, that this celebrates the 20th anniversary that Dave and I have been working together on championship wrestling, and we are both delighted. Thank you very much. We really, uh, really have been blessed with a lot of wonderful wrestling fans and a lot of wonderful wrestling talent, too. Uh, we, we look back into the past, and it, it kind of gives us a kick when we stop and think of some of the guys we know and some of the pictures that we're taking. Here's one right here. This was not 20 years ago. This was 17 years ago. Now, in the early days, occasionally you'd have a... The match was a little bit boring. I was going to say, you look like a yeah. little bored there. And, yeah, I would have felt bad about this, but, you know, even though Lance was doing the commentary, occasionally he'd nod off, too, back in those days. Well, that's <laughs> 17 years ago, December 1969. That's how we've lasted 20 years. We each take turns take going naps. to sleep while the other one's working. Uh, most of them, of course, much more exciting than that. I Boy, you got that for a living fact. And we've got some of those lined up today. We, uh, I am sure, will not be able to restrain ourselves for making references to it throughout the entire day. Right now, though, we're going to get ready for that opening bow. We've got a good one coming up, a six-man tag match. We'll be back to it in a moment. So the pictures uh, they show look like it's someone took a picture of the TV set in 1969. Yeah. Yep. And that's what they had. Yeah. But, so they had started together in January of 1967. Yep. And they had, would have a 22 consecutive year run together. Yes. Because Lance leaves in 89. Wow. Hell of a run to have, to have those two, you know, side by side for just about all them weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so... I mean, that also means, remember, Dave was, well, especially seeing the age. So Dave is only 40. Dave's only 40 here. So that means Dave was 20 when he started. Yep. Wow. Started young. I remember, Lance was the one who, A, made him the wrestling co-host. Mm -hmm. He found him doing radio, if I remember right. And B... Because Lance was the program director at WHBQ. Lance was the one that made him the head weatherman. Yep. Yeah. And he became pretty much the most popular news personality in the history of Memphis television. Definitely. I mean, what would you say about Big Jack? Big Jack Eaton. Ooh. I think he's up there with Dave. Yes. Probably. So... Yeah, there is that. But those two, but they work together. So, yes. you know. Yes. And uh one of the things Lance would always tell me, like one of his proudest achievements was having this idea that Dave would be good at doing the weather reporting to the point that even though Dave is not a meteorologist, he ended up being allowed into like 
the Television Meteorologists Association. I just watched an episode of Memphis TV from 94, December 94 the other day. And it's funny because that morning they were having like tornado watches. So Dave is giving tornado watch updates while announcing the rest with Lance. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) think about that. I mean, you got the head weatherman on the live television show, live wrestling show. So you're not having to cut into wrestling for your weather update. He's giving it while the show is going on. Yep. That is amazing. Think about it. I I mean, I remember Lance telling me once about, like, how just he had such a good knack for the weather that, like, he would – he would alter it, if I remember right, based on, like, his instincts, even when, like, the weather reporting services were giving him different information. And he would turn out right. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so it's celebration time. So let's bring out the cake. And you know somebody's face is going into it. So let's go to the clip. <laughs> right as you were about to say that, I was looking at newspapers.com. And one of the first hits for Lance Russell and Dave Brown's names together in newspapers.com was Lance talking about how he thinks they run too many tornado warnings. So he says, we immediately interrupt if there's a tornado or or run run the educational films. He's saying, we immediately interrupt if there's a tornado warning or if one is cited. But otherwise, we try to use our own announcers, usually Dave Brown or Ed Craig. And sometimes at night, they'll call me at home to check on whether to run uh, one of these – like instructional that like the severe thunderstorm warning like videos so interesting timing there that that was one of the big hits but yes let's go to the other clip Travis in action they've got a uh, a non-title type of match but uh, we'll be oh hey guy guy coffee yes sir lance i just want to congratulate you and dave on 20 years uh-huh. It doesn't seem like it's been 20 years. It's been more like just a few, but we've enjoyed every one of them. We've enjoyed having you, and I know these people love it, both of you. And we're just tickled to death that you've, you've been here that long, and you too, Dave. And now we're going to call Randy Hale out. He has a little presentation. Randy Hale? Oh, well, all right. Oh, there you go. That happened a lot. very much, and it's folks like you that we've had the opportunity to work with. Here comes Randy, my boy. Guy Caulfield's like Look, a, a, a southern version of Uncle God, Junior. Isn't that something? Hey, let's see. Can we can we share this with the people? Can, can we get it over here? A little bit, Dave. Let's, let's not let it slide off. But let's see, Randy, if we can get it up here where they can see it on what camera two? Okay, can you get a shot of that? Isn't that absolutely? Lance and Dave ringing the bell of what does that say? I can't tell. And then for twenty years, and it's a wrestling ring cake. Oh, there I we go. I think it's a success. Ringing the bell is success for twenty years, and it's a wrestling ring cake. Randy looks like a, uh, a youth pastor. Yes. And it also looks like Jerry Lawler or may have done the icing because the, it does kind of resemble his handwriting. Oh, I love it. Lance and oh. Dave ringing the bell of success for 20 years. That thank is, you. That is fantastic. First of all, I would like to thank everybody at Cecil's right here on Union Street. 
They Say it And they wanted me to tell you that they love watching you, and they gave us this cake, and they said they wish you the best uh, ever. Oh, well, we appreciate them participating with it. David, I think our, our hair is a little darker there. Than <laughs> That's there. so true, man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that thought, too. <laughs> I'd like to take a few more seconds of your time, Lance, to say that, you know, I've been around you for a long time. We've I've had that around, pleasure. Yes, and been around Dave. I have to speak for all the wrestling fans to say there's no doubt in my mind, no doubt in these people's mind, the best two announcers in the world today is standing right here with me, Lance Russell and Dave Thank you. I speak on behalf of our good friend Jerry Jarrett, head of Jarrett Promotions. He wishes that he could be here today. <laughs> he got a girly congratulate pop. you on uh, the 20 years. Also, uh, I speak on behalf of the fans and the viewers. 20 years is a, a long time, but Lance, you have made, uh, you and Dave have been a great part in the success of this television program, and sometimes we don't give you enough credit. You're great, and I think everybody agrees. And if I could get uh, Sam Lowe, our photographer, if I could get Lance and Sam Lowe is a girly pop. Get in the picture, if we could, <laughs> Sam, if we could get a real quick picture of... Uh, Lance and Dave holding that. That is fantastic. One other thing I'd like to do, like I said, Eddie was unable to be here, but I stopped by the office and got him uh, to uh, say a few words. So I'm let's sorry, listen Eddie. to that, that interview right now. Okay. Hi, Lance and Dave. I wish I could have been there this morning, but you know part of my job is to get out and seek new talent. I'm on the road today, but I'm not only speaking for myself, but for Jared Promotion and millions of fans out there. I want to congratulate you and Dave on a super job, 20 years as a team. Magnificent tag team champions all over the world, but y'all the champions in my book. <laughs> oh, wasn't that great? I want to congratulate you, Dave. A fantastic job. And Lance, we Randy, love you. Thank you very much. And for Guy, we appreciate, appreciate the thought on Thanks. it. And I'll tell you, uh, sometimes it's some, some in the middle of some of these things. It seems like 40 years, doesn't it? And here comes downtown Bruno. Come on, Bruno, will you give us a break you know today? I told you, I am sick and tired of it. I don't care if you've been here for 20 years. I don't care if you've been here for 90 years. I don't care if you've been here for 300 years. You wouldn't be nothing. You wouldn't be nothing. Nobody will be nothing. If it wasn't for me and the rest of the people involved, the wrestlers, the managers, the referees, people like you don't mean nothing. You're parasites living off of us. I'm sick and tired of it. You know, you'd be a used car salesman. You'd be a vacuum cleaner salesman. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? We've what? sat out here for 20 years. 20 years we've sat out here. We've had to put up with these reasonable managers coming out, coming out here and insulting everything that we're trying to put together out here and have a good time celebrate a little bit with the fans and here you are you've been out here half the show why don't you do us a favor just get out of here and leave us alone the rest of the day <laughs> Dave Brown wants that cake. Bruno, will you get out of Dave's upset. Oh, Bubba just threw Lance down. He's gonna put Bruno's face in the cake. He's in there messing up our cake and all. Jared and Travis. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, 
Thank you, guys. Oh, yes, get a good shot of that, by all means. Hey, he asked for it. He's the one that asked for it. Man, I hate that beautiful cake. It's messed up like that. Boy, the Cecil's people did a great job on that, and I hate to see that happen to the cake, but I, that, that's worth it right there. Couldn't see it all over place, place. could it? Okay. Hey, come on get now. Out take get him out of here. here. You better take him out and get him cleaned up. <laughs> oh, good enough for him, huh? Oh, boy. Well... We still got half of it here, but I don't know whether I'd touch it after Bruno's been around. That, that sounds like a good idea. We, we <laughs> are really sorry about... Oh, that's a shame. Such a beautiful cake. Don't <laughs> okay, we're back to what we came here for. Yeah, David. all right. Oh, you're going to let this play, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> so what's with the thing in 87 where they get rid of the studio audio and play some of the entrance music sometimes. I don't know. I liked it. Was it happening on the live show or were they cutting out announcing or something? I played like, the specific the stuff. Yeah. Notorious. And this is a mixed version, too. Yeah. Is this the 12, regular 12-inch? 12 I don't know. It's a mixed version of Notorious. I feel like I should know this. You should. <laughs> I don't think I, I don't have any of the notorious twelve inches though. I have um I have the original UK twelve inches of everything through Wild Boys, I think. Well what? What? No I mean hey, I mean like I said you should know. I mean you're the big Duran Duran collector. Okay, here's I'm assuming this is, this is the official extended mix, so let's see. <laughs> Why is this such a long... Because you got it on mute. Oh. <laughs> How did that happen? How did it get muted? I don't know. I didn't have YouTube muted. That's weird. Notorious! Yep. Okay. So there you go. But yeah, it was... Uh, there was a record store on Long Island that had most of those, like, in mint condition, and then it was, like, almost every one from the original lineup, and then I had, like... A couple gaps to fill in that weren't in there, so, but I think I eventually got more of the twelve inches. But I don't think I have notorious. So you had to fill in the gaps with twelve inches. Is that what you're trying to say? Uh... <laughs> you hey, you set yourself up for that one by saying filling gaps. Yeah. All right, uh... the, well, well. <laughs> there, there's a comment I can make about that, but. Uh... <laughs> All right. So, last talk about Jerry Lawler was going to call in and give us an update on his current health situation. On his ball. So that's <laughs> yes. So let's go to the King. Something that we've been looking forward to for a while, and that is getting the King. Jonathan the Boyd line. walking right in we front of the camera. Uh, talk to Jerry on the show. Jerry, <laughs> are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here, Lance. Okay, fine. Oh, wow, now they got it working on the first try. Uh, well, <laughs> I can tell you, a lot of folks have been asking us about uh, Jerry and how he's doing, and we thought the best thing to do would to be to get you on the phone and take a... Why does Lance have to hold the receiver up to his head if we can hear Lawler over the speakers in the studio? 
because it's Lance Russell. He has to do things like this, Biggs. Listen to uh, the words right out of the king's mouth. How about it? Tell us how you are. Well, Lance, to be uh, perfectly honest, I can barely hear you. I don't know if we have a good connection. I, uh, I don't know if you can hear me, but I can just barely hear you. Uh, I, did, I did hear you say, you know, how am I doing? I, I first of all, want to let everybody know and, uh, that uh, as of right now, I'm doing a lot better. I feel, uh, you know, I, I feel... Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm back and ready to go, but uh, to be perfectly honest with you, the doctors have had a, uh, they set a timetable of when they thought I should start back, and, and uh, they said they wanted me to wait until they think that things have uh, healed completely, and, uh, but other than that, I, I feel good, and I want to thank, uh, I want to thank everybody for the concern, and uh, cards and letters and all of that kind of stuff, and I'm just looking forward to being back, Lance. Okay, Jerry, I know that 99% of the folks uh, are aware of exactly what happened in that situation with Austin Idol and Tommy Rich, but if we can, while you and I are talking, uh, we'd like to, to roll the tape, which it is rolling right now, and this is after Idol and Rich have teamed up together. This was following a match where uh, you went against Tommy Rich, and then we're going in, in against Idol in a single match. Rich came back in, and they double-teamed you. And, of course, uh, there's just no way in the world any one man is going to be able to go up against both those guys at the same time, particularly with not with what they did. So that's where we are in the match right now. Well, looking back, Lance, I realize, you know, now that that was, uh, that was uh, biting off more than I could chew. Uh, at the time, I, you know, I... I I had a score I felt like to settle with both of these guys, and uh, I did. It wasn't a situation where I wanted a partner. It was something that I felt like I wanted to, you know, uh, get a chance at each one of them individually. And and uh, you know, I realized. Oh, the, the folks just saw on the uh, monitors where one on each leg, they grabbed you and slammed you into that ring post. Uh, and and then slapped you around and all, and that's that's what the ooing. And I don't have to tell you about ooh because you were right there on the receiving end of it. Yeah, uh, Lance, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble hearing you. I really uh, I really <laughs> having a difficulty. You know, as I said, though, I realize now that that was a mistake trying to handle both of those guys. But what what I'm going to do is uh, uh, it, it's made me. You know, I've had time to sit and think about it, and I and I. I realized that uh, there's two guys that I thought were both my friends, not only Tommy Rich, but especially Austin Idol, I thought was a close friend of mine. And, and I realized now that friendship and, uh, you know, when it comes between, when it comes to money, when it comes to things like titles, uh, you can, you're just going to have to put the friendship aside, which is what they did. So what I'm going to do, I got a personal message now. I don't know if either one of those guys are there. I realize, Lance, that uh, I think Tuesday night there's going to be a tournament for my Southern title, right? True. Right, that's absolutely right, Jerry. Well, uh, this is another situation where I think that I think that Eddie Marlin, uh, the promoters, uh, the championship committee, due to the injury, probably would have let probably would have let me slide on that since the last title defense was December the 28th. They probably would have let me slide until I got back. But Austin Idol, I understand, and Tommy Rich both both brought this to the attention of Eddie Marlin and to the championship committee, and they said. If you can't defend the title in 30 days, the title has to be vacated. So that's that's why the tournament's taking place. But I got a message for both Tommy Rich and Austin Idol, and I want to just tell them this: that from now on, there's no more friendship. There's no more thoughts about friendship. They better be looking over their shoulders. They better be watching their backs from this minute. I'm talking about from right now on, because as I said earlier, I feel good. I feel like I'm well. The doctors say I need to wait a little bit longer. But that's just doctor's opinion. You know the king in the past, Lance. Yeah. Uh, I'm not 
brainers and listening to what doctors say. So I just want Austin Idol and Tommy Rich to know, you better be watching out. Look over your shoulders in the parking lots, wherever it's going to take place, brother. Because when I get close to you, I'm not going to wrestle. I'm not coming back in any matches, get in any shoulders, one, two, three. I'm not worried about any disqualifications. I'm coming to do one thing, and that's hurt those guys like they did me. And I'm talking about I'm out for good. Well, Jerry, I'm glad to hear you say that. And I know from the tone of your voice, Idle and Rich Boat are talking like it was a career-ending thing that they put you out of wrestling for the rest of your life and all of that. You obviously has clarified that. And uh, I'm just looking forward to the time when you can be back here with us. Good luck to you, partner. We'll see you just the first opportunity you can get back. Thank you, Lance. Okay, there he is. First hand, you heard it uh, from the king. And an opportunity to get that update, which was better than us saying it. So we're going to take time out. We still have more action coming up. We've got a, uh, a match a little bit later on, expiration of time. We'll be back to it in just a second. There you go. Hmm. This is going to lead to King bringing in different people to be his tag up to go against Rich and Idol. Yep. So now Lawler mentioned the uh, tournament. Yeah, February third, they're held in the tournament. Most area wrestlers were involved, plus Tommy and Austin, and most people seemed to think Austin was going to win. Well, naturally. Well, let's go to the results here. Uh, Austin beat Billy Travis in the first round match. Jeff Jarrett over Boy Tony. Big Bubba over Tracy Smothers. Soul Train Jones beat Tommy Rich in an upset. Which he was an ass champion, but still, that's kind of an upset. Him beating Tommy Rich. Uh, the Hunter, which is Bob Brown. Not Bull of Bob Brown, but Ball Bob Brown. Wait, over, how do we uh, know if it's Bob Brown or Dale Vizzi? It's Bob Brown. I thought that... No, no, wait, 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 wait. When it's the Hunters, it's the two of them, and then after when it's just the Hunter, it's Vizzi. Well, Vizzi's coming in. Oh, so so Brown was there first. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So Hunter or Paul Diamond, Goliath or Pat Tanaka, Alan West over Tarzan Goto, Jeff Jarrett over Big Baba, Soul Train Jones over The Hunter, Goliath over Alan West, Austin Isle over Jeff Jarrett, Soul Train Jones over Goliath, and Austin Isle over Soul Train Jones in the finals to become the new champion. And uh, the non-tournament match was the Fabs going to a no contest with the Sheep Herders, Luke and Butch. Yes, which is to set up the uh, Stan and Steve and Paul Diamond versus Luke and Butch and Jonathan Boyd uh, barbed wire match. Yeah, so. Yeah. Memphis has got some things moving and shaking here with Island Rich. You know, that getting hot and heavy and Fab Sheep Herders. And, yeah, they got stuff going on. An interesting time in, 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 in the television because, of course, the uh, syndicate television is a lot different than the Memphis version. Yes, because Idol – was it both Idol and Rich or just Idol that wasn't going to the studio generally? Both, but Rich would make appearances. And wasn't going to the studio and also was generally wasn't working that many of the non-Memphis towns either. Exactly, yeah. So in this era, we really do need to try to get a hold of more WMC-TV. And yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know we know someone who has it, but good luck getting it from him. Yeah, exactly. From his mysterious storage unit in Staten Island. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's move on now to the Universal Wrestling Federation. 
He came here for 24 power pro taping in Fort Worth, drew 1,500 fans. Headlined by a Bad Street match, which will air on the 31st, where Terry Gordon, Michael Hayes faced Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Ted DiBiase. There was no decision as it ended in mass mayhem and lots of interference. Other things from the card include Missing Link and Buddy Roberts match ending with the entire Freebird family. Dave said, I told you they're trying to make Michael Hayes into Charles Manson. Well, Bill Watts always called him that. Jumping and blooding Link. A feud was started between Chavo Guerrero and Wabel Irwin, and during a post-match brawl, Chavo stole Irwin's whip. Irwin and Eli Eliminator also beat the Fantastics in a non-televised bout. Well, Wait, why are, we, why are we starting a feud between the most deceptively short and most deceptively tall wrestler on the roster? <laughs> well, and uh, the Fantastics are on their way out. Yes. So that's why they're doing jobs here like this. Yes, they are among those who are like, okay, you're breaching our contracts and can't pay us our guarantee. We're out. And even with everything going on, probably not the best decision since they go to Dallas and things are not good there. I didn't put the full results in the nose, but Mike, uh, Missy Link over Mike Reed, Eli over Jeff Rates, Rick Steiner over Johnny West, a.k.a. Jason Sterling, Missy Link's son. Uh, then you get the Bastion match, Eli Wild Bill over the Fantastics, Angel Death over Mike Reed, Super Ninja, more him in a minute, over Bobby Walker, not hard work Bobby Walker, did Debussy over Jeff Gaylord, Missing Link over Buddy, and then Chava over Eli, the Lunar by disqualification. Now, they taped the TV in the Myriad the next day for uh, the Sydney UWF show. We have, uh, this airs on this February 7th and the 14th. Yeah, Iceman King Parsons over Ken Massey, Angel Death over Johnny West, Savannah Jack retaining UFC TV title over Jack Victory, Eddie Gilbert Sting over the Fantastics, Terry Taylor over Art Cruz, then we got Chavo and Iceman over Art Cruz and Mike George, Terry Taylor over Gary Young, Gang over Johnny West, Super Ninja over Jeff Rates, Sting over Bobby Walker, and Gordy and Doc going to a no contest. You still have Freebirds and DiBiase and Doc going here and they're now in like uh we're in january so they're like seven months into that feud yeah but this 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 is when the uwf starts looking like okay so you know this this starting to go down and it's not just top guys with the breached contracts leaving either like the undercard is kind of thinning out too yeah you know, you're about to lose Duggan. He's about to leave. Fantastics are leaving. You got, uh, you know, you have other people leave by this point in time. And it's still fun television, but it's not as exciting as it once was at this point in time, so to speak. You're, turn you're making Michael Hayes into this Charles Manson type character as well, in a way. So, yeah. Definitely not what it was in summer 86, that's for sure. No. Spring of summer. All right, new to the area is Super Ninja, who debuted on January 24, Fort Worth. All Dave knows is that he's definitely Japanese, but Dave's guess is that he's King Okamura, who's a pretty good wrestler. New Japan, new Japan claims Kimura is in Los Angeles training with Chuck Norris to beat Tetsumi Fujinami. That's <laughs> not who he was training with. Do you want to guess who he was training with, Bix? In Los Angeles? Yeah. Uh, would that be one Judo Jean LaBelle? No. No. I don't know. Who? Any other Any other guesses? Uh, is it someone who's a pro wrestler, at least? 
As somebody has a, has dabbled in pro wrestling, I don't know. Beanie the Jet Uquirtus. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, he's working here as a uh, Super Ninja, and he's not here long. No, well, he goes back to Japan because <laughs> Ryuma Go was working as Super Ninja and in, in, in other places, and Ninja Go. And, yeah, and Shinji Takano is working as a super ninja in places, too. Yeah. There's a lot of super ninjas in 1987, <laughs> America Wrestling. All right, uh, Terry Gordy's been looking super, despite the heavy knee damage. Officially, Gordy has a nearly severe collateral ligament, so he not, has not only heavily taped the knee, but also wear that giant brace. It's kind of an injury which ends football careers. Dave's heard all sorts of speculation as to what Gordy would be doing next from trying to gut it out while dropping some weight to relieve some of the pressure to possibly having the major surgery, which would keep him out of action for six months to a year. His matches with Dr. Death and the tag matches with Hayes against DiBiase and Doc continue to be first rate from what I've seen. That's something we don't talk about enough is Terry Gordy in this era on that, on those knees doing what he was doing. Yes. I mean, so Dave's right. That ligament damage at that point in time is ending football careers. So that's what that is. What ACL or MCL? Um, this would be MCL. Okay, but it's nineteen eighty-seven, right? <laughs> and this dude's going out there and heavily medicating himself and just having killer matches. Yes, and I don't think he ever gets the surgery, or at least if he does, no. it's after he ODs, right? But I'm pretty he sure he stop- doesn't get the knee surgery. He st- well, I think he starts wearing the heavy tape stuff in eighty eight, eighty nine ish, and then he drops a lot of weight in ninety two, ninety three. But he was dropping weight anyway. You watch him in. Well, I've been early. watching him in nine, and I've been watching him here in ninety. I've watched the the whole Triple Crown stuff with him and Hanson, the flip flop, flip flop of it. Yeah. He had already dropped weight by then. Some, so, so he's having he matches had, at the level of like the tag league finals in '88 on basically one knee. Yes, pretty much. And just, uh, I mean, heavy bracing and heavy everything. Just an amazing, amazing performer. And man, I mean, a man here, Terry Gordy. What a man! All right, well, this uh, interesting timing on this one. Steve, do it to a Cox, an All-American offensive guard from the University of Tulsa will be starting up here shortly. All right. The day that we're recording this, I found something on Facebook that I saw. Yeah, it's from a uh, uh, local TV news reporter in Tulsa. Yeah, so let me read this. It's a mugshot of Steve Cox. A Tulsa man is charged with threatening a violent act and two counts of assault with a dangerous weapon. The affidavit for Stephen Cox says people have been reporting strange encounters with him over a period of months. May 18th, 2022, he was arrested for leering at kids in a park. And when a woman confronted him, police say he told the child, I'll see you later. And walked off. And as the woman fought to get his tag number, he pulled out a knife and threatened her. He was charged with assault with a dangerous weapon. That case is still pending. He'd also been accused of following a teenage girl home and had been reported for driving through neighborhoods and cussing at random people and watching kids play at the park, watching kids get off school bus, but nothing that could warrant an arrest. April 3rd of 2022, he was accused by, of driving by two cousins, walking a doll, flipped them off, and yelled cuss words at them. And the cousins yelled back. Police said the driver accelerated and swerved at them like he was going to hit them and came very close. 
The cousins say the driver got out of the car with a knife, lunged at them, and threatened to kill them and their dogs, then drove off. They didn't know him. On October 21st, 2022, police say one of those cousins was with his mother when the same man approached them and threatened to gut them like a fish. Based on the description, the police put together a photo lineup in the witness pit Cox as the one who had done both the April and October incidents. Those are the new charges he faces. There, these are charges, not convictions. Um, there was somebody in the replies to the to that post on Facebook yeah. that's talked about how they knew Steve for years and said this doesn't sound like him. This sounds like that. This is probably CTE starting to get to him from wrestling and football. Yeah, which is possible, but still doesn't it? You know that that doesn't explain doing the type of things he did. Or allegedly did. Let's put that allegedly. So it would explain some of them. Yeah, but maybe, but not all. No, it's not. You can't. You can't. You know. I don't know. You just you, you can't use that as an excuse. No, no, you can't. So, but yeah, I mean, Steve Cox was a guy who he showed potential as a wrestler. Yeah, but he, his problem was timing. He debuts in UWF right as Bill Watts about to sell. Then he goes to world class. And then Michael Hayes takes him as his partner. He's the booker. He pushed him. Michael Hayes leaves for NWA. There goes Steve Koss's push. And, and Koss just and works around after that with different places. And yeah. He's just pretty much Never just an same. occasional Texas, Oklahoma indie wrestler after that. You know, he works UWFI once or twice. Yeah. But. Yeah, you know, he has the glo- he has a couple global matches. You know the thing with Stan Lane, but it's a sad situation. This is going on with him. Yeah. All right. Uh, don't have any official dates in new cities, although there are some tentative dates in Kansas City and St. Louis in March. That's the thing with all this. You know, you already seeing the signs that your business is falling, but you want to expand into all these new markets. Yeah. You know? Well, remember the original idea before the oil bust was we know we'll lose money in these new markets at the beginning, but the home territory can offset it. Yeah. And then that turned out impossible. Mm-hmm. The decision has been made for the most part to cut the schedule down to one show per night. They had been running two, which means several of the guys that have been working low on the cards won't be getting as much work. They believe Jack Victory's leaving, and those others are looking. Hey, Jack does go about the world class. So, and then there's this: another attempt by Kim Mantell to buy the company seems to have fallen through when some of his investors backed out. Where does he get all these investors? <laughs> he's, no, I mean, he's no Burt Prentice. We know <laughs> that, but I mean, he, he obviously knows how to talk to people. You know, I mean, in with world class, whatever he did or didn't pay, the impression we get is at least that it was Alec Simpson who was covering for him, which at least that's someone who we know he would have met through wrestling. You know, the Simpsons dad, the former Sammy Cohen. But I mean, I say that, too, because the only other business we really know about from him was doing multi-level marketing with Watts. Mm-hmm. Just being in the middle of a pyramid scheme. So, excuse me, alleged pyramid scheme. Um, 
so yeah, where does he keep getting all this? And then, I don't know. He's also very, he's also very lucky that world class, I forget, who, who blinks first? Is it world class or continental productions when they split shortly after this? Uh, continental. They pulled out before Fritz had the mm-hmm. bum bright thing in the mix? Okay. But was it, did they pull out specifically to do Wild West or did they pulled out over a dispute with Fritz? Dispute with Fritz. Oh, okay. Now I'm remembering as I think about it. Wasn't it something like they realized they gave Fritz too much, too good a deal? No, it was that Bob Bright had his own production company. They had their own production company they want to bring in. They're changing up. No, 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 no. I thought you said, though, that it was Continental who pulled out before. They pulled out before they, before they got fired. Right? Oh, 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 okay. But so Fritz was going to make the first move. Well, it wasn't Fritz. It was the new ownership, Bob Bright. But Bob Bright didn't own the territory. Well, they were fronting the money. It wasn't. I mean, Fritz was. Fritz did not make that call. <laughs> Fritz didn't make the call to change over the TV. No. Remember, they were going to move it to Bum Bright. Was going to move it to a, a studio at Texas Stadium. So what? What is Bum Bright's actual financial interest in the promotion? He owned it. <laughs> he was a, Do we actually know this? We were, we did a show. We talked about it between the sheets. But do we know for a fact that he actually owned anything? I don't know for sure, per se, but they were going to move world class. I, know, into I remember a, that. Yes, a building at Texas Stadium. Who owned the Dallas Cowboys? Right, right. No, I get what Bum you're saying. Bright. <laughs> Bum Bright. Anyway, let's go to world class. And that end up, you know, was it was it Dale Martin Productions or who who was it? No, 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 no. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And it, oh, I forget who the production was, but it was Andrews Martin Syndication, which was Max Andrews. No, it was something else. No, I think it was Andrews. It was Martin. something Martin. It was something Martin. Yes, Andrews Martin. But no, we we never called it that. We I'm not looking it up. That. Let's just move on to world class. All right, um, January Therapy Sportatorium. Scott Casey over Roberto Soto in your opening match. Dingo Warrior over Killer Tim Brooks. Steve Simpson, Tony Allison, David Manning over Matt Bourne, Master G, and Percy Pringle. Maya Von Eric over Brian Diaz by DQ. And Alberto Madrill over Lance Von Eric. <laughs> now, they had their big uh, Star Wars show on February 2nd in Fort Worth. Featuring Kerry Von Eric making his big return. Working against Brian Adias with Mike Von Eric and Alan Madrill at ringside. This was not televised. You can understand why. Kerry was moving well and had to stay stationary to throw his punches. He managed to put Iron Claw on Adias in the corner. And Madrill tried to make the save, but Mike stopped him. Then Gary Hart came out to hit Kerry's foot, and Adias laid on top of the pin. But Mike Adias and Kerry pinned him. Madrill and Adias also teased Ascension on the show, so it looks like they'll be breaking up soon. Not so fast but it's coming uh we have a live report which we'll get to in a second they drew a 20 disappointing 2500 3000 for the comeback official figure hopefully next week was around that carrie limp and Bailey got an incredible reaction name penadeus and blah, blah 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 we get the complete report from ron lemieux who's there on the site matt Bourne over scott casey ability by suplex two stars steve simpson roberto soto on bayface match half a star 
Fantastic. Double count with Arca Roll RPMs in eight minutes. Two and a half stars. Lance Van Eric over Master G with a roll up. One star. Red River Jack. Brody over Killer Turban Brooks with a knee drop on top rope. Half a star. Carrie Von Erich over Brian and Diaz. The only match people came to see. Match five minutes. It was for Heat. Best one of the show. Carrie wasn't moving well. Mike and Madrilla ringside. Stay stationary through the punches. Took forever just to make the turns for his disco punch. Finish saw Carrie on the claw. Madrilla tried to jump in, but Mike stopped him. Gary Hart didn't hit Carrie in the bad foot. Adias went up top. Mike didn't hit Adias. Put Carrie on top and got the pin. Two and a half stars. Did Manning over Gary Hart after 13 minutes of nothing but ref bumps. River Jack in a fear. Put Manning on top of the pin. Done. Kevin Van Eric over Al Madrid to retain the world-class title. Kevin won with a flying pin. Adias had hit Kevin with the briefcase with the $30,000 that Madrid had put up. Sure. Dud. Then Abdul the Butcher went to do- went beat Tony Allen's by countout in a match for the Brass Knuckles title. Both bled, but the match was horrible. Dud. Dingo Warrior pinned Bob Bradley to win the Texas title. From what Ron was told, this match was awful. Yeah, he left. And the 2,600 fans, less than 300, stayed to watch this match. Dingo Mania isn't running that wild. Oof. This promotion is just... I mean, God, the the, the dip they took at this point in time. It's just like, God. You know? Yeah. But you can see why it happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're putting brain-damaged Mike, and I don't mean that as a joke or anything, out there on TV constantly after he almost died. Like, how are people supposed to react to that? Yeah, I know. It, I mean, it was just, yeah. This TV's not good. The booking's not good. It's just, it doesn't even look like what it once was. It's rough. Rough time. And then, you know, you do this big thing for Carrie. You, you're trying to get him back, big comeback, and you can't air the, you can't really air the match on television because of how he looked. And then this helped make him worse. So, yeah. All right, let's continue. Uh, Al, Alan Perez. Al Perez. John Norton, Eric Embry are all rumored to be heading in shortly. Embry, at least the last Dave saw of him, was an excellent worker. He's the only guy. That Dave has seen doing a credible power drive on top rope, and the guy he saw him do it to, Bobby Fulton, is also in. Oh, yes. Yes, he would kill Bobby Fulton with that power drive off the top rope. To the floor on the table, too, by the way. And all these guys come in. And, and all, ha- all have runs. Fulton and Embry, probably one of the reasons he was the guy to take it was that they knew each other forever and trusted each other, I would think. Yes. I mean, they were in Calgary together, right? They worked a lot of places together. Yes. They were in Memphis together. They, I mean, one's from Ohio, the other's from Kentucky. They're from the same Eric, country. Eric, yeah. Eric worked at Eric worked as Don Fulton in Calgary. That's right. Actually, didn't they both start as Dale Man guys too? Yes. So yeah, they, they start, go they way back. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely history there. But, yeah, uh, yeah per- Perez comes in. He has quite the push. Um, Nord gets a push. He comes in. So, yeah, a lot going on. Yeah. I don't get why uh, Dave didn't mention what Embry did to poor Peter Vandergrayling in South Africa, though. Well, that doesn't happen yet. He's just not coming in. 
Oh, that's right. It's not till he wins the light heavyweight title. Yeah. That he uh, ends poor Peter Vandergrayling's career with the pile driver off the apron. Yes. All right, the AWA. Major items from the AWA start with Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Bobby Whitty. The tag belts from Buddy Rose and Doug Summers on January 27th in Bloomington, Minnesota at the Met Center, which drew just 750 fans. You know, just won the belts. His most recent word Dave has, Michaels and Jannetty have given notice and will be leaving effective early March. It could be with this that with this style of change that's happening that they may stay longer. Dave's really not sure any major promotion could use them as a duo right now. Anyway, which more than anything else tells the negative side of the business shaken down to two super promotions. Tactile change went more than 20 minutes and wound up with that excellent combination suplex finding, flying body press move done on Summers. They built this up so well for this change to happen. And, you know, you finally get it. But they took too long and it only drew 750 people in the Twin Cities. Yes. In the Met Center. Which holds what? Like 16, 17,000 for wrestling? Uh, yeah. Something like that. All right, I'm making sure that it's actually in the Met Center. Um, let's see here. Because Dave sometimes will get confused. I mean, he's talking in the results here about specific dollar figures and renting it that instead of, and that they're moving to the Minneapolis Auditorium. Yeah. Plus, then we well, have the yeah. date and okay. attendance up Yeah, well, here's the, here's the thing. It was at the Met Center, but here's the problem. You know what day of the week it was held on? Mm. Tuesday. When did they usually run Twin Cities? Sunday. Mm. Had they been running the Met Center at all before this, if they were running Twin Cities or just St. Paul? Yeah, they were not running the Met Center. So this is the first time they've run the Met Center, too? Uh, not the first time. Or one of the first. A rare time. Hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, not good. Not good. On a Tuesday. So, yeah. All right. Um, results of the show saw Zumhoff beat Brian Nobbs. Boris Zukov over Jerry Saganovich, Jerry Sags. Mr. Magnificent, Kevin Kelly over Earthquake Ferris. Steve Olsadowski over the Ninja by disqualification. Super Ninja. Colonel DeBeard's over Jimmy Snook on a coal miner's glove match when Boris interfered. Larry Zabisco Masaito down Nick Botwinkle and Greg Ganya when Ninja interfered. And Zabisco pinned Nick. And the MS of the tag title changed hands. Considering it cost an excess of $10,000 for the Met Center and the gate was around 8000 They didn't even pay the expenses for the building. Next Twin City show set for March the 1st at the Minneapolis Auditorium. After the for the show, Dave had updated a week later, was 11000 So the paid attendance was around 950 fans. So, yeah. This is the show where Larry Nelson comes out with the uh, leopard vest. We're in his, in his <laughs> midnight them. rocker gear, yes. Yes. And the sunglasses and everything. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's a longish match, but it's it's really fucking good. The whole feud's great. All right, Scott Hall, who's left here for Florida, was announced as being irreparably damaged. You know, like a VCR that's falling on the floor, which is why he won't be making all of his scheduled shots for the next month. Funny, because Hall's been inventing his name Botwinkle several seasons in February and won't be there, and yes, to the best of Dave's knowledge, he's still being billed. Hey, there we everybody. Dave's guess is Boris Zukov is staying because the Russian tag team scenes have already been forgotten. Paul DeMarco's, uh, him and his, him and, uh, 
Smirnoff, I think, was the tag team here. And Chris Markoff's protege in Florida is being billed as Ivan the Terrible, Ivan the Red. Hopefully we'll get his identity next week or so. And Zukov's no longer mentioned it's coming to Florida. Because that's where he was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Uh, yeah, a lot of shitty Russians. Fake yeah. Russians. Congressional NWA for a change this weekend. They pulled Scott Hall's name for the ads for upcoming dates and replaced them with Kurt Henning. At the same time, what kind of intelligence was it that allowed Scott to win the Salt Lake City Battle Royal a few weeks back when the winner gets a title shot when they knew he was leaving two weeks later? The excuse was they didn't know he was leaving is invalid because we had reported here that Hall was leaving for Florida full two weeks before that show even took place. AWA, everybody. Well, the rag sheets aren't something that uh, Vern Gottney can put much stock in. Why should he be listening the to rags. The rags. The rag sheets. All right, Milwaukee. Shitty Auditorium of January 24 for a 50-100. Did you say Shitty Auditorium? I'm trying to yawn and try, trying to talk at the same time. City Auditorium, yes. Drew 1500 January 24. We have Buck Sumo for Brian Boris over Jerry Sags, Kevin Kelly over Craig Ferris. Basically, the same results exact as uh, Minnesota. I mean, mm. Minneapolis, Bloomington. The same exact results. Steve over Super Ninja by DQ. DeVere's over Snuggle Club Miners Glove. Zabisco State over Botwin Hanganya. Janania Michaels over Rosa Summers. Non title. Okay. Also from the AWA, because word that the promotion says that you behind the scenes leader. And Gary Ron, the president of Star Communications and a local personality in the Twin Cities. Ron has bought into the promotion, although Vern apparently still owns a controlling interest. Ron's official title is Chief Executive Officer of the AWA, which means he's in charge of syndicating the television show. As mentioned last week, Syncast, which was Vern's old syndicator, had dropped the show. And Territorial Expansion. Apparently this will be an overhaul of the talent and many changes forthcoming. While the AWA certainly pushed for, most, for the most part unpushable acts, with few, very few exceptions, they didn't see anyone else out there that could get which could change their downward slide. There just isn't much marketable talent out there, which isn't signed to a contract by either Titan, Crockett, or Watts. Well, what they do is is uh, they bring Wahoo McDaniel in as the booker, along with Ray Gripple Stevens, and uh, go, go in that direction, bring in people, ex-Crockett uh, talent, and uh, people that are familiar with Wahoo and stuff. And the AWA changes by the end of the year. It's yeah. totally different. So Gary Ron, name you'll hear much. No, I don't remember hearing the name before. So, wonder how long he was in power. Probably not long. Yeah. All right, Portland. We got two shows from the sports arena, 24th, 31st, 24th. We have Pat Brady going to a draw with Mike Miller. The Mighty Sputnik going to draw Vinny Valentino. Joey Jackson over Taba Samoa. Coco Samoa, Enrique Santana, and Sky High Lee over Abudadine, Abudubadabian, Mike Miller, and Rip Oliver by disqualification. Then you have the next week, Joey Jackson going to draw with Sky High Lee, Vinny Valentino over Mike Sputnik by DQ. Coco Samoa going to draw with Mike Miller, Rip Oliver over Pat Brady, and Enrique Santana over Abudubadabian in the strap match. These are the dark ages of uh, Portland wrestling right here. Yeah. TV is so boring. It's, I mean, for them, it's like Central States. Yeah. It's like a Kansas City TV show in a lot of ways. Like Vinny Valentino. <laughs> well, there you go. And we close it. Well, don't close that yet. Oh, we got Hawaii. 
the Blaisdell Arena during our week, which I don't have the specific date mentioned here, but it's it during our week. We have Joe Solo going to a draw Robert Toronto. <laughs> that was his name? No, and he's, and uh, he's facing uh, Jumping Joe Solo, which I remember uh, Naylor saying, not to be confused with Jumping Joe Solo Volte. <laughs> Debbie Cones over Donna Day. Hawaiian Leroy Brown and Sakalia over Alex Knight and Dusty Wolf. Hiro Sasaki and Torquemada, or Kamaka here, over the Straw Machines, two and three. So that's Ricky Bassan and one Sumon of the Kim. other. Okay, yes. I was going to say one of the other Koreans whose name I don't remember. Well, not. Yeah, uh, maybe not Sumon Kim because he's wrestling in Japan, but one of them, yeah. Uh, Bruiser Brody and Superfly Tui over Martin Lewin and Kevin Sullivan. Adrian Street over Mr. B, whoever the hell that was. And the 20 man, $25,000 pole battle royal. With a Polynesian Pacific heavyweight title at stake, won by Superfly Tui. Hmm. So there's Hawaii. Nappy. We have Nappy Bix. Some notes from the Nappy Convention in New Orleans over the weekend. Among the rest of the Star Seeding Convention were the Road Warriors, Hulk Hogan, Barry Wyndham, Dick Murdoch, and Angela Death. UWF was there proclaiming their syndicated package as the best kept secret in syndicated television. Titan was there with a wrestling ring of several matches with Scott McGee, Jimmy Jack Funk, The Gladiator, Ricky Hunter, Paul Roma, Terry Gibbs, and Jerry Allen. Jerry Oski participating. Cindy Cass, the company which represented the AWA package in Los Angeles Convention, has dropped the package. The NWF, the group out of Camden, New Jersey, which you just started to slaughter Bruiser Brody a lot, lost their syndicated deal as well. Globe Wrestling was very well represented, and this was another new group called Women's Championship Wrestling. Based in Sherman Oaks, California. Oh, I'm sure the Prince of Wrestling's promos went over real well with the uh, local TV stations. <laughs> by the way, Gino and Bobby Heenan were doing fall by fall over the loudspeaker during the tight matches, while Glow also had a ring and showed TV execs some of the worst examples of wrestling known to mankind. Dave Lee, Gino Oakland, and Bobby Heenan got all entertainment tonight as well. The basic TV gist is that we aren't likely to see much in the way of expansion in syndicated wrestling this year. Several UHS stations are going belly up, while the Home Shopping Network is eating away at several others. Okay, so what does start in 87? POW, Wild West, anything else? It doesn't get on in the States, but I think Flair is 87, right? Well, Wild West starts up from the ether of UWF, yeah. But it doesn't – I don't know if it takes anyone syndicated slots directly. UWF and World Class are still running. No, they don't take their spots directly, no. Uh, uh, Global Wrestling. Is 87, yeah. There's still a decent amount of new shows going on the air, and one of them, you know – two of them are directly competing with other shows in Wild West and POW. Um, I'm guessing that the UWF demo tape that's online is – made for this nappy right yeah do they so. i forget do they use the words best kept secret in syndication there i think they did and they're putting over their market by market ratings and stuff and one thing i've always found fascinating about that too is because this is not really something they tried to put a get across on tv is how they push power pro as texas style wrestling you know, they talk about, oh, we're right next to Billy Bob's Texas, so your favorite country stars may stop by, too. But the wrestling style of Power Pro is not distinct from UWF. Calling it Texas-style wrestling is just a move to try to get stations to replace world class with it or 
get it thinking they're getting a world class like show. Yeah. Um, That's basically it. And as far as, you know, the WWF stuff with the ring, you know, now, you know, we have from that stuff, uh, I tweeted some of it, but someone I know found scraping stuff from like the ABC footage licensing website. We have raw news foot like news crew footage from at least the 86 nappy where you can see what like these demo matches with, you know, in 86, it was uh, Okerlund and Ventura on commentary. You know, what those look like and how they they use it to try to kind of explain wrestling to the various TV people who were wandering the convention floor. Mm-hmm. You know? It's, it's, it's so weird to see this era where there's so many different wrestling shows for sale, though. And, it's gonna, you know, it's going to be even more as years go on. Yeah. I also love the idea that of all the people that each promotion sends, Watts sends Angel of Death. I mean, he's tall, but I guess funnier is Crockett sending Dick Murdoch. Hmm. Well, it was New Orleans. Okay, yeah, that does make sense as far as locals, I guess. You know, Wyndham, tall, handsome guy. Road Warriors makes sense. Hogan makes sense, of course. Angel of Death makes sense in a certain kind of way. So, okay, so wait a second, though. So, I forget. Women's Championship Wrestling... The the videos that were released of the end stuff from NWF shows were part of the same line as the stuff from the California shows, right? Yeah, I think so. So I guess they just stopped running the California shows, which yeah, I'd love to know more about them because was it Bo who was on and was like, and always figured it was LPWA related recently because they were because of where they shot and how the tapings looked. Yeah, which they do look like LPWA. So, I don't know. But the production is very similar. But yeah, there's a Nat P. 1987 in New Orleans, which, after a certain point, it was pretty much just New Orleans and Vegas. Yeah. Alright, let's start with Jim Clark Promotions. Well, let's end with Jim Clark Promotions. What am I talking about? We're not starting, we're ending. <laughs> From the Crocus side of things, if here's the Central States Disaster Zone, is about to be abandoned. Word Dave gives us that the Crock guys will evacuate in the area at the end of this month, and in early March, transfer the circuit to base it out of Nashville, Tennessee, which means Bill Dundee will book the group opposite longtime rival Jerry Lawler. The plans are for this new group not only run in opposition to Lawler in cities like Evansville, Louisville, Memphis, Nashville, etc., but also to run shows in Chattanooga and Birmingham, the two top cities in the continental promotion. Well, Knoxville's the top city, Dave. Um, Word that Dave gets is that Mitch Snow, Brady Boone, Italian Stallion, Colt Steel, TJ Khan, Dundee, Mod Squad, and Christian and Todd Champion, excuse me, will head to the new Memphis circuit, along with pretty regular appearances by Jimmy Valiant and others. Meanwhile, Ken Timms, Bulldog Bob Brown, Rufus R. Jones, Battens, and Kurt Krachenko will stay in Kansas City to reform a new promotion that Bob Geiger will be full in control of. That one has even bigger disaster potential. While Dave Peterson and Warlord's future's up in the air. Both of them want to head to the AWA. The big rumor, though, is if if or when this happens, Dundee wants Lance Russell to be brought in as his announcer. This it would have been very interesting if this happened. Now, you know, we talk about in Florida, you know, the you know them eventually going to Florida and all that. 
what if this happens? Now, we know that Lance Russell and Jerry Jarrett at this time were not on good terms. They had been that way for years. They had not been on great terms since 83. No. It makes you wonder how different everything would have been if this happened. Yeah. And because all, if you if, if you get if, if they get Lance Russell as their play by play announcer, it gives them the credibility. Yes, that they would have needed. And also, what are we a little over a month away from the Mid South Coliseum show with Dundee Dusty to determine the true king of Memphis? Which Dundee won? It wasn't clean though, was it? No, but it wasn't clean. But he won the match. He was the winner. Yes. And that show didn't do well, but it didn't do terribly either. No. It drew 2,500 people. But still, I mean, you put them in Nashville, have them based on Nashville instead of Memphis, that gives it a different touch, you know? Yeah. And then you make it a like a, a, a full territory where you're going to Alabama. You're doing basically the old Nick Goulas loop, you know? Yeah, and if this is being talked about seriously at all, it makes you wonder how much of this is straight up just Dundee's influence and wanting to move back to Nashville. Well, they also start, I mean, this is also uh, around a time period where they're going to start debuting in Birmingham. And who's who's coming in? Bullet Bob Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I got to think that there, that this was a definite thing that was being talked about. You look at what's going on here. But it may, it, I guess it thinks that Dusty probably pulled rank, you know, and decided he was going to, you know, tell Jimmy we'd go to Florida. You know? Florida needs our help. They're happy to take it. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Once you have Florida in play like that for a takeover, you send this weird little circuit over there. Yes. And absorb it. I definitely wish this would have happened, though. It would have been interesting to see a promotional war between Jarrett and uh, Crockett on this. Yeah. And, and Valiant, too. I mean, don't discount Jimmy Valiant's drawing potential there. So, you got Dundee, Valiant, you know? So, when, when was Korchenko in there? Oh, Korchenko was uh, in and out of Kansas City. Uh, but in the Crocodized era? Uh, not long. Okay. And also, you know, it's about Warlord. How is it the Warlord never ended up in the AWA during no. this era? You thought, I mean, that would have been a natural. Yeah. But it didn't happen. All right, Lex Luger starts full-time this week. Dave doesn't want to give away the angle here, so just say it's going to take two months to port the play out. Most of what people are guessing is pretty close to what's going to happen. Luger will probably jump win them within two or three weeks, a few of him in singles. Which is only hope to have a decent match, Dave says. Luger's looking much better on TBS than he did in Florida. Of course, he's look good in 90-second matches against first-rate job guys like Randy Mulkey and George South. Yeah, and we'll have more on Luger and win them in just a little bit. Jimmy Garman's going to turn Bayface soon on a former team with his brother Ronnie, which is hilarious. As Ronnie just won the U.S. tag title to Barry Windham last month. But that doesn't matter, Dave. We have big angles coming. Wahoo McDaniel should be returning in action this week. Had to be out of action for a month due to injuring his arm during the podcast stampede in December. So there's that. Dave knows lots of stuff's about to happen. From the TBS show of the weekend, it's quite obvious the end result of all this four horse and angles that they'll turn on Ole Anderson. 
He'll become a babyface. Well, he turn. Well, he attacked him first. The Sunday TBS interview with Jimmy Garvin made it obvious he's also turning. We don't have that clip, sadly, because Sunday shows aren't on YouTube anymore. While on January 3rd for St. Louis, Dick Murdoch turned on partner Baron Von Raschke. Please don't feud them. So Murdoch expected to turn heel has already started. Expected heel turn. The only problem is feuding with the Baron or in the other role, Dave's heard Murdoch is slated for will be the types of matches that Murdoch will be awful in. You think, you think he's talking about Dusty or think he's talking about somebody else? I don't know. Kind of makes you think he's maybe talking about Jimmy Valiant or something. That makes sense. But Jimmy Van Dean Murdoch has a few. I don't know that, that. I don't know about that one. How that would have went. All right, Richmond on twenty four. First call, Sam drew eighty five hundred fans. As Nikita Koloff defeated Ric Flair by disqualification, thirty five minutes. Good match. First twenty minutes were rest holds. Via the over the top rope rule, although the finish was screwed up as Rick didn't get up in time to flip Nikita over, so Nikita died that all by himself. So they went to a twenty five minute draw with Dusty Rhodes. Horrible. Rowers over Rune Manny by DQ and Paul Jones in a fear. Brown Armstrong over Jimmy Garvin in a death match. Ivan Koloff under Pietroff over Dick Murdoch and Baron Von Raschke. Terrible. Morton Gibson and Barry Windham over the Midnights and Bubba in an elimination tag match, which went four falls. All combined time was less than five minutes. Oof. And Arn over Jimmy Valiant, mercifully short. And Tim Horner over Bill Dundee in less than two minutes. Interesting time issues on this show. Some matches went way too long, and you got these real short on the card. Yeah, sounds like some shows we've seen on TV lately. <laughs> yes, from both promotions. Yes. Of course, uh, it's cro- go ahead. I was going to say, we're moving to the next show. But go ahead. Okay, so this is, it says 8,500. Checking something. Do we know what the ticket prices would have been for this? No. Um, Because according to some information I may or may not have, ha- have the official gate was recorded as 88,824. Okay. With a note that all, t- with a note about something with $12. Which, if all tickets were $12, the gate would be much more than that. Yeah. Maybe it was much more than that, and someone took a little something-something. Yeah. All right, January 25th of St. Joe, Missouri. So this is Crockett. True 420 fans. It's Brady Boom pin the Warlord. Rufus and Italian Stallion beat Ken Timms and Korchenko by disqualification. Bulldog Bob over Sam Houston. The Lusley Town Texas Bullrup match. When won the Mod Squad through powder in Sam's eyes. And the Mod Squad beat Todd Champion and DJ Peterson. Crazy train. Oh, you remembered it for once. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles at the forum drew less than five thousand fans on twenty ninth. As Todd Champion pin Tijo Khan, very bad. Bubba over Randy Garvin in Louisville Street Fight. One star. Garvin was booed by the crowd and wouldn't sell. Even when Bubba hit him with a chain, then tried to blow Bubba up by riding him and choking him. Typical tennis racket finish with a very bad match. Uh Dusty and Tully went to a double DQ when Barry and Arn interfered. Two and three quarter stars. Totally worked very hard because this was taped for the uh, February 7th TBS special. Superstars, uh, Super Towns. Then Wyndham and Arn went to WDQ and Excellent Bloodbath, four stars. Rick Rude, Manny Fernandez down Dick Marashi, really terrible. Nikita beat Rick Flair up by DQ in 30 minutes over the top rope. Fans cheer Flair as much as Nikita. Rick cleared a match well, three and a half stars. And Road Warriors over uh, Midnight's in the Scaffold match, two and three quarter stars, which is also scheduled for this weekend's TBS special. St. Louis. What? It is interesting that they went back to the Scaffold match so quick and put it on TBS, even knowing they had the videotape to sell. Yes. And that that was the big draw for the videotape. Mm Mm-hmm. 
St. Louis on the 30th drew 1,900 fans, $21,000 gate. As Flair beat Wyndham by DQ in a match which lasted between 55-58 minutes and was simply incredible for the first half hour before both guys got a little tired. Still good after that as well. Three ref bumps and false finishes during the match. Also Nikita Pin Arn Anderson. Dusty over Tully in the first blood match. Advertised in the newspaper and on, te- and on television a TV title match, but billed as non-title in the building. Rude and Manny over uh, Murdoch Von Raschke when Dickey turned on Baron by refusing to take the tag. And after the match, beat Baron up until Dusty and Nikita chased him away. Midnight's and Bub over Tyus Day and Ronnie Garvin and Todd Champion. Building D retaining Central States title beating Brady Boone. Mod Squad down the bat and twins in a pretty good match. And Port Top Cash beat David Peterson on that one. So, uh, yeah. Not a good crowd for St. Louis. No. So, uh, you know, I mean... <sighs> for what it's worth, the official gate was recorded as five grand more than what Dave has. <laughs> They're burning it out. St. Louis has been burning anyway, but everybody's burning it out. Well, they don't have a home Kansas City anymore. And, yeah. Kansas City on the, th- on the 31st drew 1,000 at Memorial Hall. We have Bulldog Bog going to a draw with Titan Stallion, Todd Champion of the Warlord, T-Joe over Mitch Snow, Brady Boone over Ken Timms, Bands won number one contender match for U.S. Tag Titles, beating the Midnight's by disqualification. Brady Boone, Rufus, and Mitch Snow over Colt Steel, T. Joe Khan, and Ken Timms. Van over Double A by DQ. DJ Peterson over Portshaw Cash by DQ. Brad Armstrong beat Bill Dundee by DQ in a Central States title match. And then Dick Murdoch over Big Bub in a bar bar match. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Omni, February 1st, before 4,500, gated approximately 55,000, which is too bad for modern-day Omni cards. Had building the over Dutch Mantel in your opener. Five minutes, pretty good. Bob Armstrong returned to a thunder salvation and pinned Jimmy Garvin in 30 seconds with a forearm smash. Arn Anderson over Brad Armstrong in eight minutes when Lex tripped bad Brad as he was suplexing Arn in the ring. Pretty good match. Tully, Tully pinned the returning Wahoo Medina retained TV title when Luger hit Wahoo with a title belt. Match wasn't exciting. Crowd not involved with Wahoo at all. Robert Gibson, Ronnie Garvin, seven for Morton, defeated the Midnights in Lineage Tag Match. Originally a six man tag with Morton and Bubba, but Ricky missed the card. Eaton pinned Gibson after coordinate used the rack in eight minutes. Garvin pinned Eaton at 30 seconds, and Garvin pinned Country five minutes later to win the match when he had Dennis with Bubba's shoe, which had been thrown in the ring. That first match brawl where Ronnie got creamed until Gibson came back, got tennis rack, and chased the heels off. Dusty Nikita beat Ivan and Vladimir in 15 seconds when Ivan belted the referee. Cheap finish. Nikita then sickled Ivan had stared down on Vladimir, which got good heat. Roadies over Bull and Rude by DQ when Paul Jones interfered. Slow pace, lots of stalling, not selling, but the fans are into it. And then Riffler and Barry went in with 60 minutes. Both bled. Not as good as expected. It cost 35, 40 minutes with rest holds. The rest holds are getting heat, so the match worked. They'll return on March 1st, probably with Flair and Barry in a 90-minute time limit. The entire car was filmed, so probably a few of the bouts, short ones, and even the ones where Luger was involved, since they're pushing him hard now, will show up this weekend. No. <laughs> so, I mean, it may be a clip or two, but no, no full matches there to this. No. But the, the, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, the official gate for this show was exactly what Dave had, 55000 The hottest rumor on the, on the show was that the UWF would be holding the show the Omni shortly. Dave's repeating it only because he's pretty sure it's true. That's a heck of a way to write that. Well, it's still a fanzine at this point. Um, and it's true. Yes, it is true. It's going to be uh, in conjunction with Deep South and, to a degree, Petticino and Pro Wrestling this week. 
And it takes place the uh, days of the sale. Yes. Mere days. So, yeah. There's that, too. Dave has no idea why they aren't hyping the TBS show at all. But last he heard, it's set for 735 to 10.05 Eastern. This is the Supertowns show. 435 705 for those on the West Coast. Where has the Road Warriors Midnight Scaffold from L.A.? Rock and Rolls against Ivan and Vladimir from Hollywood, Florida, which was a terrible match. Dusty and Tully from L.A. Arn and Barry from Philly, plus Rick and Nikita from Atlanta. That's just what they did. They, they, it wasn't about the promotion of their shows, and that's why they were what they were. It's ridiculous. It's a weird special. It is weird special. Yeah. It's good to see those matches, but it's weird. Yeah. Suppose that Crockett will be getting a strong VHF out TV out in Los Angeles for the next month. And with the right time slot, should be easily be able to average eight to ten thousand here for monthly shows. There's ten to return day for Los Angeles for March nineteenth. Well, the best day could tell there's no return to San Francisco schedule. This is what KTLA. I think so. Yeah. And doesn't do great in Los Angeles, though. No, but do you want to explain VHF to people that may not know what that means? Oh God, I guess I should. Um. Okay, how do I explain this? VHF. Is I don't know the technical specifics. VHF though is basically an FM signal. That's why there used to be radios you could get that to pick up VHF TV stations. It's channels two through thirteen. UHF, which was introduced in what was it, late sixties, early seventies, something like that, mm-hmm. was for channels uh, fourteen to sixty nine. But in practice, usually like 20 through 69, because for reasons I forget, but it was a technical thing, you couldn't get as good a signal on 14 to 19, if I remember right. Um, Well, no, in some places. Oh, well, no, because there's Channel 17, obviously, with TBS. I'm I'm overthinking this, because I know there's some, I've heard examples of this, but I don't remember it exactly. Um, Generally, in the... With analog, you would get a better signal with VHF. With digital, the opposite is true. Most digital over-the-air stations these days are UHF. And the channel number that's retained from when they were on VHF is a virtual channel number. It's actually broadcast over a different channel. As we've learned, including in New York, where they did move them for some reason uh, once the full digital transition happened... VHF, especially for the antennas most people use indoors, kind of sucks for digital. Like, when I was still bothered using an antenna, I think it was Channel 7 ABC, Channel 13, PBS, and maybe one more that were VHF. And you couldn't get nearly as good a signal on those, despite the transmitters all being in the same place on the Empire State Building. So, in this era, though, you want VHF, if you can manage, of course. But UHF also had to do with a lot of growth of wrestling on television. Because suddenly you had all these independent and other stations that needed programming. Speaking of programming. We have a lot of clips here. So let's start with Worldwide, which uh, January 24th Worldwide is the one-hour Ric Flair, Barry Windham special, basically. It's the uh, match takes up the whole hour. And they've got Dusty Rhodes on commentary wearing a suit with a Tony and David, of course, we're not going to play the whole match, naturally, but we're going to play the last minute or so. So let's watch the ending of this match. Pull him down. 
Oh, you couldn't find one ripped from the player DVD. I just want to look like a pod. Dr. Tom Miller. should have just stopped counting when they got to 10 seconds and then just rang the bell on the two count. <laughs> it it well. comes off so fake the way they did it. Or it's like, three, yeah. two, well, where it was like 10, stop saying anything, five, four, three, two, one, Barry covers, long pause, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Not great. <sighs> no. Not great, but a hell of a fucking match. Yes. I mean, just fantastic match. Yes, of the ones we have from them, I guess Battle of the Belt is con the consensus best. What do you put as number two, this or Crockett Cup? Probably this one. I think so, too. I think I like this one better, too. Um, are we playing the wrap-up with Tony and Dusty? <sighs> it's only a few seconds. <laughs> um, I guess... Okay, back with the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes and Dusty. It was one great event between the two men. It was it's tremendous like event. The thing is, the World Heavyweight Champion is still Ric Flair. I think we might have somebody in the locker room. See if we can get a shot or a question or an answer from Ric Flair. Let's go with Bob Cotter to the dressing room. Yeah, it's missing from this copy. So. Yeah, there you go. All right. So, we go to the Pro Show, which aired on that day, where Ric Flair... Uh, has a new contender in the offing. So let's go to that clip. But this is via the TBS show. 
From TBS, yes. But it's them showing a clip from Pro. Yeah, yes. Now, just a few minutes ago, Tim Horner was out here and talking about the continual jumping of the four horsemen onto people, and he talked about you, Brad, and I was there, and I saw what happened. Yeah, Tony, you know, something happened to me the other day, the brother that cost me a heck of a lot, you know. I was out on an interview. They've asked me to come out here and make an interview. Now, Ric Flair had intruded on my interview time. I realized the world heavyweight champion, with all due respect, he did come out there, and I was out there unknowingly behind, the, behind my back in come the four horsemen, brother, and they did a number on my head. Well, I tell you what. That's never happened to me before. I've seen, I've seen it happen to Dusty Rhodes. I've seen the horsemen do it to Dusty. I've seen the horsemen do it to Barry Windham now. And they've done it, done it to several other people. Well, I'll tell you what, it don't, take, it don't happen to an Armstrong but once, Jack. It don't take us but once to learn. But an Armstrong's like a fine watch. It'll take a licking and keep on ticking. And if the four horsemen got anything to say about it, brother, come on out here. Like I said, I can't stand out there and talk to Ric Flair or talk to any of the horsemen word for word on a microphone, but I can get in that wrestling ring and wrestle with them any day of the week one-on-one, Tony. As long as it's not four-on-one, we do it one-on-one. Armstrong's can handle it. Okay, Brad, let's all take a look right now what happened to Brad Armstrong. Here we are with Brad Armstrong, and Brad, good to see you again. Well, thank you very much, Tony. You know, what you just saw was an awesome force of professional wrestling. The Four Horsemen, a part of the Four Horsemen. Oh, here's the world champion, Ric Flair. Mr. Brad Armstrong, nice to see you, but you're on my interview time. Excuse me, sir. I've made no. arrangements to be out here. This is my interview time. You uh, don't have any place anywhere near the set when I'm out here. People are here listening to me talk. No, people, were, you asked for nothing. You have nothing no, to say. Asked. I was what asked to be out here. Talking about Barry. Off listen, the set. Listen, with all due respect. <laughs> with all due respect. Off the set, I told Flair, you. I was asked to be out here for this time. Here. They told off me to come out here for this time. Tony Schiavone. Dusty Rhodes. Nikita Koloff. I'm sick of your mouth, man. You can talk a whole lot, brother. If you want to get if you want to get it on, BA's ready. I was brought up in a wrestling family. I can't stand out here and talk word for word with you, but I can get in that wrestling ring and go move for move you any day of the week. Anything with me, Tony Schiavone. Dusty Rhodes. Right now. Nikita Koloff. Don't get in my face again. You are going to make an ultimate mistake. You are way too far in the youth of your career. All right. So yes, it's up for Flair and Brad to have house show matches, and the like. You know, Brad was gonna, you know, be up there in that scene in that level. Yeah, he's there for a little bit, but yeah. I would say of his national runs, this one is probably his best overall as like a total package. Yes, his promos are better. He's showing more personality overall. But it get, kind of gets cut short, probably thanks in part to the uh, UWF. Yeah, they put him put him and Tim Horn together against tag team, and well, they're they in the same promotion, it. Chris. What do you got? What do you do? <clears throat> you know, you got to do that. It's a rule. Yeah. All right. So now we continue with World Championship Wrestling. Barry Windham and Lex Luger. Luger's in. 
Wyndham's a want to know what's up with him. So let's go to the clip. Exactly what's going on with James J. Dillon up there. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> what do you do, Vix? <laughs> he adjusted himself. Of course he did. Also, he is massive here. Yes, he is. Boys business but mine and his. You know? Not the part he adjusted. Just his physique. <laughs> it's been a hectic week for me. Since my national debut, things have been on fire the wrestling world. My phone has been ringing off the hook. Movie producers, television producers, advertising from the big app in LA and all points in between. Everybody wants a piece of Lex Luger. I'm the hottest commodity in professional sports today. Now, you know, there's a lot of controversy, it seems, surrounding my announcement that I'm going to become a horseman. But you see, Horace says, relax. You're already one of the highest paid athletes in sports. You're already successful. But there's always that next step up. Complacency is a word that's not in my vocabulary. I always want a little bit more. That competitive edge. And they are the elite. They're at the pinnacle, the summit of professional wrestling. That's what the horsemen are all about. I like the way their financial statements look. And I like the way their lifestyle looks. That's what I want to be a part of. And that's a horseman. Okay, Lex Luger here with us once again, and what a tremendous win it was for him right here on television. And then the whisper by James J. Okay, Lex, you know what? Barry Wyndham back out. Now, Luger, I realize you're a very busy man. You've got everybody in the world calling you, but I tell you, I'm just trying to help you. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. You know, you don't return anybody's calls. I've left messages on your recorder all week, but like you said, you got the your phones ringing off the hook. Listen, you do not want to be a horseman. You know, Barry, you have no idea what's going on. By the time we walked here. out here during my one interviews, it's getting me very rude. But I'm going to let it slide this time because we've been friends. You understand that? But let me tell you, you come out here again, I'll, I'm not going to let it slide next time, all right? I'll tell Just you be aware of that. I'll tell you what, you're making the biggest mistake you'd ever make, but I will not come out here on your interview time anymore. But i tell you what, you want to be a horseman, You'll look across that ring and you'll see me standing there. You know, someday Barry Wyndham's going to grow up, find out what financial security and obligations are. He's going to find there's more to life, Barry Wyndham, than blue jeans, tank tops, and sports to pay your car payments. You'll realize someday that I'm right and want to be a horseman. Okay, Lex Luger fans, don't you dare go away. More action right after this timeout. How about the heavy foreshadowing for another year and a half? Which part? Well, Luger just said. Which line? I somehow didn't you, catch this part. Were you not listening? I didn't, just I didn't notice it as being heavy foreshadowing, so I didn't pay that close attention to, to think he's, of it as foreshadowing. You probably were. Said, yeah, because I'm paying attention. All right, so what he said was, he says, one day you'll grow up. And realize that all this stuff is more important. Okay, yes, than... I didn't. That I didn't think of that as being foreshadowing, but yes, that makes sense. And then Barry does that, turning on Lex. Do you think that was the idea the whole time? I don't think it was the whole idea the whole time, but I just think it's amazing that the symmetry of all of it. Yeah. Also, I kind of get the feeling watching that promo that. Uh, 
maybe once he starts traveling with the horsemen, that maybe Flair was like, you might want to drop some of that size so you're not huffing and puffing during your promos after your matches. <laughs> well, he changes it up. He changes his physique a little bit, yeah. Well, he he here he's still huge, but it's not long after this that he starts having like the more athletic Luger physique. Like the the one we remember him having for most of his time in Crockett and WCW. Yeah. You know, before like he gets starts to get gigantic again in ninety one. Yeah. Um because yeah, this is probably the biggest he is until then. Yeah. I don't remember him looking this big towards the end of the Florida run, but he's got to get that polish for national TV, too. Yeah. All right, Rock and Roll Express. They have a special guest with them on this episode of uh, World Championship Wrestling. So let's go to that clip, shall we? Ricky Lee Jones? (laughs) No. This comes a time. Comes a time where they take all the pressure. They have to put all of it on them. But you see Manny Fernandez, Rick Rude, and Paul Jones, the pressure's on you, and you can't handle it. You see, baby, all the matches we have with you, when the match is over, you're running back to the dressing room with your tails between your legs. But you know, baby, the rock and roll fed out a long time ago. If you want to hang around the big dogs, you got to get up off the porch. You see, baby, because if you want to be the champion, if you want to be a big star, it's a long, long, hard ride. And speaking of a long, hard ride, no matter if it's rock and roll, no matter if it's country music, the number one man on Jim Crockett promotion and the number one man on the Rock and Roll Express is right here today. I'd like to bring him out here right now, Mr. David Allen Cole, Tony, because he's playing right here in the round. Okay, good to see you, David. Hey, how you doing? All right, David. Uh, I want to say a couple things while I'm out here. and uh, One of the things that I want to say is uh, I'm expecting you guys to win them belts back and bring them back home to us. And, uh, and I especially want to say something to Ric Flair while I'm here today. And I know that you won the championship back from my partner, Dusty Rhodes. And I know you've been resting easy since Magnum T.A. had his accident. And I know you heard that he'd never walk again. But I just want you to know that he took his first step about four days ago, buddy. And he's coming your way. I heard you playing here in town. Yeah, I'm playing here tonight at the uh, center stage. Uh, so y'all come out and rock and roll with the David Allen Coban. Tony, we have to go and can't be late. Because Jay Roberts got two loving ladies that just won't wait. Okay, David Alico, good to see him. And of course, as always, a Rocky Roll Express. More action with those superpowers and much more. Don't you dare go away. Yeah, notice where he's playing. The center stage. <laughs> David Alico's hair there, Bix. It's magnificent. Uh, down, down past the crack of his ass. <laughs> He had a lot of hair. Yeah. I'd expect him to play someplace bigger than center stage at this point, unless that was the idea, to play a smaller place. Um, I mean, it's probably, you know, the idea at the time, more intimate place. Now, David also had his, uh, his special shows he would play in, in different places, yeah. where he could play his special songs that he couldn't play at his normal gigs. <laughs> <laughs> his racially uh, tinged music they could oh play at his normal gigs yeah so there was that too but uh yeah alright um well not just racially I mean there's some racial but a lot of it was adult he had an adult album he put out uh 
one of the names of the songs was I want to fuck the shit out of you. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yeah. All uh, right. Come, come stains on my pillow where his big black dick is being was another song. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> she went away and left me. Lord, she never said a word. And even if she would have told me, I probably never would have heard. Well, she won't said no other woman, honey, could ever lay up in her bed. Now there's come stains on the pillow. But she won't You gotta play I Wanna Fuck the Shit Out of You. You got to play that way. If you're gonna play any song, uh, you got to play I Wanna Fuck the Shit Out of You. <laughs> uh... I never get the first time I heard that song and I about died. <laughs> oh no, it's I'd, oh, I'd like. <laughs> Excuse me. I'd like to fuck the shit out of you. Yes, go to that. <laughs> It's right there. You got the link right there. I'm looking at your. Screen. I didn't have it. Oh, okay. Now I see it. Okay. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Here's oh, not for the original. Oh, okay. The original. Yeah, that's that's why I wasn't sure if I should click. Oh. Okay. Okay. Wait. I'll I'll use YouTube search. David Allen Co. I'd like to fuck. <laughs> no. Hey, it's called it's called fucking in the butt. Excuse me. Oh, fucking that's the, the actual correct name. Yes, sorry, sorry. Oh, so oh, so th- so that t- that version of the title is literal then. Okay. Fucking <laughs> in the butt. I'd like to fuck the shit out of you. 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 This is the type of thing you get in the uh, place in Emma J. Please put my plan in your hand. Hey, please put my plan in your hand. Hey, please put my plan in your hand. Please put my plan in your hand. Please put my plan in your hand. You ain't getting this at center stage, folks, I tell you that. Oh, I thought you said the smaller venues were getting uh, this. No, this is like um, – no. When I mean smaller venues, I mean like outdoor shows in, in – Oh, okay. Like a place like LHJ Georgia. Yes. Out, yeah, yeah, the outlaw shows. <laughs> like the fucking in the butt. I, don't know, I never forget the first I heard that. Oh, my, oh my Wait, God. So where, what are these racialized lyrics of the other one you're thinking of? Because that's not in the lyrics I'm finding. Okay, there was one that was – um. I can't remember the name of it, but it was about it's about black dicks or something like that. Oh boy, I can't remember. Uh, you're gonna make me okay. I'm gonna use okay. I'm gonna use incognito mode for this one. 
Uh, uh, oh, Jesus Christ. That is that really the, the name of that song? Uh, where am I at? No, I'm I not, I didn't I didn't open in there. Uh N-word fucker? Um I think that is it. Yes. Uh But I I don't know if that's that there was a guy that was doing stuff that sounded like him. That people said it was him. But it wasn't him. There is that. Yeah. Yeah. There was that. Oh, that's the other. That's why there was that Red Peters thing. Because I was I was thinking the first one sounded like that. How's your whole family song? Yeah. How is your whole family? How's your whole family? How's your whole? What the fuck is this? it, it seems like I think this is one of the ones that's supposed to be in the style of the Dirty David Allen Co. albums. But um, yeah, there was yeah there was a guy that did uh, oh god I can't remember his name that did um, songs that sounded like David Allen Co. But it wasn't that were like racist because it was oh god I can't remember the name of so that this song. I'd like to fuck the shit out of you was also Red Peters. He did a version of it, yeah. So. Well, the name. Well, anyway. Anyway, yes. What a diversion anyway. there. Yes. <laughs> Fuck it in the butt. Made it between the sheets. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we, let's go to the next week, January thirty first, World Championship Wrestling, where we get JJ Dillon out with Lex Luger. Let's go to the clip. So do we think Lex is going to put his gland in his hand this time? <laughs> as long as he's going to start saying, baby, would you give me some head? <laughs> Out here with James J. Dillon. Well, I think it's time we got to clarify a few things. Ooh, the camera cuts away before he can do it. Everybody's kind of made their position pretty clear, but still there's been a lot of confusion over what the And his hand keeps going, going down there anyway. And as you see, I'm out here. <laughs> see, they've learned because this week they're shooting him from the waist up. <laughs> they know all by this point that they need to shoot him from the waist up because it is, of course, one of his... Wait, I haven't done this one in a while. Wait, shit, what? Wait, what key do I have that mapped to? It's been a while. Hold on. Uh... Do I have it under L? No. What do I Baby, have Baby, would you give under? me some head? <laughs> oh, okay. I, now I remember. Allocates. Sorry. Today, and I might say very proudly so, to accompany Lex Luger to the ring. That does not mean that the situation with the four horsemen has changed. The four horsemen are still the tight unit that I told you that they were going to be, that they will continue to be. We did not plan to expand... Ric Flair still reigns as the world heavyweight champion. I feel he will for a long, long time. Tully Blanchard demonstrated... It's amazing after last week how suddenly Lex has someone to cut his promo for him while he catches his breath, isn't it? Mm-hmm. ...today that he's willing to put his reputation on the line each and every day. He's willing to put $10,000 on the line that says that he is the very best at what he does, and that's defending the world television champion. The Andersons are still the tight-knit unit that they always have been. But still, Lex Luger... And a man like this only comes along once in a lifetime. And he is a great, great athlete. And I have an exclusive agreement. I am the executive director of Tully Blanchard Enterprises. That has not changed. But we realize that there's room in the limousine 
for Lex Luger. And he is officially our associate at this point. The circle of friends of the Four Horsemen is a very small one also. We're very selective about who we want to run around with and who we want to run with us. And Lex Luger has deserved this opportunity, and we're just happy to join him to our elite group. You know, this is a step one. When I left Florida, every promoter, every manager rang my phone but one. That's the man here, because he's got to call people up, and that's what interested me, because he didn't call. Everyone else did. So what I'm saying is step one, we have the association, my ability to make money, his ability to parlay money, and other investments. This association is a match made in heaven. And this is, I want to be a horseman, he knows my intentions, but I plan on earning it. Okay, Lex Luger and James J. Dillon, but he's not a horseman, is that what you're saying, or is he a horseman? I think that's a very minor point. We made it very clear. He is our associate. I don't think you need to uh, discuss it any further. Okay. James J. Dillon and Lex Luger. More action when we come right back. Let's face it. The best is right here. Okay. Um, I like the little thing of throwing in. Well, remember, I'm still the executive director of Tully Blanchard Enterprises. But that's the, that's the thing. He was an associate. He when he when he first comes in, he is a member of Tully Blanchard Enterprises. Right. He he is an associate of the Horseman via being signed to Tully Blanchard Enterprises. Exactly. Yes. And then when he initi- when he's in the Crockett Cup, which Horseman is his partner, once he's a Horseman, Tully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you knew it was going to happen. So, it's time for Luger to turn on Barry Windham. Let's go to the clip. The horsemen were red hot today, and this was quite an event for the horsemen. We're on a roll, Tully Blanchard, as you said, successfully defended the world television title. Then the world heavyweight champion showed what a diversified athlete he is by going in the ring and tag team commentation with one of the Andersons. So, I know he had to feel good. Barry Windham. Luger, one last time. Now, I can't believe you're doing it. You can't believe that you're associated with this man right here. You don't need to do this at all. Let me tell you something. I've been sitting back and I haven't uttered a word up to this point, but you've been throwing in something. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you Badly telegraphed by the cameraman. Did he have that shirt pre-cut? Because he pulled Barry's shirt apart very easily. Yeah. Like an even by David Barry numbered right here. Look at JJ using his free shoes, kicking him. Right to the head. That's him coming out. Oh boy, it's Tim Horner making the save. Oh, Tim Moore's getting the push. Tomley walks away. He's not afraid of anyone. Okay, we got to take a break. Obviously, Barry Windham's hurt. We'll be right back. All right. Well, I tell you, two people is not not happy about this. The superpowers. You're trying to check that shirt. Yes, of course. Either that or you're trying to look so you can catch Lex putting his hand in his pants. No, no. You know what it is? Here's what they it's didn't not... really cover. If it's pre-torn, they went with, they went with like a uh, 
Oh, what's the brand that made these shirts with that? It's a polo shirt. No, but it's um, it's the one that has the little embroidered thing on it too. But it's, but it's a polo, and I'm sure the cut is where you can't see it. And I'm sure they had him wear that, so you couldn't see it. Yeah. So, nicely done there. Switching gears now, be that as it may, and then from there. Yes, let's go to the reaction. Ivan Vladimir out here making threats not only to hurt Nikita, but to hurt Dusty Rhodes. I heard what Ivan Korov, and there's a big mouth say, and I tired of it, Ivan Korov. I tired of what you have to say. You say, I stand behind Dusty Rhodes. No, I stand alongside Dusty Rhodes. You see, we are partners, we are friends. And you're going to find out. You say, I attain every goal I want to attain. You're right. I want to be World Tag Team Champion. And I went out and I was World Tag Team Champion. World Six Man Champion. USA Champion. I want to be World Heavyweight Champion. And I'm going to be someday I'm a goal But now I have a new goal. And that is for you and Vladimir Pietro to find out just how come America Dream and Nakia Korov are the superpower. America Dream. Yeah, all right, all right. Yeah. Now, dear, the full horseman, Lex Luger, associate. J.J. Dillon, they wouldn't have laid out on this concrete floor talking about getting fucking like a monkey. This time, we get fucking like a monkey. Lex Luger, no place, nowhere have you ever, ever get a hold of the power of the American dream in this country. Now then, you're a member of an elite group. You ride in the same limousine. So you're going to take the same butt chicken every time me and Nikita get ready for it. You chose your path. Now then, we go get fucking like a monkey. Dusty Rhodes and Nikita Koloff. Let's go back to the ring. <laughs> Notice that Flair earlier was wearing his Lakers starter jacket and Dusty's wearing his Celtics starter jacket here <laughs> well dusty actually has his history in boston though so there is that i know but you gotta love the competition there between those two and their their fan base yeah. well, um actually i'm curious to hear a little bit of the wwe network's version of smooth operator to, just to see what it sounds like okay <laughs> I mean, it's, this seems like one that may have actually be, originated as a generic knockoff of Smooth Operator. Yeah, that's one of the better sounding ones they'd use. Yeah. Yes. So, all right. Well, Ric Flair is happy about all that's going on here. So let's go to Nature Boy Ric Flair. Nature Boy Ric Flair. What is he wearing? <laughs> He's wearing a suit with a fur coat, a black fur coat with a um, like a. Um, Cream so cream colored blazer, yeah. black slacks, a blue uh, dress shirt, yeah. collar popped. He's styling and profiling here. And he's got his sunglasses, of course. And that yes. was the Midnight Express. My good friends, Bobby well, Bobby he's worked on this show. Well, the he just worked. He wrestled. And believe me, brother, and his hair, showered hair. They, yeah. say yep. they can do. They can do. Now. Here we are at a point in time. You don't mind if I slip out of this mink coat here, do you? Uh, uh, come on over here and hold this one. Come on. Come on over here, guys. Hold on, people. Right there, right there. 
what I'm going to do, Tony Schiavone, and all my magnificence, is tell you why. And you know, I, I hate getting sweaty. I hate getting sweaty before I got to come out here and talk to the public because I know that anything I say, the people know is as good as gold they can put in the bank. Right now, Lex Luger, whoo, the monster. And I got to tell you up front, Luger and I have not always seen eye to eye. But right now, Luger's showing me a lot of style and a lot of class. And most importantly, he's showing me and the other four horsemen a lot of wrestling ability. Because you see, regardless of the fact that we party all night long, if we ride around in long limousines or our private jet, the horseman's mainstay in life is the fact that they can wrestle better than anybody else. That's why I see Luger and Tony Blanchard as a great tag team combination. Maybe the cup, baby. Maybe the cup. Now, Barry, Barry, Barry. What you want to see is about the splendors, right, girls? Huh? Yeah, right here. This was about 1800 bucks at Caesar's Palace. You know, Tony Schiavone, I really get off coming out here after seeing Dusty Rhodes. And there's nothing happening. Larry Bird, Celtics, Green Jacket, those honky boots. There's nothing happening. Blue jeans, Nikita Koloff. All he can do is go like this. Now, you know what that tells me, Koloff? You're like a lot of women I know with a full sweater and empty head. In other words, you got everything going for you physically, buddy, but nothing up here to make it go round and round. And tonight, in Charleston, West Virginia, Nikita, I'm gonna walk that aisle, looking as only I can look. And my friend, you go down. You know why? Because I am the world's heavyweight wrestling champion, and I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna be in Baltimore, Richmond, and Atlanta, Georgia. Barry Windham, you wanna show the world why you're back in the NWA? Why you came back to the big time? Well, you got your shot, Barry Windham. All you gotta do is beat Slick Rick. No big deal, right? All you gotta do is beat the world's heavyweight wrestling champion, Tony Schiavone. You're wrapping up here, guy. But let me show you something. Because I, I'm that kind of a guy. Oh, never carry less than five grand, buddy. 500. Do something about that coat before I get back next week, guy. I can't be standing out here looking like I do. But I'll put it on later. Ladies, the Space Mountainettes auditions all over the country. We like your member between the ages of 18, 28. No boyfriends, no husbands. If we're at the Marriott or the higher agency, you just style and profile right in that door, grab hold of one of the horsemen, and we'll do the rest. The world champion, Ric Flair. More action right after this timeout. Only someone was saying they wanted their girls to be at least 18. <laughs> but Tony's wearing a Jim Crocker Promotions blazer, which yeah. is the funny part about that. Well, Flair a sports him. blazer. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's why he's telling him, get a new blazer, guy. <laughs> oh, man.
All right. Well, let's go to the end of the show where we have a gathering of some of the horsemen and Lex Luger. Let's watch the clip. Is a snot nosed kid mentioned? No, 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 no. We're way too late. Look at what happened. And now James J. Dillon has members of the Four Horsemen along with Lex Luger. This is a very, very elite group here. And I look at, you know, as I look at up here at the monitor, this man really helps fill out the picture. Wouldn't you say so, Double A? Pure and simple, like we told you, Rhodes. You wonder why Lex Luger wants to be affiliated with the Horsemen? It's pure and simple. The places you go that they let you in with holes in your blue jeans, those nasty boots, and one of those big goofy 10-gallon hats, you can't get in the places we go that require a coat and tie. You're talking about quality athletes. You look at Tully Blanchard, world television champion. You look at the mecca of manhood, Ric Flair, world's heavyweight champion. You look at myself in the rock. We're a synchronized, polished unit. We will sacrifice one of us to get the eventual end. And you're talking about masterminds? Right here it is. All in closing, let me say this. Everybody on this earth wakes up every day of their life wishing they were somebody else. Well, you look around at us, we're just ecstatic being ourselves. Let me say one last thing. This week we were all in Las Vegas. And up on Caesars Palace, they had Bill Cosby and what was the other guy, Sammy Davis. And all of a sudden, I seen the guy out there ripping down letters as fast as he could pull them. And before we left town, it said the four horsemen are in town. Boys, this is a special moment right here. Let's join hands. My man, my man, my part of it. All right, the horsemen. <laughs> Members of the Four Horsemen. And what a day this has been for them. The next time we're in Las Vegas, buddy, we're going to bring you along and do the play-by-play, Daddy. We'll see you next week on World Championship Wrestling. So Luger put his hand on top. But notice Arn is talking about him and Ole still being the team here. But JJ is already starting his his whole thing by this point in time. And so I, Flair was saying, how nice would it be to have Luger and Tully in the Crockett Cup together? But yeah, but, but the deal was that Arn and Ole were still tagging. That's my point, though. Would you have more than one horseman team? Yeah, you would. Well, because Arn ended up tagging with Kevin Sullivan. Well, so. So. Well, that's a whole different matter. But anyway. It's starting. It's starting to get hot and heavy, and they did they did a lot of interesting uh, booking and all this and tying everything together. Very, very layered story they're they're weaving here at this point. And Rick and Oli had just teamed earlier in the show, so Oli was there. Hmm, that's the thing. So that's more foreshadowing. Yes. Okay. Oli was there. All right. The reason Jim Crockett's running the show in Hammond, in Indiana, in a few weeks because. They've been able to get a return date both in the Rosemont Horizon, so Hammond's as close as they can get to Chicago. Okay. I was curious. So I looked at History WWE. It says that the Hammond Civic Center show on February 25th drew 500 fans for a show with Flair Luger, Rock and Roll's Rage and Ravishing, Tully Horner. Flair Luger? Uh, I thought it, Flair Wyndham. Did I say Flair you said Luger? Flair Luger. Oh, yeah, you said Flair okay. Luger. Um uh, Garvin Arn, which was advertised as Garvin and Wahoo versus Anderson. So those are your top matches. So it says that drew 500? 
the official gate was $39,000. So that sounds wrong. Uh, the Hammond, you said? Yeah. What was the date on that show? February 25th. And at least on History WWE, there's no uh, return date till October. Yeah, the attendance I I have list is 500. But that's probably from the Observer, not from a newspaper, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, so who's calling this 500 fans if it probably drew closer to five? Oh, God, is this a typo? It's possible. 5,000. Uh, I don't think they did 5,000 Hammond Civic Center. How much does that building hold? <laughs> uh, 4,500. Yeah. So, yeah, if that, I mean, 39,000 sounds like it should be a sellout at that building. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's 4,500 and, and the four disappeared. I don't know what to tell you, Beck. I don't know. All right, uh, disregard what Dave wrote in the yearbook about the merchandise and the Road Warriors. Dave was wrong when he said they couldn't sell their stuff at arenas because they were selling Road Warrior souvenirs. Also, this Rock and Roll Express fan club is apparently grossing something like $100,000 a week for some ridiculously high figure like that. So the Crockers certainly would put up a, with a few more boos for, for Morton and Gibson with a windfall like that. Well, especially when they're barely giving Ricky and Robert any of the money. That's the thing, yeah. That's what pisses them off, is they're making money over all this shit and not getting none. Not getting what they would deserve. What is it that they ended up grossing over a million and the total cut that Ricky and Robert Rick and Robert each got, what, it was like 25000 maybe? Yeah. It was something like that. Maybe even less. Yeah. So you can understand why they wanted to leave in that regard. Yes. Bill Mulkey really did get hurt last week on TBS when Bubba spiked him. Apparently a floorboard came up when Bubba landed and Mulkey ended up with an injured back and shoulder. Dave guesses that keeps the Mulkey boys out of the tag tournament. <laughs> just, you, just you wait, Dave. Don't laugh. How else are they going to find 25 teams? It if doesn't I keep re- them out. Nope. Well, they they have to beat the Gladiators to qualify, too. Well, no, they just beat... No, they beat the Gladiators, and in doing that, they get the Gladiator spot. Oh, okay. Yes. Now, if I remember right, this is the story Carnet used to tell where Dusty chews out Bubba in the back saying, don't do shit you don't know how to do. Because <laughs> it wasn't the Bubba slam. It was some new spot he hadn't done yeah. before. Yeah. And the timing was such that I think it made he was, the board like up. He was yeah. doing like a, uh, like a sit-out power. He was doing a lager bomb. Yes, something like that. And he Which hit he did, it in a way Bubba that... did a Liger bomb for a Liger did, yes. Yes, where he mistimed it, though, in a way that caused the one of the boards to go up like that. Yeah. Not good. Um, which, that is something people don't think about, that when that happens, that can fuck a wrestler up bad. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I... And sometimes it's neither wrestler's fault, either. Like, um... Like, over a year ago, I, I was at an indie show with the Quiet Storm versus Myron Reed... And Quiet Storm, not Quiet Storm, Go Shadow. Quiet Storm's in Japan. Uh, Go Shadow hit his finish, which was like a guillotine somersault leg drop, you know, with the guy hanging the ropes. And both guys did what they were supposed to, but it hit the boards in such a way that one of them knocked Myron in the head and knocked him silly. Oops. Yeah. And to close out the show, as Dave Allen Coe mentioned in his promo... 
Manatee took 20 steps in a row this week, so he's progressing well and it's fight to walk again. Even the most optimistic reports still indicate wrestling is not in his future. Who knows? However, Dave's told he's down to about 170 pounds, which makes me learn to walk a lot easier. Well, they still held off for hope. It's early in the game, so, you know. And when is the $100,000 angle in Greensboro? Um, when in 87? June. Because we talked about this before. I had never seen that angle until we played it on this show. It boggles my mind that anyone could think he could come back after that. Well, he walks it. He walks at a Crockett Cup, you know. No, that's he... but you see the dead arm, like completely exposed in that angle. Yeah, that, that is not someone who is coming back to wrestling. Not no, but they still were holding out hope. It's a different time and place, picks. Right. Oh, and by the way, before we get to the plug, uh, our guest for next week just messaged me that he's good. <laughs> well, now you're spoiled. <laughs> All right, so next week on Between the Sheets, that's this week, we go back to 1992. Ooh. It's the week of uh, February the 1st or the 7th, where we'll have news on the bill to regulate pro wrestling in the state of Florida getting voted down. So we have all the news and details about that. We should actually make sure we have the uh, three-count coverage of that, since Alex well, Marvez is in the middle of that. pretty lengthy, what I have here from the observer. Well, Dave flew down. There is that. I forgot about that. We have a tragic death in wrestling to talk about as well during our week. Uh, WCW, we got lots of talk of new co- newcomers, not only as wrestlers, but announcers. So we'll have that. A major signing in all Japan pro wrestling. We'll talk about that. Um, just what's the deal with the blonde outlaws in New Japan? We'll have news on that. Uh, we have a long title reign ending in Mexico. We'll have that. We'll have all kinds of independent news from all over the East Coast. We have uh, a wild episode of Memphis Rest- USWA Wrestling, which sadly is not on YouTube. We have... Global Wrestling Federation featuring a big baby face turn. So we'll have that. Oh, oh, is it the baby face turn of Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr., professionally known as Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert? That is correct. And we have the World Wrestling Federation, where we'll have a big title change on a house show and uh, the WrestleMania 8 press conference. Along with Sensational Sherry introducing her newest charge at, on the funeral parlor. And lots more with our special guest making a return after a long absence from this show. Our good friend Charles from Person Only Lost. So he'll be back with us next week on Between the Sheets. Been a while since we had Charles on. Yes. So uh, good, good stuff there. So it should be a fun show next week. All right, Bix, thanks as always. You're the rock of the show. And this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Notorious.
Between the Sheets episode, Patreon special edition, episode number 75. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bix and Span. And Bix, it's time for part three and the final part of our look back at 25 years of Montreal. Yes, I am uh, I am ready to move past Montreal, my good sir. <laughs> yeah, but we had to do it, you know, the anniversary and everything, so it's something that had to be done. So, um yeah, we'll be moving on uh, next month and next year to uh, other topics, so be ready for that. Yes. All right. Let's start off where we left off. Now we're going to the month of December. Finally. <laughs> yeah, because we had two shows that covered one month. Pretty much. So now we're, now we're in December. All right, let's move on to the week of December the 8th now, towards December 13th. Alberta report. And an observer, December 15th. We start with the Alberta Report. Excerpt from That Wasn't in the Script. Wrestler Brett Hitman Hart's double cross in his last WF match by Davis Sheremata for the Alberta Report. Brett Hart agreed to go along with a request from Vincent Mann to lose his belt for leaving the WF, but the wrestler asked if he could retain the belt during the WF's Canadian tour and lose it when WF hit Illinois and New York later in November and December. I was not going to go out of my back in Can- uh, from Canada, says Brett. I owe it to my fans. I owe it to Canada not to lose on their Remembrance Day weekend. Unbridled Canuck patriotism has long been part of the hitman persona. Not only has Brett scolded American fans of their country to design, take care of his sick and elderly, he recently told a Pittsburgh audience that the U.S. needed an enema, and their city was the ideal place to insert the hose. Last week, both uh, Jim Neidhart and Hart ally David Boy Smith quit the WF to join the hitman in WCW in the WCW. Must be a Canadian thing. Owen would leave. Owen would leave as well if not for his ironclad contract requiring three more years on the McMahon. Every champion that has ever had for the Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan, has left with a bitter hatred for Vince. Says Brett. I asked Vince if he was going to make fun of my character when I leave. He said, "Absolutely not. We'd never do that to you." 
And on yesterday's broadcast, it was advertised that Brett would make an appearance with Shawn Michaels in the ring. Major dressed up as the hitman in the Clement of the Rose, where he was viciously mocked and beaten up by Michaels. Brett, who still lives in Calgary, is hoping for to help DWCW, which has never organized a match in Canada. Organized a match, which is a lie because they have. Is to get a foothold over the border. They hey, were in Canada in nineteen ninety three. They were in Canada in nineteen ninety. Yeah, they ran ninety three too. If I'm mistaken, no ninety definitely yes. Because ninety was I'm, when um, they had the show but, where like there was the, the, the toxic the, gas leak at the ice rink or whatever it was. They well, they had the thing when in ninety, which was uh, people were talking about the you know the whole thing with Flair was going to quit. Oh, because the tour was so rotten or whatever it was. No, dropping the title of the Luger and stuff. No, that whole time period because that was the time period where they heard one of the drop title Luger. But what does that have to do with Canada? Because they were in Toronto. Oh, when well, all that stuff went to the Toronto newspapers, the one that was like putting that story out there. But anyway, we did that. We covered that in the show. Mm. Uh, I mentioned getting to the Toronto Sky Dome with Hogan and BC Place, maybe even Molson Center, where I could make it with all those fans for leaving a dirty taste in their mouths. He says, adding that retirement from the ring is only three years away. I look forward to disappearing from the public eye. I look forward to throwing my wrestling boots into the Elbow River. Now, he ends up signing an extension in WCW, doesn't he? Even if it ends up being moot with the injury, yeah. the budget cuts and stuff. Let me see real quick if this says when his extension was signed. Yeah, so he had signed an extension that would have put him under contract through the end of November oh two. So he was talking the three-year talk here, but he had signed for longer. He had, it was in 99. Like um, In his book, he mentions that during his conversation with Vince before Owen's funeral, which, just as a reminder, everyone, the lawyers told Brett not not to talk about Owen with Vince. Um, Vince was bringing up the idea, why don't you just come back, work for me, finish your career here? And Brett's like, I don't even know if I could wrestle again, and even if I wanted to and to leave WCW, you know, I just signed an extension, blah, blah, blah. So... In 99, I guess, I guess in 99, early 99, yeah, what am I talking about? He was being used better, though, when he re-signed. You know, it was a little messed up, but they had the Toronto, you know, Goldberg angle. He was about to wrestle a match on The Tonight Show. Like, I could see why he was optimistic compared to how they did yeah. So, I guess the other, you know, interesting quote here is the not going out on my back in Canada thing. Just him being that blunt about it, I guess. Yeah. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, like we 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 didn't talk about it, you know, about being a mark for the can the Canadian, you know, motif of his character, yeah. you know, and 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 how this if if this show had not been in Canada, then there wouldn't be hardly no problem, hardly any problems. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it was in Canada. So, yeah. December 15th, Torch, December 20th. McLean's an observer, December 22nd. Excerpt from Real Life Wrestling. The hitman lives up to his name by Dale Eisler from McLean's. Taking a break from his daily workout in the in his gym in the 810-square-meter, five-bedroom home in northwest Calgary. Bernhardt gingerly extends his right hand to greet a visitor. It isn't much of a handshake. 
The six foot, 235 pound heart offers only limp fingers and no grip, Harley, but one would expect from a five time champion of the World Wrestling Federation. They gave the wrestle handshake. <laughs> well, read on. But yeah, it's a good excuse. I got a broken bone in my hand, so I have to be careful. Uh, there is that. Says Brad, whose soft voice bears no resemblance to the imitating growl, the character known as the worldwide as the hitman. The explanation gets even more interesting when Brad admits he broke the bone by landing a haymaker punch at upper jaw of Vincent Mann, founder, owner, and promoter of WWF. A company that's taken professional wrestling out of the seedy low-rent arenas and turned into a multi-million dollar international TV spectacle. I've got a sore hand, but I figure he's a lot sore, says Brad with a hint of satisfaction. Professional wrestling, of course, is not a sport as so much as lowbrow theater. Theater, in which the method of acting and character development are as crucial as body slams and pile drivers. But Hart's punch was a real thing, and it reverberated around the wrestling world. Vince suffered a concussion from the blow, but had his ankle broken in the ensuing melee when others intervened. He's still bothered by blurred vision that he says could be permanent. And while Vince has not pressed charges for what he calls an unprovoked attack, he doesn't rule out legal action if his sight is permanently impaired. I feel hurt at a personal level, said Vince. Brett and I were friends for a long time, and I never thought he would do that. Do what he did. It seems like his hitman character became the same as Bret Hart. But for God's sake, this is entertainment, not real life. I said I'm not going to be trashing a million in my own country, and Vince said he agreed, and that was the right way to go, says Brett. But Vince doesn't remember it that way. Stephen told McLean that he and two others met with Brett on October 21st in Tulsa to say that Sean would win the bell from Brett when they met in Montreal. It was not Brett's preference, said Vince, but he knew that was the plan. Okay. <laughs> well, there's a lot here. Okay. Do we think Paul J has told Brett not to say that they have a recording? Um, possible. I feel like he must have, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, especially if you're doing this in this like prestige mainstream magazine, wouldn't you offer up, hey, the documentary crew that was following me around had me mic'd up when I went over the finish with Vince? Yeah. So I'm guessing they have an agreement not to talk about this until Wrestling with Shadows comes out. Um, yeah. Interesting. This, I mean, this is the first time we're hearing Vince quotes in this kind of context, too. Yeah. Since Montreal. You know, otherwise it was, you know, just Brett screwed Brett. But Vince is being a lot more tougher here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we move on a little bit. Brett was concerned also in the ratings for WCWF has given his productions a more adult flavor. Listen, wrestlers rants for profanity and sexual overtones. Brett, who is married with four kids aged 7 to 14, had built this character to heroic proportions by playing the tough guy ultimately did what was right. If kids are watching Brett Hart on TV on Saturday morning, he says, you can know they're in good hands. But McMahon dismisses Brett's concerns as a cop-out by someone who has not changed with the times. Former colleagues say Brett's been a model of employee willing to go over wrestling talk for re, go over wrestling talk for lose when he was whenever he was asked i can't speak what happened between brett or vince says ken shamrock if wrestling known as the most dangerous man alive which they capitalized but, I, but that's not the nickname no but i can say that brett's the kind of guy all wrestlers look up to brett put it this way i gave the company everything i had i did everything they asked often more 250 bouts a year and all that time i missed only two dates as a lawyer employee i thought the company would be loyal to me in a world of make-believe where the words are usually as phony as the wallops, the hitman sounds really hurt. Wow. A lot of uh, oh, yeah, a lot of vernacular here. Wallops. 
Yeah. <laughs> is McLean's a Canadian publication? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. I think it's McLean's, but yeah. McLean's, McLean's. Let's see here. It'd be McLean's, but it is. Their uh, website says McLean's.ca, Canada's magazine since 1905. I wonder if they covered the first NWA World Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> Stu Hart already been in business for ten years by then, so in the yuck, yuck, yuck. To hear this entire show, support between the sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com/slash between the sheets.